All right, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being recorded and broadcast live on January 30th, 2019. The time right now, 8.53 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're listening in the Midwest, you're probably freezing your ass off unless you've got a really good heater in your home. Glad I'm not there. High in Minnesota today in Minneapolis I saw was minus 23. That's insane. They actually had to light the tracks on fire in Chicago for the train to run properly. There was actually fire on the train tracks, and it was intentional. That's how cold it was there. I think the high there was minus 13. Very brutally cold day there. And over here, fairly nice. High 60s, and it's going to be raining pretty hard this weekend for Super Bowl weekend here in Los Angeles. Anyway, we have a free roll tonight at 9 p.m. It got delayed a bit because the show got delayed a bit, but this free roll at 9 p.m., I know some people registered and it had the wrong date on it. Uh, this is something I've got to take care of not happening. But yeah, there are 22 people registered before to play tomorrow. <laughs> that, that's not going to work. There's no show tomorrow. There's no free roll. There's no prize tomorrow. It's tonight. free roll tonight, starting 9 p.m. Pacific time. You have until 9.25 to get in there with a full stack. You need to check out Poker Fraud Alert's rules page in order to know if you qualify for the free money. Very important to know the rules. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. And that's how you will understand the rules and know whether you qualify for the free money, which is cash money. I will give it to you in various ways, including the Cash App, which I recommend that you sign up for if you want to send money to me or receive money from me, because you can use a debit card to send money for free with no fees. To send money to me on the Cash App, go to cash.me. Like cash me, cash.me slash dollar sign Dan Druff and capital D for both Dan and Druff. I would have done it all lowercase had I known. I didn't know it was going to be case sensitive, but it is. Cash.me slash dollar sign Dan Druff with capital D's for both Dan and Druff. That's how you send me money on the Cash app. You enter your debit card. I never see your debit card. Don't worry about that. Only they see it. It's a big company. It's been around a long time. You can trust them. At least I think you can. So totally free. And I can send and receive money in other ways, including a certain service that's been around for about two decades that's sometimes associated with auctions. You probably know what I'm talking about. We can do it that way. You can do it via Bitcoin. By the way, if anybody needs Bitcoin, let me know too. Might be able to point you in the right direction. And I will also do a bank transfer. If you want to do a bank transfer, you have a bank account at any bank in the U.S., I can send you money that way if you win the free roll. So it's real cash money. It's not me transferring you money on a site where you have to play poker or you have to have trouble cashing out. No, it's very easy. Real cash. $105 being given away this week, and this is how the prize pool breaks down. It's $50 for first, 28 for second, 17 for third, 10 for fourth. That's 50, 28, 17, and 10. The money came from four sources this week. I Am Greek gave $25. Reno gave $10. OK Ralphie gave $20. And I gave $50 as my final contribution from the $400 that I said I would be contributing to the free roll. 
which came from money that just never got claimed over the years from these free rolls. People who won just never claimed it. And uh, I promised $400, and this is now $400 I've given away in recent times. I will also be giving something else away, which I just decided to do. There's no reason other than just I want to be generous. You know, that I can open up the Jew wallet every so often. You never know. Since I have a World Series package coming up, which hasn't been finalized, I have a preliminary package up. If you check the 2019 World Series of Poker Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, I'm not going to spend time discussing it. There's really nothing new to be said. Uh, the package is not for sale yet. I had someone ask me about that today. I'm not selling it yet. I'm waiting for everything to be finalized. But I think what I have posted is probably be, probably going to be the final schedule of mine for what I will be playing and what I will be selling. There's three events I won't sell. The rest I am selling. The only reason I'm not selling three events is two are, two of them are too small to be worth selling, and one of them is the main, which I never sell. It has nothing to do with the difficulty of the events. In fact, the events were, I have the best chance, I am selling. And that would include the 1500 Limit Hold'em and the 1500 Omaha Aider Better. Those are the two events where I have the highest chance of cashing and running deep, and uh, those are part of one of the packages. So I'm not uh, not withholding the best events from you guys. I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to sell you guys the, the toughest ones and keep the easiest ones for myself. I, I'm trying to be fair with that. Only time, only reason I'm not selling the others is because uh, I don't want to sell the main event just in case I hit millions in it. And I don't want to sell the small ones because then it's not worth playing. I don't really feel like I need to sell the small ones to keep down the variance, and I'm selling enough as it is. Uh, these usually sell out pretty quickly. So get in on it. I'm not just saying this to get you to buy it. It's, it's the truth. Every single year I've sold out, and there have been people who've been shut out. So if you want a piece, I would suggest you act on it when I announce it. But I haven't announced it yet. Don't ask to buy it early. I won't take your money early because I, I don't want the headache of having to change things and refund people. So only when I finalize it. But that's coming soon. How do you find out? Well, I will tweet about it on twitter.com slash toddwoodtellis. I will also post about it on Poker Fraud Alert, and I will announce it on the radio several times. So you won't miss it. Tonight we have a very special interview. We don't interview many people on this show, and when we do, we don't interview many famous people, especially people famous outside of poker. But tonight, we actually are interviewing someone who you probably knew totally separate from poker. In fact, I bet people... In your family, I bet your friends who have nothing to do with poker will know who this guy is. That is William Hung. William Hung, who was a pretty famous participant on American Idol in 2004. And even though we are now 15 years later, people still know who he is. People still remember him. And if you don't, I will remind you. I'm going to play a little clip from American Idol where you can listen to his audition on there. Probably the most famous audition ever on American Idol. Even though he didn't make it, it's the most famous audition, and he's one of the better-known participants in the show. So we're interviewing him tonight, and I was very happy to get him on this show. And the reason we're interviewing him is because he's now a poker player. He's now a semi-pro poker player. So that's how I got to talk to him, and that's why he's on this show tonight. We have 
an interest from uh, Calwatt and Trader Ruski to be part of that interview. Uh, for whatever reason, I can't find Trader Ruski. I know he's traveling, so that's that's probably why I can't reach him. I know he wanted to be part of it, but I know he's he's in Florida right now, so I I may have a hard time reaching him. Uh, Calwatt said he's going to stay up for this, but he's not sure how much. He can be up after that, which is understandable. It's already midnight there in New York. In fact, they're both on the East Coast right now, I guess. But uh, hopefully we'll get one of the two here. And uh, I I hope it'll be a good interview. I think it will be. seems like a nice guy, William Hung. seems like uh, very open to discuss everything. After we do the William Hung interview, which will be the first topic we do, we will talk about the Elia Lesra Situation. You may say, well, we talked about that last week. Well, we did, but there's been a lot of developments. It's really, really interesting. It's a very, very interesting story. A lot of major developments have occurred since we last did this show six days ago. A controversial tweet about poker player types that Daniel Negreanu says that he hates has caused some backlash on social media. And then Negreanu wrote a blog to address the backlash. Then there was some backlash to the blog. I was part of the backlash, by the way. I, in fact, I was even mentioned in Poker News as being part of the backlash. So I will tell you all about that when we get to that topic. Michael Raskin, a poker player, has pled guilty to a marijuana dealing case. I'll tell you about that. Harris in Sacramento or near Sacramento, is going to open this year. Caesars does not have any properties in Northern California, Washington, or Oregon. The Pacific Coast just does not have much as far as Caesars properties. Yes, there's Harris Rincon, a.k.a. Harris Resort, Southern California, but that's all the way near San Diego. So if you're north of L.A., that's not a very convenient place to go. They do have... Two properties in Lake Tahoe, which are right on the California border. In fact, walking distance from the California border. But it's kind of hard to get there. you got to do mountain driving. Sometimes you can't even get there because of snow. Uh, it's just not convenient for people unless they live really close to it. The Bay Area is just too far for most people to go on a regular basis. So now there's going to be a Caesars property that is local to the Bay Area and Sacramento. I'll tell you about that. Wynn Resorts has agreed to pay a fine in Nevada for the sexual harassment situation involving Steve Wynn. More casino news. MGM is going to have a presence in New York City. Yeah. They are purchasing the Empire Casino in Yonkers, and I'll tell you about that. The end of an era, for me personally, is coming in two days. On February 1st, I will no longer be a seven stars for the first time since 2012. My seven star status is ending with Caesars. I will tell you, I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why there's a good chance I'll never be seven stars again. A big scandal involving Facebook once again, even though it has to do with something that occurred between 2012 and 2016. It's a pretty disturbing scandal involving targeting minors and kind of a scam, actually. It's just coming to light now. Facebook tried to hold it under wraps, and it finally came out three years later. I'll tell you what happened. Finally, an editorial has nothing to do with poker. It has to do with the abortion debate. I I really have 
tried to stay away from that topic. I don't... Up until this year, 2019, I didn't talk about abortion on this show. I didn't talk about it on my Twitter or on my Facebook. I really stayed away from the topic. It's a very controversial topic, and it's usually not a good thing to bring up because it just angers everyone, and no one's going to change their mind usually. And uh, it's something – it's a very, very complex topic, and I typically stay away from it. But there's been so many outrageous things happening involving abortion in 2019 and things that have come to light that I wasn't aware of before that aren't all that new. The editorial asked the question, were the scare tactics that the pro-lifers used for the last few decades, were those scare tactics actually correct all along? That'll be the final segment. Might piss some people off, but that's that's the way I do things. I, I do piss people off. I know that. This show is not being done to appeal to everybody or to make everyone happy or to not get people angry. I don't try to get people angry, but I, I will say what's really on my mind. You hear the real me, and sometimes I will get people angry. And if that happens, then so be it. So that's our agenda for tonight. If you want to call the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I was thinking about whether I should take calls during the William Hung segment, which is going to be first up, and I decided against it because, uh, well, you know, the guy agreed to come on here, and I just thought about it. I said, you know what, I can imagine – Listeners of this show calling up to troll the guy, and I know the audience may find it funny, but, you know, when I have a guest come on here, I want to treat them respectfully, unless there's a reason not to treat them respectfully. Like, when we had Lyman on here, I wouldn't mind if you guys treated him disrespectfully. He deserves it, but most other guests we have on here, I I want to treat them respectfully, and if I think we're going to get a lot of, like, troll phone calls, I, I just don't want to take them, because people don't have to come on this show. People can just say, I don't want to come on. I don't want the word to get around that if you come on this show that you get hassled by either the host or the guest. Now, I'm, or the, the callers. Now, I'm not going to kiss anyone's ass. I'm not going to say things I don't believe. I'm not going to throw softballs. But at the same time, I have to understand that people are coming on voluntarily. And I have to show them some respect for that, especially people like William Hung, who've never done anything wrong, at least... Uh, that I know of. I'm sure he hasn't lived a pristine life completely, as few of us have, but uh, he's not someone who like cheated or scammed people that would deserve some abuse. This, this is just you know a guy who got famous from American Idol. It's a regular guy, so I don't want people calling up with troll calls to him. So I decided not to take phone calls, and uh, in fact, I shut off the phone lines until after that interview because I don't want the Skype ringing because there's no way I can stop that these days because Skype sucks. So don't bother to call until after the William Hung interview is over. Free roll has started eight minutes ago, so get in there. You have 17 minutes left. It's 9.08 right now. You can text me at any time, 775-372-8355, same as the main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during this show, and I may read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. If you're having trouble reaching us on our main phone number, you can always call the Mount Charleston line. That's 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. It's a 
rotary phone, an old 70s rotary phone sitting in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. It has snow surrounding it now. Still working. Forwards to me wherever I go. Don't text the number. An old rotary phone cannot receive texts, but you can call it as an alternate number into the show. It's a separate line into the show. We have the call to listen line. Last week I said the old one was back up, and then I, I tried it yesterday and it wasn't working anymore. So just stick to the main call to listen line, the one in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. Very simple. You call up and you listen. That's how it works. If you want to listen to the show and you don't have a smartphone, you don't have a data plan, you don't have the internet, you don't want to waste your data, you don't have a computer, whatever it is, even if you just want to use it, you can have all these things like I do. You just you just don't want to, to use it. You just like the call to listen line. Some people just love using it, including me. That's okay, too. You just call up. You listen. It never buffers. You can do it with one bar on your cell phone. You can sometimes do it with zero bars on your cell phone. I'm serious. You do not need a very good connection. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line, which is now approaching a million minutes Listen to. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. Really, almost a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line, which has been running now for a little bit more than three years. So I guess that's it. I already gave you the agenda. I, oh, yeah, the chat room. Forget about the chat room. You can go in the chat room and chat during the live show. I don't always read it because I'm busy with other things here, as you might guess. But I will read it sometimes. In fact, I'll look right now. Uh, nothing of value there, so I'm not going to bother reading any of this. Except one person saying, uh, Druff's alive. Yes, I'm freezing my ass off. That's from SOT24. But uh, the chat room's there if you're listening live. Oh, yeah, I want to tell you about the ways to listen to the show in case you don't know. In the archive format, there's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Radio Public, which currently isn't getting new episodes for whatever reason, and their support sucks, so I don't know if it ever will. And Google Play, those are uh, the apps you can use to listen to the show. You can also download or play the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com and the radio forum. In fact, iPhones and iPads can just directly play the MP3 without any kind of player, so that's uh, very convenient. There's an RSS feed, if you know how to use that. And to... Listen to the live show. You can use the TuneIn app. You can, of course, just go to the Poker Fraud Alert radio page. You can use the call to listen line at 605-313-0736. And you can also use Amazon Alexa by just saying, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert radio on TuneIn. That's what you have to say. Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert radio on TuneIn. If you want to listen to the archives on TuneIn, you just have to say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast on TuneIn. So if you add the word podcast, it plays the last episode. And if you say next, it goes to the one before that. And you can keep saying next and move back every time through the episodes going backward. Those are our listening options. If there's another listening option you want, please let me know. So I'm going to play you... The uh, a short version of William Hung's appearance on American Idol, and even though he wasn't on American Idol very long, he was only on one episode. It really made a big impact. 
he was a gimmick uh, contestant. They featured him on the show because he was interesting. Because they thought people would find it entertaining and amusing. Thousands of people try out for the show every time, so it's tough to get through. Those people you see auditioning, you're not seeing all or most of the people auditioning. You're seeing a very, very small percentage of them. Most of the people that come down there to audition waste their time, don't get on the show, and don't get on TV. William Hung did not get past the audition, and this was 15 years ago in January 2004, but he did make it on TV, and he immediately became famous, and the whole thing went viral. There was no YouTube at the time in January 2004, but uh, nonetheless, he was very talked about, so much that I didn't watch American Idol, and I heard of him almost immediately. Like, right away after that episode aired, I heard all about him, and then I I saw a video of it somehow at the time. It wasn't on YouTube. There was no YouTube. But I I saw a video somehow on the internet of him. And, yeah, I mean, it was was obvious that he was a kind of a, a gimmick auditioner, and that's why they put him on. But, you know, the the guy has managed to make this work out in his favor for quite some time. And we will hear about everything involving that process, the before, the after, everything that came along with the instant fame he achieved, and also about his poker career, what's going on with that. So here was his appearance on American Idol, and then we're going to try to call him. Well, not try. I know he's there. I, I, I didn't want to fail with this one. I wanted to make sure we we're going to reach him. So he's ready to take the call, but I want you guys to hear him for it has been 15 years. And some of you may not have seen this. So I'm guessing most of you have. And um, I, I'm currently studying at UC Berkeley right now. Uh, but it's kind of odd, like, why I chose to even audition in the first place. Because uh, my, my major is civil engineering, which is not totally not related to music. But, but um, I really like music. I want to make music my living. Talk to me, tell me your name. You blow me off like it's all the same. You let it feel and I'm taking away like a bomb. Yeah, baby. Talk to me, tell me your sign. You switching sides like a Gemini. You playing games and now you're hitting my heart like a drum. Yeah, baby. She bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby, but she moves, she moves. I go crazy cause she looks like a flop, but she stings like a bee. Like every girl in history. She bangs, she bangs. Thank I'm you. wasted by the way Thank she... Thank you. <laughs> you can't sing, you can't dance, so what do you want me to say? Um, I already gave my best, and there's, I have no regrets at all. Good for you. That's good. That's, now, that's good. William. That's good. That's the best attitude yet. And, you know, I have no professional training of singing. No. Dancing, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the surprise of the century. <laughs> William, you're the best. You're the best. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank have you, William. Okay. Thank you, William. Thank you. So, William would have to bang somewhere other than Hollywood. But it was better news for ten others in San Francisco that day. Round two was waiting. Tomorrow night, we head to Hawaii, where the talent reminded... 
All right. I don't want to hear about Hawaii. So that was the January 2004 American Idol. In case you're not familiar with the song that he sang, here, here's the actual version of it by Ricky Martin. Let's skip a little ahead here. So that's the song. You get the idea. So that was the actual song. You heard William Hung's version. You hear this. You heard Simon Cowell was not impressed, though. Uh, Paula Abdul, she was uh, very happy with his positive attitude that he doesn't regret it and that he tried his best. I think he knew coming on that his chances of success were low, but he just wanted to do it. I don't know if he just wanted to do it for the experience or just wanted to take a long shot at getting on or if he was hoping that maybe he would be selected as kind of a gimmick or joke contestant. We'll find that out when we talk to him. I have that ready to ask him. I I wrote these questions out beforehand. I did some preparation here. So let's try to reach him. But before that, I I actually have to turn on Skype. In fact, I turned it on while uh, this was playing. I have to use it to, to reach uh, Trader Ruski and Calwatt, but uh, I am turning off the ability to take incoming calls, so don't bother calling. It'll just uh, reach a voicemail if you call during the interview. I see, let me see. Trader Ruski, where is he here? Looking through the list. Uh, hmm. So I can't find Trader Ruski, but Calwatt actually said he had an interest in coming on tonight. So let's see if I can reach him. It's been a while since we had him here, but he hears we're doing a segment like this. He doesn't want to miss it. Calwatt, hello. Hey, Druff, how you doing? Good to have you back here. I heard a little bit of uh, sound interference here. There we go. That should be That's a lot better. better. That's How about much now? better. Sounds just like old times. So like you're in the room nice. with me. So good to have I you know. on the show after maybe all this I, time. Maybe I am in the room with you. You could be. They don't know. We could be, <laughs> we could be hiding something big here. Okay. So, um, you know, you guys know we don't have many interviews on here, but uh, Calwatt, uh, I know he had to be here for this. So calling uh, American Idol star from 2004. Can't, can't miss that moment here on this show. You know, the the funny thing is I missed out on all of this because I never watched American Idol. I wa- you know what? I didn't watch it either, I've, but uh, I couldn't miss this guy. So we're going we're gonna to call him up here. I mean, I saw, like, the memes and I saw all the stuff, of the, all that kind of crap afterwards, but I was just like, what? who the hell is this guy? Yeah, well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going we're gonna to find out here. I'm calling him right now. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. He's even got Skype. We can call him on Skype. Hello, good morning. 
Hello, William Hung. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And uh, yes. I have my uh, co-host on here, Cal Watt. Uh, my name is uh, Todd dandruff Wattellis, uh, as I'm sure you probably already know. And I'm glad to have you on the show. We we honestly don't do all that many interviews here, but when I, when I saw that you were into poker, and since uh, you're a very well-known name in pop culture, even uh, 15 years later, I, I thought, hey, oh, thank you. Be good. Uh, yeah, thank you. Be a good person to have on here, and uh, I know listeners are very interested. So, so what do you uh, – uh, this is Kalwad, by the way. What do you prefer to go by? William, Bill, Mr. Hung? Like, what do you William want? William is fine. William. All right, cool. All right, nice to meet good. you. Okay, so I, I want to start at the beginning here. Um, so when American Idol was on and uh, you went to audition for it, this was early 2004. I went and checked out the Wikipedia page on you and all that. Um, I, I'm just curious, what made you want to do it? You thought, like, I never had a desire to go try for try out for American Idol. What what made you want to try? Did you think you stood a chance to win? Uh, were you just doing it for fun, or, or did you think maybe you could be like a, a gimmick character that people will uh, like and remember? No, I don't think it's any of that. It was because I was struggling with school, with civil engineering, so I thought that. Somehow my life needs to change. I need to change directions. So I just try to give myself a chance. And what gave me the confidence was that I won the talent show at UC Berkeley. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when the auditions came around to San Francisco, I said, I, I said to myself, yes, let's do this. Okay. And, you know, I've heard it's kind of a chaotic thing down there. Is it, is it, did you have like a long wait to audition? Like, it looks so simple on the show, but I know there's like a, a big production there before you even get in front of the judges. Yes, because it's, there are multiple preliminary rounds that you have to go through. Before you get to see the the three judges, Randy, Paula, and Simon. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got through the preliminary. How many preliminary rounds were there? Uh, for that year, it was only two. Okay, so you got you got through them, and uh, were you surprised when you got through, or did you say, "Oh, I expected this"? No, I, I was definitely surprised. Okay. I did not expect to make it through. Uh, but one of those uh, the ladies, she really liked me, so that's why she let me through. Okay, and then so so. When you're about to walk in that room there with the three judges, and there's a, a very a huge show at the time in 2004, um, were you nervous going in there? How, how did you feel like the moment you walked in? Uh, it was nerve-wracking. My heart was pumping. I had cold sweats. I, I, I can't. That's why my my movements were so jerky on TV. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine because you, you know that if if this gets on TV, you're going to have like you know, 20 million people seeing it or, or whatever it's going to be. It's going to be a, a lot of people seeing you, and uh, yeah. and and you're in front of the, the celebrity judges and everything. So, uh, when uh, so your audition, it uh, it made the show. Obviously, uh, were you surprised to see it actually made the show? Did they tell you beforehand you're going to be on, or were you just watching? No. It? No, no, I have no idea. To be and again, to be honest, I did not expect my my audition to be on TV because I just thought that I didn't make it. It's not that special. So yeah, I was I I was surprised that it went viral. So you so you were but you were just watching American Idol and they go, oh look, it's me. I can't believe I'm on there. Was it like that? I can't believe I, they they choose my audition to broadcast and then, surprise. And then, yeah, and then what's more <laughs> incredible is the reaction to that that audition, that video. Yeah, so saying there's but there's no warning. You you found it at the same time we did. 
Yes. Oh, uh, oh. I found out a little bit earlier because they broadcast the, the little bit of the clip oh, uh, okay. during New Year's Day, like back in 2004. So, uh, so I was thinking to myself, uh-oh, what's going to happen to me? Yes. Okay. So you became a, a first of all, how how old were you at the time? Like like early twenties. Twenty. 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 Okay. So after this aired, uh, you became a, a pop culture sensation really quickly. Uh, so so what was this like? I'm sure your life had to immensely change. Where you're just this uh, just a regular guy like everybody else, and then this airs, and then all of a sudden everybody knows you. So what what, what were the positives of of everyone knowing you at that point? The positives were, were that it's easier to make make new friends, talk to people, meet interesting people, get to learn that their stories. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, the, other than that, it, it, I, I can't have uh, something else in my mind. But yeah, I think meeting new people, new opportunities, that's the, the most valuable thing. So, so pe- the people just... Uh come up to you like did you have this whole lot where people are, are constantly uh coming up to you and talking to you wherever you are out in public is that the way it was back then yes yeah yeah and it still is today it's just a little bit uh, it's a little bit less but it's, people still like uh, recognize me it's like oh my god i still remember you i may have a picture with you <laughs> <laughs> so but does this ever get annoying was it ever like you just wanted to be left alone and people are running up to you and, and bothering you and and asking the same uh, questions over I, and over? I, don't, I don't know i mean I'm, I'm used to it but it but it still feels a bit awkward because it's still happening so many years from the original audition yeah. well of course it's weird right yeah. i mean it's just a weird thing you go from being just some dude to that no matter where you go, people are just running up to you. It's weird. Like, yeah, it is. Honestly, the cult of celebrity is just really strange. It's just yeah. really strange. you got just random people walking up to you because you went from being just some dude to being a meme. Like, everyone knew who the hell you were, but you don't know them. Yes. You know? It's really awkward. And, and yeah. especially especially because he was not someone – he wasn't an actor who slowly moved up over time and being recognized. This is someone who went from – totally unknown to a, a viral sensation literally overnight. So that's that's got to be like an abrupt change. And uh, I mean, it seems like he had a good attitude about it. So so, w- were there any negatives from this? Well, the negatives is similar because sometimes there are uh, there are places I need to go. I don't want to interact with people. Uh, the, I, need, I like for example, I'm on a rush to to do something. You know, I was like, okay, I don't oh, want to deal yeah. with this. <laughs> <laughs> now, did it did it help with with dating or anything? Did you have all these girls wanting to date you because you're on TV? Like, how did that go? Uh, there were there in the past. There were really we- weird marriage proposals. Oh, really? Marriage <laughs> proposals? <laughs> there were there were ladies that didn't know who I was and yeah. asked me if I could marry her. It's like, no, I don't know who you are. <laughs> So now, now you have you gotten married or have you been married since then or it's still not, still yeah it's, it, it, I got married twice but also divorced twice and then now I am seeing uh, the, the uh, a new girl so yeah and and the two the two women who married you did they uh, was their interest in you initially because they knew you from American Idol or was it totally independent of that. Yeah, the first one was independent of that. She didn't know who I was. Oh, really? We, uh, yeah, not that much. Uh, the second person, uh, she definitely knew who I was. So it, def- mm. it, 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 uh, it definitely sparked her interest in a good way. So, yeah. Okay. So you had- now, uh, Druff, I've got inside information. Oh, what's that? That the new girl 
that William is dating is none other than Amanda Leatherman. <laughs> No, that's not true. You stole her. You stole her from Daniel. Yeah, admit it. Da- Daniel's gonna get mad at this. Too, no, 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 that's not true. He's gonna, he's gonna, Daniel's gonna get mad at this guy. So, uh, okay. When uh, so when you parlayed I, that fame from American Idol into an actual music career, which some, some people don't realize that you know, he wasn't just on American Idol and, and disappeared. He actually did have a music career and uh, released albums. And the first one, I think, sold like two hundred thousand copies. So so yes. so so when when you parlayed this into the music career, first of all, what was your expectation? Did you think it was going to succeed or fail or be in the middle? What did you expect was going to happen from that point? No idea. I think that's the honest answer here. Uh, I, I just I just thought that take it as it comes because I I, I felt that I only going to get that chance once in a lifetime, especially yeah. getting that record contract like that. As a college kid, getting a huge record contract. It's a big deal. Uh, it's, it changed my life for the better, forever. Sure. So, I mean, shit like this. So regardless just... of what happens, I, I'm, I'm taking it. Oh, see, I didn't know you got a big record contract. I knew that, that you, you had uh, albums out, and I knew that one of them sold uh, fairly well. But uh, I, I didn't yes. know you actually got a, a contract. So they paid you a lot of money up front? Yes, $25,000. Okay. I, I think that one's uh, public information. So, okay. yeah, no problem. Yeah, because, because, William, this whole celebrity thing, on American Idol just fell from the sky. Like, God bless you. Like, take advantage of everything that comes your way as a result of that. You know, if, yeah. if I were you and the record contract came up, I'd be like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> sign me up. God, yeah. God knows whenever this, you know, random, uh, you know, chance is going to happen again. I mean, I would totally leverage every little bit of it that I possibly could, you know? Now, yeah. I, I, I yeah. saw, I saw when the, Albums came out. I saw that there was a mixed reaction. So, so the negative reactions that were there, did those did those bother you at all? A little bit, and, but I mean, it's not it, it's nothing I can do about it because I right. I, I I can't really go backwards. I just I could only go forward. So, you know, if it's constructive, then then I listen to it, try to take it in, try to understand where they're coming from. But if it's just like random negative stuff, it's like right. okay, don't don't be in an entertainment business. You're not the best singer, or whatever, whatnot. Then yeah, so I don't go, let it go. don't go on the yeah. internet, right? <laughs> like because no. that's that's what the internet is. I mean, a lot of it is just random negative shit. Well, yeah, you're, right? you're, you're always yeah. there's always going to be trolls. I mean, I, I get a lot of trolls, and I mean, you're way more yeah. well known than I am. But fuck, but fuck the haters. I mean, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, I would be. How many of those people ever got a chance in their early twenties to have a major record contract? You know, I mean, yeah. fuck them, fuck them. Yeah. So okay, uh, the so why did you end your career in music? I saw in two thousand eleven you ended it and went to go do something else, which we'll, we'll talk about afterwards. But wh- why did you choose in two thousand eleven that you were done? No, it's not done. I I, I disagree oh, with that. Oh, okay. Wikipedia has a lot of problems. Oh, okay. They don't. They're not willing to <laughs> but you, 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 anything. You can go edit it. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way. You can go. No, edit no. It. It's not that simple because because I tried to do it. Uh, I'm. I, it, it's complicated, but I don't have. Basically, I don't have the right to edit it. Uh, I need to like like have some like something some weird semi privilege, whatever it's called, but. I could never edit it. That's that's, that's the point. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe so, it's a, maybe it's so a protected it page. Maybe that's why. Maybe see what happens at Wikipedia. What they do sometimes is they'll protect a page that gets messed with a lot. So maybe that's why. Exactly. That's what. That's why it says oh, okay. yes. okay. something like protected. Okay. So so what's the truth then? Put the truth out there so uh, Wikipedia can uh, shove it. Well, sure. 
Oh, excuse me. Hold on. Oh, we have a, we have a sick guest here, I think. <laughs> oh, allergy. <laughs> oh, allergies. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. So the th- thing is that I've been, I've still been singing, performing, and, and even doing some speaking, motivational speaking on the side. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, but it's not as much as before. And uh, that's why I needed to get a regular job with more stable income to sustain myself. That's, that's, that's the truth. Okay. So the next thing you did, I saw, and this, this a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until I read it uh, yesterday, is that you went to go work for the L.A. Sheriff. People wouldn't expect yes. that. Uh, so so what, what did you do with the sheriff? I was a statistical analyst. And what, what do they do there? Uh, what they do is that they analyze the crime data, uh, the reporting procedures, whether we are, we are recording data correctly. So it's not as exciting as it sounds because it involves reading a lot of depressing police reports. <laughs> so, it's, and then figure out what code to classify as a crime, you know, that, and then you see this yearly reports for the different cities. And, and did you, uh, did you finish at Berkeley? No, I didn't. Uh, I ended up getting my math degree, bachelor's degree at Cal State Northridge. And then a few years ago, I think 2016, I got my MBA, business administration, master's uh, from Marist College in New York. I see. So, so Okay. So, and where are you now? Are you in LA or New York? Where are you at the moment? Los Angeles. Oh, you're in Los Angeles. Okay. And and uh, so so the with the sheriff, were you actually working on, on – helping solve crimes or were you just analyzing data that was coming in from a lot of different crimes? I was analyzing data that's coming in, making sure that there's no er- no errors or missing entries, things like that. Okay. And do you still work there or is that uh, something that uh, ended a while ago? Uh, I I got promoted to uh, work for public health at, at, at a higher level position. So now I work as an administrative assistant for the Department of Public Health. Okay. So, so, you, so you're still... Is, is that for the county? L.A. County, yes. Okay, so you're still working for L.A. County. You just got to a higher position. Okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, now let's, let's get to the, the poker thing because, uh, you know, this is sort of a poker show. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, when's the first time that you played poker? The first time I played poker was back in 2004. Uh, I remember I was invited to perform uh, at a casino in Reno. I forgot which one it was, uh, but but uh, but I, I I always remember this one because it's the first time ever, and I was playing the one two limit uh, poker back then live, and I was running good. I got like I won a couple hundred dollars, and that excites me because uh, as a performer, there's a lot of downtime between each trip or each performance, uh, so that's why I feel that you know back then poker was great, and I, I and I still love it now. But back then, it was even better. Well, yeah, in 2004, the game was a lot easier than today because there's there's a lot of recreational players that came in that weren't very good, and and today, a lot of them are gone, and a lot of the people who were good have gotten even better over over time, all all the practice. So so, so you started playing in 2004, and how much were you playing between then and now? I know know now you're playing more, but uh, were, were you playing consistently over the years, or did you start and stop? How How is your poker going like 
as far as how much you did in that time in the last 15 I was, years? I would say that I, so it, 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 I would say that the, the, the first, from 2004 maybe to 2008, something like that, it was a lot. I play a lot. Uh, and mostly online. Oh, really? Actually, because back then I was playing on Full Tail, Focus Stars. It was so much fun. What games were you playing? Uh, huh? What games were you playing mostly on there? No Limit. You're playing No Limit because he didn't run into me. I guess my my name on there was Dan Druff, and I was on there all the time. But uh, oh yeah, did you yeah, ever probably? I was play. I didn't. I remember I was playing a bunch of tournaments back then. I don't know why. I just like the thrill of tournaments. So winning, like for I race, I will never forget the first time I took down the eleven dollar tournament. It was like five thousand runners. It was so insane. So now, what was your name on there? I forgot what it was. You I don't remember your friend, name. It's twenty-eight. Yeah. So, so no one knew it was you. No, I, I, I intentionally didn't want to choose something something that people know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, w- William, we actually we actually have another connection that I, you probably don't know. Oh. So, I'm the one that made that website, Tasty Steaks. Oh wow! That yeah, is, that's really cool. Well, that was actually yeah. gonna be my next. That was gonna be one of my questions later on too. About the oh about the shit! I, I'm sorry, okay. Druff. No, I didn't okay. mean to. I didn't mean to cock block you there. No, I'm no, gonna no, go, no, I'm, no. I, I'm I gonna... think I think it's interesting that he uses your site. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I was wondering about that actually. So well, ask, why don't you ask the question now? Maybe it's relevant. Well, I, I it's kind of out of order. Well, we'll get back to it. But all right. Uh, so this this is a question a lot of poker players don't like to answer but uh, I think I have to ask everybody wants to know uh, are you a winning poker player yes I am I don't I, I don't mind putting this out there uh, I, I, I uh, I'm a professional poker player right now uh, the last six months I've been studying and really taking it seriously uh, so I I don't play full-time I still have my job for from the Department of Public Health and in LA but I am considering transitioning to full time. Uh, I'm doing pretty well part time right now. Are you are you playing mostly tournaments or cash games or both? Um, mostly cash games, but I also play my fair share of tournaments, especially uh, during this Vegas trip, uh, because I feel like I really need like one big score to have that surplus in terms of money. That way, I feel much more confident if I play full time. And, and uh, are you playing just no limit hold'em at this point? Yes. Okay. And do you play mostly online now, or uh, or uh, in li- mostly live? I know it's changed. Mostly online. live uh, online uh, because I live in uh, California. There's there, there really is. I mean, there's there's a couple like like on sites that I can play on like America's Card Room or Ignition Casino. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I yeah. I think life should be would, would be better for me. Yeah. So okay. And uh, so, so are you strongly considering uh, quitting the job, and are you, are you waiting for like a, a big hit online to where you where you can, or not a big hit from a tournament before you do that? I feel like I feel better if I get a big big score in a live tournament, and, and honestly, I don't have to take like a, like a huge risk uh, in terms of my bankroll. Like like winning something like 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 fifty thousand dollars from a quarter million guaranteed tournament, uh, you know, like a six hundred dollar level tournament at the win would be really really good. So, so that's those. Those are the those are the things I'm looking for. Yeah, you know, I, I had the same decision actually. Uh, I, I was working. I, I have a, a degree in computer science. And I was working a programming job uh, 16 years ago, and I, I had to make that decision. I was winning on Poker Stars a lot, and I had to make the decision: do, do I quit and do this full time? Uh, after I had been winning a lot, but only winning a lot for about you know, four or five months, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. 
I wasn't sure at that point, you know, maybe I'm just running well for four or five months. I'm going to quit and I'll be sorry. So I, I, yeah. I, took, I took a chance there. Now it ended up working out, but I, I, I had to go through the same decision. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So are you planning to play the World Series of Poker and have you played it before? Yes. I actually played uh, in the 2016 main event, oh, wow. uh, and and uh, like the, uh, like your friend mentioned, Tasty Stakes. Uh, I was able to get a bunch of investors that year. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what I was going to get to here. That's because I was thinking this, and I, I had no idea you were on Tasty Stakes. That's funny, but uh, I was thinking to myself that I sell pieces of the World Series just just to prevent variance. Because unlike you, I'm not a tournament player. I'm a cash player, so. Right, uh, I, I, right. And you, you add up all the buy-ins of these events, it's a lot of money. I, I didn't want to have to, if I don't do well, which, which with the variance happens very easily, uh, I, I don't want to have to play forever to earn that back. So that's why I, I sell the pieces. I can actually afford to play right. everything, but I just I just don't want the variance in there. So I, I sell pieces of my, and I, I actually use Tasty Steaks also. And But I was thinking, you know, I sell out every time just because of this show, just just because of the notoriety I have from this show and because I, I've been a trusted person in poker that people know they're not going to cheat them, uh, and I've been around for almost 20 years. So I sell out, and I thought, if I sell out, I bet someone who's still very well-known to the general public, like uh, William Hung, w- would easily sell out. Because people say, oh, well, I guess what I have a piece of in this World Series. William Hung from American Idols. I, I would think that would be a, a gimmick that a lot of people would uh, would enjoy. So so. Uh, so you played the 2016 main event. Did you play in 17 or 18? Uh, no, I couldn't uh, because because I I, ha- I was going through like personal issues, marriage issues. So oh, I yeah, see. no, I couldn't. So you didn't play any events that year. No those years. Okay, but you're, but you're going to return in 2019. Yeah, yeah, I feel very good about it uh, because because now now I have a new direction in my life. You know, I'm seeing a new girl that that's very supportive. Uh, so yeah, I feel good about it. So so now poker, I I I, I don't want to try to uh, be too intrusive here, but was was poker an issue with uh, you know the two divorces? Was it an issue for either one that that, that they didn't like uh, you playing? Yeah, I would say I would say that for the second one, it, it really was, and 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 you know that's not not much nothing I can do about it because uh, because I love the game. I play because I love the game. Yeah, well, you know what it's I. I it's true. It's it's in poker. There's a lot of relationships that have been destroyed because of poker, and not always because someone's losing either. Sometimes someone could be winning or, or, or you know doing fairly well, and, and still it destroys right. the relationship because because of the time it takes, and, and and especially for tournaments if there's traveling involved, and and also some yeah. some some people just don't like it. And uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough in, in the relationship I'm in, and I've been for almost ten years in that uh, I was already playing poker when she and I got together, so she she knew it was already there. So she knew when she got involved with me that this is going to be something that's present in my life, and uh, and that makes it a lot easier than when you kind of pick it up in the middle. But sometimes sometimes there's it's already there, and and people like you were playing when you you were with before you were with the second wife, right? Yeah, yeah, and she so she just decided she didn't like it at some at some point. Yeah, it's really weird because because uh, she she was okay with it when I was winning, and then when I was going on a downswing, and and then uh, she just like no, you know yeah, and, it, and it's like yeah, this it, it feels wrong, you know. Yeah, I know that's that, and that's the, that can be the tough part. That can be the tough part where when when you're losing, they you have to have the person, they have to have faith that you are going to. Turn it around and and, and win again. Yeah, exactly. And follow the game. Now, now in their defense, though, a lot of people don't turn it around. A lot of the people go broke uh, and and never that turn it around. True. So, so 
uh, it also depends on your history with it. And, and again, I was fortunate in that by the time I was with a girl I was with, it, that she, she, I already had a, a track record that I could point to for eight years before that, so she didn't have to worry. But I, it, it can be hard. It can be hard, and I, I can see how that can happen. So, well, but, and it's it's tough. Like I mean, people are used to they go to work. And they come back with more money than they left with, right? You know, right. you build up hours and you get paid every week. So in fairness uh, to her, like, unless you are really into poker and you understand it, the concept of coming home with less money when you go to work is <laughs> a really weird one. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah, a really kind of weird thing. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've had those feelings myself. I've had it like, I think, crap, you know. I had a lot more money last week than I do right now. That's I wish I could just erase the last week. I'll, I'll think of that sometimes. That it's so weird because people working a normal job, they don't have to say that. So, okay. About uh, Tasty Steaks. So what, what percentage do you sell of yourself uh, on Tasty Steaks? Um, I, for, so for 2016, I ended up selling about 78% of my action. Okay. And, and what markup were you charging? No markup. Oh, no markup. Because, oh, okay. be, no, because because uh, because I and I feel that I I should probably do the same for this year unless I get like a big result uh, from one of the one of the tournaments. Uh, because because I feel that 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 uh, I I I feel that I'm a decent poker player that to make to make the investors uh, profitable if I if they were to do it at one point no markup. Uh, but I'm not. I don't feel like I'm the elite talent. You know, I'm not like. Take the halts, yeah, like well, Campbell. You know, so yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Let me uh, see. I struggle with the same question, but let me tell you something here. Um, you have to balance, I think, between what people will pay and and what you think is right, what you feel comfortable doing. I see people who are well known in poker but aren't necessarily that good, or even sometimes just pretty girls who are just liked mm-hmm. in poker because there aren't all that many pretty girls in poker. And, and yeah. they, they will sell themselves at like 1.4, 1.5, you know, 40, 50% markup. <laughs> and I just, I just laugh yeah. at that, but, but, they, but they sell because, because of who right. they are. Now, if the average Joe puts themselves up at 1.4, 1.5, they won't sell. But, but someone who's known or someone who, uh, you know, is a pretty girl, whatever, they will sell. So, um, I think. Well, give him credit, Druff. No, no, I, I do. I, I give, I give he, you a lot of credit. He could have, he could have leveraged his fame and tried to gouge people, but he didn't. But, but I'm so saying. I, th- props, right? I, I, I do, but I think maybe he's going too much the other way to where because he, uh, he did, he, you do have expenses, and that's that has to be yeah. considered too. That you you know you have to pay for a hotel there and food, and and, and you have to take your time to play. And uh, so I I think that of course you can it's up to you what you want to do. But I think if you charge a low markup like like yeah. like ten percent, fifteen percent, people will very easily pay it because the the standard what the, kind of the average what I see people charging is twenty. And then uh, if it's below 20%, people tend to see it as kind of low, like, oh, wow, it's less than 20. And if it's above 20, then people start to question and say, hey, this is kind of high. So uh, I agree, like, to gouge people is, is kind of crappy. And you know, Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, people know me, so I'm going to charge 1.4. I, I can see how you'd feel uncomfortable. I'd feel uncomfortable. Like, I, I could get more than 1.2 also myself, but I don't feel comfortable. I don't I don't feel that the one point more than 1.2 would be fair to people. Uh, so so I, I totally get where you're coming from. But maybe you should think of uh, – charging a little more just because it is your time and you have some expenses and uh i don't think people yeah, see it as you yeah, I, I think i think 1.2 sounds fair i i, I have a, i know a friend that is a professional poker player in vegas he i won't review the, the person but but uh but he, he charges 1.2 and then he always sells out yeah. so yeah i i think i think it feels uh that feels about right yeah yes. so i have i have the stats 
oh. um, from Tasty Steaks in terms of like people who have registered there. Yeah. And it's a little bit skewed because some people use it um, just as an organizational tool and they don't even make their package public, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but so the majority of people charge no markup. But again, I think a lot of that is people that are just doing it for organizational purposes, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, the second most popular, let's just consider it the most popular because let's rule that one out because I think a lot of that is just people organizing their own package. By far, the most popular markup is 1.2. Um, yeah. And then after that, 1.1, and those are probably amateurs that are just trying to cover their expenses. And then and then after that, it goes 1.3, 1.25, 1.15. Yeah. So those are those are the rankings in terms of, what markup people are charging. And I agree with Druff, man. Like, I think you should charge something. Okay. Um, you know, 1.2 is fine. One yeah. point, if, if you want to be like, okay, I know you don't think I'm a professional poker player, so I'm going to charge a little less, then you could do 1.15, you know? But, but yeah, something, because you have expect- I, can, I can justify, because, because yeah. I'm actually, even though I only play a few tournaments, I actually get pretty darn, darn good results. Right. I haven't gotten a big score, but I've been making final tables. I got like 20th recently in one of the, the big ones. So yeah. And yeah. Not, not only that, people aren't, for, for 1.15 or something, and no one's going to question it because that's, that's considered a low markup. So the people know you have expenses. They know there's a reason you're selling it there. The, the main people who charge no markup are the complete unknowns who nobody's going to buy at any markup because they're going to go, who's this guy? Why should I buy him? He doesn't have any results. Right, they're that's they're, true, they're that's just true. happy to play. They're, they're thrilled if they can just get in even and play. But if there's, yeah. any re- if there's any reason people would buy pieces of you, either because you have a lot of tournament results, you're a known name in poker, you're a known name outside of poker as you are, uh, then you, markup, it's, and it's totally fair because you really do have expenses. And, yeah, I do. I do. And, and, is that very significant? Yeah. And I'll tell you, there is there is an entertainment value to these people that they're getting to buy pieces of a known person ra- rather than just a, a professional poker player. There's a, a professional poker player who's who's known to the general public, and they can even tell their friends, "Hey, you know, the World Series of Poker, William Hung. I have a piece of his his action. It, it, it's fun yeah, to sell yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, I like it. Okay. Yeah, so well, I, that's that's why a lot of people do it, right? I mean, people will buy pieces either. But basically for three reasons, and often it's a combination of these strengths. So one is if it's a friend of theirs, right? Another is if it's a, a known person and they want to be like, oh, you know, I got a piece of this, this person, um, and I want to have a sweat. I mean, that's half the reason why people sports bet, right, is they want to sweat right. whenever they're watching it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other reason is uh, to make money, right? So and it's yeah. usually a combination of all those three things. and. All those three combined, like yeah, man, charge charge one two or whatever you're or, comfortable with. Or one, you know? one, okay, one point fifteen, yeah, okay. So, do people still recognize you a lot at, at, in the poker rooms and approach you? Does it still happen a whole lot? Uh, from time to time, but usually at least once or twice, or even three times a day. Okay, well that's that's still that's still a lot. And uh, at, did you have people at the table trying to get you to sing "She Bangs" at the table? Do you ever get that? Uh, yeah, so occasionally, but I don't feel I don't feel right doing it. So, so I I don't I never do it at the tables. I only I I I, I would just say I I usually only perform on stage or you know at events. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> William, be be honest. It's got to get 
kind of fucking annoying sometimes, right? Yeah. But like if you let's say you're you're in the poker room yeah. and you're kind of sick and or you're in a bad mood and you're getting your ass pounded at the table or whatever, and someone's right. like, "Oh, William, oh, I remember you. You're that that goofy guy. Can you sing She Bangs for me?" Yeah. I mean, at some yeah, point, I don't feel right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at some, I think you're a better man than I because at some, I would just be telling people to fuck off. That's a good know? point. That's a great point because yeah, like when you're in poker and you're losing and you just took bad beats and you're having a bad day there the last thing you feel like doing is is engaging people who who just want to talk to someone because they they recognize you as a as a celebrity or whatever like you just want to be left alone and, and most people get to be left alone and and that's the one problem with with being known is that and you know, yeah. people go up and go oh look who it is and you're like oh i just want to be <laughs> i just want to be by myself right now i just lost three thousand dollars you know like so. yeah I- Right. Be honest. There, there have to be some times when you just in your head you just be like, "Oh Jesus Christ, go away!" <laughs> right? Yeah, you, of course. You got to be. You got to be. But, but I feel as a public figure in the long term longevity and whatnot, I still yeah. feel like it's it's good to be polite to everybody. Oh, it is. Right? It, it is. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want people going back and like, "Oh yeah, I met William Hung. He was a total dick to me." Yeah, especially, yeah. especially right, right. I don't want that. No. Especially <laughs> these days with with social media and with Reddit, you know, that you you don't want those stories out there that that uh no, oh, yeah, William Hung, he seems like a he seems like a nice fun loving guy on TV, but in person what a dick. You should hear what happened and you know, then maybe someone records that uh, that's the last thing you want. So I I agree, you kind of just have to put up with it and do it and that's just kind of you know, it's, it's kind of the price of fame, but then there's there's the good parts of fame too and uh that's uh, yeah. Whatever it is, that's 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 your situation there. But but I I, th- I definitely think one thing that'll really it's really help going to help you with with people buying pieces of you in in events if you want to sell them, not just the yeah. World Series. I think they should greatly help or having that existing notoriety. And that's that's a great strength you have coming in uh, mm-hmm. into, with, with poker here. Okay, cool. So. Anyway, uh, um, is there anything you want to plug that you're doing? Uh, you want people to check out anything like that? You got a website? Yes, my website is wilhung.com, wilhung.com. Uh, I, I'm actually most active on Facebook, uh, sometimes Instagram and Twitter, but usually just Facebook. That's my primary way to, to, uh, I do a lot of like Facebook lives. I talk about like things like lessons I learned from poker tables, how you can apply them to your own life. So yeah, I, I would, uh, you could just find me. I'm the guy wearing the crimson suit. Uh, so to, because there's a lot of imposters out there. Oh, there's, 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 wait, there's fake yous out there? There's fake yous oh, on Facebook? Yes, oh, yes. No, no. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Oh, my God. What the hell? You, you, can, re- you, know, you can report uh, them. Have you, tried, have you tried reporting them? You can get rid of them. I know it's a pain, but you can, you can get rid of them. Yeah. Can you imagine, Druff, the girl that, that goes home with the guy that she thought was William Hung? She's like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> I guess I'll go home with this guy. I think he's William Hung. She yep. wakes up the next day after having sex with him, and she's like, "I've been scammed. That's a fake William Hung." <laughs> no, that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. No. Actually, that, oh, I'll be just correction. So I, I don't. I, I I changed my profile picture recently, so it's not the one with the crimson suit. Uh-oh, it yeah. is the one with with uh, like a red red uh, dark red shirt with like a lot of Christmas poker chips. So that's the right one. Yeah, and he's he's in the real grinders group, by the way. That's how I found him. He he, he appeared. Uh, one of the mods, in real grinders, met him, and yeah. and then uh, she brought him into the group. And he's actually been posting there. Like I, at first, when William Hung showed up, I said like, okay, I wonder if she just added him, and then he's going to be like one of the inactive members. He he's actually been posting there. In fact, you posted about uh, the Super Bowl. You want to bet on the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, now, now, William, I'm having a memory, and it could be wrong, but didn't you? Um, weren't you on with a buddy of mine, David Tuckman, during a broadcast at the one of these events at WSOP yes. or something? Yes, you were, right? Was, uh, yeah, it was a WSOP seniors uh, event, final table. Yes. Yeah, I knew I, I knew I had a vague memory of that. The seniors yeah. event. That's, that's kind of a weird run for him to announce. How, how did they pick you for the seniors event? Uh, it, it, I I I think that uh, so is I met Dave. I know David Tuckman uh, because I played with him in some of the ter- bigger tournaments in LA. Yeah, uh, and he's then, a great he's a great guy, right? He's a great guy. Uh, yeah. I, I I also have relationship with Crush Life Poker because I because I'm a, I'm a subscriber. Oh really? That's, that's, well, that's William. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> William. Yeah, William. We got another yeah. connection. Another, I'm the one that built that site, man. No way. You yeah, are? Like, well, many, many years ago. Obviously, oh. I, I'm just talking from a technical perspective. Obviously, yeah. Bart does all the, the right. training and shit. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of connection here between you two. And in fact, Bart listens to the show sometimes. We've had him on here many times. So there's a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of connections yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, so, okay. So, so how do they pick you for the seniors event? Because you're, you're like 35 now. So you're not, even, <laughs> you're not even close to a senior. Like, with, it was like a special guest because I was there for the World Series uh, main event back then. Okay, so they just—that's they, what they were doing, and then they said, "Hey, did they did they invite you, or did you contact them?" No, they invite me. Uh, it, like a like a like a like a like a special guest because um, I busted from the main event, so that's why. Okay, so yeah, it's some showrunner was just like, "Hey, William Hung's here. Let's have him on." And Tuckman's <laughs> just like, "Man, sounds good. I know that guy. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm sure that's what happened. You know, yeah." Interesting. Well, I, I'm just shocked at how many uh, connections that the two of you have here. I, I, I didn't expect that at all. I just I, I asked Calwati, do you want to be on this interview? And he said yes, and I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. You never know, Drew. Maybe I'm his new girlfriend. Ah, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, William, th- thank you very much for coming on here. I, I think people learned a lot about you, and I, I hope that the poker career goes well. It's, it could be tough. It's, it's a, a trying thing. It tries your patience. It, uh, there's a lot, a lot of uh, good times and bad times. And uh, yep, you know, I've I've been through it all. And uh, you know, a lot of people they they try it and they don't make it. And uh, but I, I hope it works out for you. And I, I think you've got a responsible approach, at least, though, that you don't want to leave the job until you can uh, get a score down and, and see that you're winning consistently and everything. You don't want to uh, toss that away. So that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's a good approach. And uh, maybe, maybe I'll see you at the world series because uh, I, I'm going to play, I play a lot of limited events, but uh, I'm gonna, I play no limited events too. And I'm going to play the main. Are you playing the main this year? Uh, I re- I want to get the package up uh, running as soon as possible. And, and uh, if I get reasonable number of uh, reasonable investors, then yeah, I will. I oh, don't yeah. want to put up all my mo- own money, but I really want to play. Yeah, well, I'm, that's I'm, that's I, on my to-do list. I need to update Tasty Steaks to have all the WSOP tournaments. I've had people bitching at me, so <laughs> I might get that up soon. I'll get it up soon. No, I think you're going to get it. I, in fact, I'll, I'll even mention it on my site because you know the if you look at the main event – uh, before the markup, each p- each percentage is just a hundred dollars. So you know, even if you charge fifteen yeah. percent markup or something, you know, it's one hundred fifteen dollars to have a percent. Right, right, you get right. you get a hundred right. people doing that, that 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 the whole thing sold. So that's not a lot of people. I'm I'm sure you can sell whatever you want to sell of that. So uh, well, that's uh, you know, good luck there. I, maybe I'll see you there. And uh, the the only the only thing I will not say good luck for is if you're against me in a hand, I will not root for you. 
then then I'm gonna, <laughs> then, then I'm going to hope you lose, and I'm going to try to beat you. But other than yeah. that, uh, I, I hope to see you succeed here, and uh, uh, I'm glad you came on the show, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Hey, seems like a nice, grounded guy. Yeah. I like him. Yeah, he did. He seemed like. Uh, hey, wait, let's give him credit. We didn't hear any stories about him getting caught with a bunch of hookers or blow or any crazy shit like that. That's true. Know? It's been 15 years, so the stuff would have come out by then. I mean, the, the two divorces—that's uh, tough. But uh, you know, a lot of people get divorced. I don't know the situation with those. But uh, yeah, I, I wondered. So you get this degree of fame, and a lot of people know who you are, and that, that always translates to women being interested in you, always. Like, I, I've known people who've mm-hmm. been on, like, uh, broadcast radio, not shows like this, but broadcast radio and big cities with a big following. They've, one guy said, uh, the second you put your lips on that microphone, you become a 10 in, the, in a lot of women's eyes. And, mm. and there was a guy, like, he's admitting, hey, you know, I'm ugly. I mean, the guy's going on yeah. about how ugly he is. But he's like, the second he had a high-profile radio job, all these really hot girls wanted to sleep with him. And right. and then uh, when he basically lost his radio career and, and, and some years had passed, then it got a lot tougher. So uh, when you get that degree of fame, no matter who you are, then that's going to happen. And then sometimes – if that leads to a marriage or a relationship, it ends up not being that healthy. I wonder if that's what happened there. I didn't want to push it too much on that. but uh, yeah. Well, it's like Doyle Brunson, right? Where he's just like, I'm the best-looking guy in the room. He puts a big old stack of hundreds on his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? It's the same thing with fame, right? Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it's it weird. Is. It's weird, but that's the way it is. You know? Yeah, I think some people, they, just, they want to feel like they are not – a nobody. They, they want if they're connected mm. to somebody who's well known. If they can say I'm connected to this person, and uh, then then by extension they start to be uh, a somebody too. And, and they're called star fuckers, bro. Yeah, and that's that's, that's, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what yeah, they're called. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> psychology of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, uh, but it's it, that part had to be a little bit tough. I mean, like in some ways it's good. Like as far as just getting laid, I'm sure that's great. As far as like relationships, it can be tough because then you've got to constantly evaluate why does this person want to be with me? Why does this person have an interest in me? And uh, I, I used to even take this approach in in, in Vegas in the two thousands when poker was a lot bigger, uh, and, and I was dating. I, I would actually cover up at first uh, who I was or or what I did because I was I didn't want that being a factor. And uh, and I was just you know C list poker player at best, so you know to be William Hung or someone that just most people know or a lot of people know, then you're you're going to have that. So, but anyway, I, I I liked him on this interview. Came off as a the friendly guy, and uh, you know I told I told my girlfriend who actually was a she watched American Idol a lot, and she when I told her that we're having her on here we're having him on here. She's like, oh, you're you're, you're going to be nice, right? <laughs> she was worried we were going to be uh, uh, derisive in some way. I said, no, 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 no. I said, it'll be a friendly interview. We're he's a, he's a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> there's no reason, there's no reason not to be nice here. I mean, it's a uh, people have whatever opinion they want on on his talent or whatever. But look, I mean, imagine you're just some dude, and this just falls in your lap where you're like, okay, I'm on this competition, and they picked me. Maybe they're goofing on me, but I don't know. Whatever. Who the fuck cares? 
I, I was a nobody, and now I got this. Like, sure as shit, I'm going to ride that out. Record contract? Yes. Sign me up. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? I know someone every, for, every single person would do that. I know someone know? very well who does it. Ken Scaler, that's what he did to be on these TV shows, where he, he would go on these dating shows, and he knew he wasn't the best-looking guy on these dating shows. He knew, he knew that they were putting him on there as, as the gimmick character, but he didn't care. He, he wanted to get on there. He wanted to be on TV, and, uh, and he, he would just keep taking those, and he didn't care what the reason was they had him on there. So it's kind of the same thing here. So and and he yeah, he made use of it. He even got a record contract out of it. So yeah, good for him. And uh, yeah, well, as soon as the way I we got him here was that uh, it was uh, Jackie Wesley, who's a mod on uh, Real Grinders, met him in a card room and took a picture with him, and then invited him to Real Grinders. And once I saw he was, like, really posting there, I messaged him. I just said, hey, would you like to come on Poker Fraud Alert Radio? And he said, okay. So <laughs> here we are. I don't usually do many interviews. And, in fact, I find the whole thing with getting people for interviews to be kind of stressful because you get a lot of flake outs. You get a lot of people who say, oh, they will, and then they won't nail down a time. You get people that – you get the awkward exchange of the ones who don't really want to come on. They start making excuses, but then, like, they'll say, oh, well, I'm not really up that late. Oh, we can do it earlier. Oh, well, I can't. Like, they, they just don't want to do it, but they don't want to admit it. So then we've got to have that conversation. Like, I'm not insulted. Just say, just say I don't want to come on. Yeah. So so there's just – and there's a lot of reasons people don't want to be on shows. Sometimes it's uh, – uh, they just don't like being on shows like this or show, any kind of show. Sometimes it's just kind of shyness or – performance anxiety or whatever. Some people, they're, they're kind of intimidated by the name of this show. They feel like it's Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I'm going to be grilling them. And I'll try to say, look, it's a friendly interview. We're not going to go around. But, uh, you know, there's some people have some apprehension about it if they don't know me very well. And uh, well, a lot of them are worried that you're going to stalk them on Facebook, I think. <laughs> well, I try to get across to them that it's going to be friendly, you know, provided it's going to be, which it usually is. And, and I also I have an appreciation that if someone's willing to come on, that unless we have an existing beef or something and we're, and we're actually having the person on to fight it out with me, it, unless it's that situation, that if somebody wants to come on, that uh, they don't have to. So I, I have to have some degree of civility, even if it's someone I've criticized before. And I, I'm not going to be totally phony, but I, I have to have some degree of civility because they don't have to come on. They're, they're, they're willing to come on, and I've got to at least respect that part. So uh, I actually try to be nice on these interviews for the most part. We, we don't have them too often, and I also, I think sometimes interviews get overdone on uh, these poker shows. They, some poker shows get too over-reliant on it, and I, I, to have someone on here, I want them to have something interesting or relevant to say. I, I, I want to think, like, if I was a listener, would I want to hear this? But I thought with William Hung ago, people are going to want to hear this, so... Uh, so we, we only, you only if, if you think about it in poker, you don't have that many people who were no, well known outside of poker that are regular poker players. You have some who play the main event just because they enjoy it. People like uh, you know, Brad Garrett or Ray Romano or uh, Jason Alexander. What about like James Woods? Yeah, Jason James Woods is one of them. Yeah, he's one of the, he's one of the regularly plays that's well known outside of poker. Yeah, but there aren't that many. Yeah, no, I agree. So, and by the way, James Woods, despite uh, you know, a lot of people don't like him on Twitter because he's very opinionated, but I will say I played with him at uh, the, the very first hand I played in the 2018 World Series. The very, very first hand I sat down for, I played against him. And 
then he was at the table with me for a while, and he was very nice to everybody. First of all, he didn't act, he wasn't arrogant at all, he didn't act like a celebrity, he just acted like a, just another guy at the table, and he was very accommodating with people who wanted to take pictures with him and sign autographs, he, he, he was very, very accommodating to everybody, so he was very, very pleasant to everyone. And, and something else I, th- I thought was nice, I mean, he actually put a, an effort out to help people with uh, during the fires in, in L.A., mm. and he, he even saved uh, Alyssa Milano's horses, would you believe? Oh my God! <laughs> I thought it was a joke, like because I know he and Alyssa Milano disagree very much politically. Like she, she's a huge Trump hater, and a, a, you know she's very liberal, and he's very conservative. So I see on his feet, like, well, now I see Alyssa Milano's horses are safe. So I, I thought he was being sarcastic, but then I went back and looked. No, he he actually helped get them saved by uh, putting out the situation, and then someone came over and rescued them, or something like that. So it was it was. He actually made it happen, so he wasn't joking. He really did save Alyssa Milano's horses, but he he, he was doing he was he was tweeting a lot of things out to help people during the fire, which I thought was uh, was nice of him. So anyway, uh, that's the. I met him too. He seemed like a nice, normal guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Was, was, I never know what to get with the celebrities at the table because sometimes I I I, I just kind of picture at first that they're gonna act arrogant or act like they're above everybody. But I haven't really run into that yet. I really haven't run into that where the, the arrogant people I've encountered at the table are usually the ones that shouldn't be. <laughs> and uh, the There's no shortage of those, let yeah, me tell you. Yeah. I mean, There's no shortage of, of scrubs that have accomplished nothing in their life outside of playing poker that are just arrogant douchebags. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I think maybe that's why I've expected that before. You know, I, I remember I played also with uh, Sam Simon, who I know, you know from The Simpsons, I know he wasn't an actor, but he was, you know, that guy was super, super rich and very, very successful because of the, uh, how well The Simpsons did. And he was also married to Jennifer Tilly for many years. That's why she has all the money she has, by the way. So she, she would have had, you know, decent money from the acting she did, but the, she is super rich because she was married to Sam Simon for like over 20 years, and I, and I don't believe they had a prenuptial agreement. And he made a fortune. And she, I think she married him just as The Simpsons was, was starting. And, so you can imagine how much she got out of this. Now he 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 ran bad. He's he died of uh, I think pancreatic cancer at a young age. But uh, he he was at the table and and he was just if he didn't know who he was, it'd just be like some guy in his fifties at the table. You had no idea, and he didn't even talk much. And then he, I remember he took a really bad beat to go out. Uh, it wasn't that close to the money. It's kind of late day one or something. He took a really bad beat and was knocked out. As he walks away, one guy goes, oh, man, I feel really bad for that guy. And I go, no, you shouldn't feel too bad. Once you find out what money he has. That was before I knew he had the cancer. That, that you have to feel bad for the guy. It doesn't matter how, how rich you are. If, you've, uh, if you have terminal cancer, it doesn't matter. You, you, tr- you trade with the poorest person in the world who's healthy. Anyway. I got a dog here that needs me to walk her. Yeah, okay. Well, if you're done with the dog walk and you still have the energy to continue with the show, then we'd be happy to have you back. Otherwise, I understand. If, All right. If you're, if we, always, we always enjoy having you here. Always enjoy. Yeah, having no, you. I, I appreciate it. It's been uh, been a little tough for me to get back on because it wasn't like when it's a regular schedule and I know when it's going to be. I can try to plan for it. Um, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah, I'm we're going back to the regular schedule starting again. I'm going to try to keep to it, and uh, and and I'll try to even start a little bit earlier to uh, hopefully get you there. There's people I've had people telling me they really miss Cal Watt on the show. And, oh, and, and, that's and I, so nice. Guys. And I can feel it too. I can feel it. I go, it's just not quite the same. 
mm. without Calwa here. I got I got used to you here. You're not just the guest host who, who's fewer dick jokes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there, there's there's some people who criticize that, but you can't please everybody. Yeah. Okay. Know. Well, have fun walking the dog, and and I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll see you in a bit. Hopefully. Well, what what happened there? Is hopefully he actually hits the hang up button <laughs> before before he's done with his last word. That dog must have been like bending down into the crapping position, and he must have just made a beeline for the door. Well, I hope Calwater comes back. Uh, it is after one a.m., so it won't surprise me if I get that message from him saying, "Ah, I'm just going to turn in." I just I kind of have that feeling that's what we're going to get. But it's nice to have him back, even for an hour or so. But uh, I enjoyed the interview with William Hung. Seems like a nice guy, and uh, I'm glad I had Calwat here. I had no idea they had all those connections. That's insane. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to Elie Ezra. That's a big story. In fact, it would have been what we opened with first, but I didn't uh, want to keep William Hung up too late and also uh, possibly have him not answer the phone. But the Elia Lezra thing is getting bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier. And this guy has just got to be regretting that he ever agreed to have that book that he wrote a few years ago translated into English and then published by 2 Plus 2. Because that started a whole chain reaction which has ruined his reputation and brought out a lot of people that he owes money to. When everyone prior to this kind of accepted their fate, everyone quietly suffered in silence. And it reminds me a little bit, though a completely different subject, of the Me Too movement in 2017 when one woman came out publicly about Harvey Weinstein and all of a sudden... All of these women came forward about how awful he had been for all these years to them, and his reputation was forever ruined. So it, was, it was the power of a group coming together to call someone out who had gotten away with what they were doing for many years. This is happening now to Elia Lezra in a different way, not in a sexual harassment way, but in a bad debt and scamming way. So you probably remember last week that Elia Lezra had started a thread on 2 Plus 2. And once again, like I said last week, he's not a forum guy. He's not a poster of forums. In fact, he'd never used a forum in his life. But he started this thread at the suggestion of Mason Malmuth. In fact, I think Mason probably started the thread for him in the office. I know they were in the office together when this started. And Mason actually suggested that Elie Lezer do this to promote his book to the 2 plus 2 public. Elie had written a book a few years ago about his life, and it was in Hebrew. The blogger Robbie Straczynski, who runs the Card Player Lifestyle blog, suggested that they translate it to English, and Robbie Straczynski speaks both Hebrew and English. So he translated it for Ellie, and they approached 2 Plus 2. Hey, do you want to publish this book? And uh, 2 Plus 2, and we went over this last week, and I was briefly telling you to catch you up. 2 Plus 2 said, well, we got to look into this. We'll, we'll get back to you. Either they had heard something about him owing money, or something where they wanted to check something out first. So 
Mason Malmuth and David Skolansky attempted to find out, does Elia Lezer really owe people a bunch of money? And if so, we don't really want to touch him. But if that's all okay now, then fine. So they had heard something about Sean Deeb because it had been posted on the 2 Plus 2 forums back in 2016. So instead of contacting Sean Deeb directly, they went to third parties, like one or two third parties, and said, hey, um, do you know if Elia Lezra owes money to Sean Deeb? And the people are like, well, uh, I think that's been settled. Oh, okay, good enough for me. <laughs> so then they agreed to publish the book, and that was the beginning of the fiasco. I don't know why they didn't get a hold of Sean Deeb himself and say, hey, Sean, does Elia Lezra still owe you money? Very simple, very easy, but for whatever reason, they didn't do that. And so began the problem. So they started the Ask Me Anything. Didn't take long for someone to ask, hey, Ellie, I heard you owe money. Ellie responded, I pay all my debts. He didn't go into detail, but he said that a few times on the forum when people asked him about owing money. And everything seemed to be going fairly well. People were enjoying the thread. People were getting excited about the book, which in fact had already been released on Amazon. People who were outside of 2 Plus 2 were then promoting it on Twitter. That is the thread, not the book, because they thought it was interesting. Hey, you know, go ask Elia Leisure anything. How, you know, how often do you get to do that since he doesn't post on forums or Reddit or anything else? Everything was going well until Cole South showed up and stated that Elia Lezer borrowed $100,000 from him in 2010 and that after a lot of scratching and clawing, he got 60 of it back, but that since 2011, which we're now going on about seven and a half years, since mid-2011, Elliot Lezra has not only refused to pay him the $40,000, but he has ghosted him and refused to answer any of his texts or phone calls. Uh-oh. Then Elia Lezra exited stage left from the thread and was gone. And that seemed to be that. But then people got on Mason Mountain's case saying, hey, why, why are you still publishing this book? And why didn't you do better due diligence about this guy? And there was a whole controversy about that. Then there was some stuff going on behind the scenes. Ellie was angry that Mason had essentially uh, led him into the lion's den. And Mason said back, look, we, we warned you there may be some questions you don't like, you're not going to like. And Ellie's like, yeah, but I, I didn't expect it to go this far. And I, I, as much as I don't like Mason, that part's not his fault. I mean, it's not Mason's fault that Ellie Lezra is a scumbag who owes money and ignores people who request it. I mean, when you agree to, quote, ask me anything and you have skeletons in your closet, you can't get mad when those skeletons are unearthed. Uh, Mason was stupid to not do more due diligence when he had already suspected from a threat on his own forum that Ellie owed money. So to just take the word of a third party who doesn't even know the situation too well was pretty dumb. Well, we discussed all that last week, and that's where it stood. There was one character who kept posting over and over in the thread under different screen names, and that was a guy who went under various screen names. One of them was Private World, going way back, uh, not way back, but back a few years, who claimed to be a high-stakes poker player, wouldn't identify himself, had a very strange writing style, 
Some people thought it was a legitimate high-stakes player, and some thought it was just someone impersonating a high-stakes player. Some thought it was a troll. So Private World, who had been banned a while before, uh, made a reappearance as Private Time and then other various names and kept getting banned. And that annoyed some people because Private Time kept saying things like that Abe Masseri is owed a lot of money. And that, in fact, Ellie had a shout fest back and forth at one point. In fact, it uh, almost, I think, was almost attacked by Abe Masseri's wife over a large sum of money that was supposedly owed and that Ellie was dodging. And Private Time had a lot of other accusations about Ellie owing a lot of people money. But the 2 plus 2 mods kept banning the account and saying that it's not going to be allowed because they don't believe it to be real. They think it's a troll, it won't identify itself, so it's not going to be able to post here. But they kept just making account after account after account. Then an Abe Mosseri account appeared and stated that Ellie owed him a lot of money. Something like a million dollars. But then the 2 plus 2 admins went to verify this and found out, I'm not sure how, that it was not really Abe Mosseri, so they banned that account too. It was probably the same guy who was operating the private time account. So that was where it stood. But there's been a lot of action since then. A lot of action. Well, first of all, Mason convinced Elia Lezra to make a statement. He said to Ellie, look, this isn't going to go away. Ignoring it just makes it worse. You've got to make some kind of statement. If you don't answer to these accusations, then the rumor train just gets out of control. And what ends up happening is anything that you're accused of, people assume that you're guilty of because Cole South was pretty convincing. And now any other accusation, whether true or not, will also be believed. That's that's basically what Mason said to him behind closed doors. And he convinced Ellie to come out and make a statement. Ellie says, look, I want to deal with this in private. I I, I don't want to do this. And he's like, look, it's, it's already been made public. You, you I, I can't force you to answer to this, but I really suggest you do. Mason also was a bit self-serving asking for this because he was looking bad. In fact, by his own admission, this entire situation harmed 2 plus 2's reputation and Mason's own reputation. So Mason really wanted Ellie to reappear and face this. Mason obviously was not responsible for Ellie cheating anyone. That, in fact, predated anything with the book. But Mason was now publishing an autobiography about Ellie Lesra that, uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's an autobiography or biography, whatever it was. He published this book about Ellie Lezra's life, which clearly either had lies or omissions regarding owing all that money, which is a pretty big part of the story, a pretty big thing to leave out. Even if, even if he didn't directly lie in the book, if your poker career was marred by tons of very large loans that you were not repaying and dodging people and kept taking more loans without those people knowing that you owe the other money, that's a pretty big thing to leave out in a book where you're, which is like a frank tell-all about your life. So Mason really wanted him to face this. Well, Ellie finally faced it. He faced this yesterday at uh, early in the day. So we're talking about Tuesday early in the day. And this is what Ellie wrote. It was a new thread. There's been so many threads on this already. There was the original Ask Me Anything thread, which got 
deleted at one point when Mason and David Skolansky, when, when they attempted to cover the whole thing up. They weren't trying to cover it like it didn't happen, but they wanted to remove it to remove the most damaging stuff and then just allow people to keep talking about it. But this way you remove all of Ellie's comments and and Cole's comments. So they started a new thread. There was a huge backlash over deleting the old thread. So they put it back. But by then there was already that second thread, so they kept the first one locked but accessible when they undeleted it. Then there was a second thread, which is the new Ellie Lezra book thread. And then there was a new thread created called Statement from Ellie Lezra. And this was posted on Ellie Lezra's account. Now, I want to preface this by telling you that this statement was not directly written by Ellie. It was probably written by Robbie Straczynski, if not him, some other person who speaks English well. Ellie writes English very poorly. We could see that from the text that we saw from Cole South that he posted where the it was really very, very, very broken English with tons of really, really bad misspellings. Like honestly, my, my eight year old son Benjamin can write much better than Ellie Elezra can in English. I'm not knocking Ellie for this because this is not his first language. You'd think for all the time he's been in the country that he would write uh, really well. Uh, I don't know if I've said this before. My father is not from this country. But you'd never be able to tell from the way he writes. He writes just like a native English speaker. So some people adapt to the culture and language very quickly. Some don't. So this statement was written clearly by an English speaker, not a guy who's a broken English as a second language speaker. And he admits that. But that's something to keep in mind. But this is actually his statement that, yeah, he made some version of this to the person who then typed it up with better spelling and grammar on 2 plus 2. Hi, everybody. I've been doing a lot of thinking about how to respond to what has happened over this past week and a half and what the tone of my response should be. Thank you all, especially Mason, for your patience as I've put a lot of time and thought into the following statement. Poker players, including lots of high-stakes players, borrow and lend money from each other all the time. You know, let me stop right here. I I just realized that uh, I got a message from Trader Ruski that he wants to come on, that he's available. So let's see if I can reach him. Let's see if I can reach him. I got so into this Ellie Lezra thing, I forgot about poor Trader Ruski. It is 1.30 a.m. where he is right now because he's on the East Coast. There you are. There you are. Hello. I I, I forgot to connect you back when I I heard you were available. How's it going there in Florida? It's good. I don't know how much juice I got left because I got an early morning flight tomorrow, but uh, I can go for a little bit. All right. Very good. We're we're talking about Elio Lezer. I'm reading his statement. Yeah, I was listening. Okay. Oh, very good. So let me go on here. Um... So he said, poker players, including a lot of high-stakes players, borrow and lend money from each other all the time. They always have and they always will. The deal and arrangements they make in this regard have always been private, and I believe they will always remain private. It's nobody else's business anyhow. We're already off to a bad start here. That's a terrible start. Now, the beginning is true. High-stakes players and even lower-stakes players, they do borrow money and they do lend money to each other all the time. That's right. The problem is there are certain people who take advantage of this 
and borrow it under false pretenses, acting like they just need it for the moment because they don't have it on them. And you know, they'll pay back tomorrow, within a few days. They, they almost never come to someone in poker and say, hey, I'm broke. I'm totally broke. Can you just lend me money to play? Like that almost never happens. It's always like, hey, you know, I have uh, I have trouble getting money out of the bank right now. They're they're giving me trouble closing the CD, or or I'm having trouble wiring money over to this casino here. I didn't bring enough cash with me. There's always some story like that of why they just need to borrow for the moment. And rarely is it a loan to play poker. Usually, when someone needs money to play poker and admits that they're broke, it becomes a stake. It does not become a loan. So. And also, when uh, when people are asking to borrow money, they very rarely admit that they've already borrowed from others and owe them money too. So usually, you get the pitch of, "Hey, you know, I I I didn't bring enough money to the casino. Can you ship me five thousand dollars here? I, I really I really need it. It's a great game here. I can crush it. I just I just don't want to go home at this point. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get it back to you real soon. I just didn't bring enough. Yeah, yeah, okay, no problem. I trust you. Then you don't get it back because they're broke. If someone approached you and said, hey, I'm flat broke, I owe several people a lot of money, but I think I can win it all back playing poker, and uh, at some point I'll get you, I'll get the money back to you. Would you lend them money? No, even the most gullible person would probably say no. So it's when these things occur, it's almost always through misrepresentation. So it's not just, oh, people loan each other money all the time, sometimes they'll get paid back, oh well. That's not what happened here. That's not whatever happens. And I hate when people try to justify it this way. Of, oh, this just goes on in poker. That's a fact of life. Yeah, it's a crappy fact of life. It's, it's people like you, Ellie, that uh, cause these things to happen. That make it where anybody who asks to temporarily borrow money is under suspicion. I've had it before where I ran out of money I bring to the casino. I'm afraid to ask from anyone because I'm afraid I'm going to be seen in that light. So I don't want to make someone uncomfortable by having them try to assess my financial situation. I just don't bother and go home. He says it's nobody else's business anyhow. Also not true. It's people's business because you may ask others for loans. In fact, you have. You've asked a lot of people for loans when you already owe a lot of money for other loans. So of course it's people's business. People need to know who uh, who they have to watch out for regarding loaning money. So he goes on to write, why would I borrow money? When the global financial crisis hit many years ago, he's referring to 2008, it took a really hard toll on my business. I lost a lot of my personal wealth, but I still wanted to play in high-stakes games. The, quote, right thing to do would have been to drop down in stakes, but I didn't want to, so I borrowed to keep playing those same games. I was like, well, I didn't want to. Okay, Ellie, you didn't want to. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners to this show who are normally low or mid-stakes players, I'm sure a lot of you would want to play high stakes. You can win a lot of money. It can be fun. You can play with a lot of well-known players and brag to your friends about that. Yeah, you may want to, but if you can't afford to do it, you shouldn't do it. That's not a good excuse. At least he admits he should have dropped down. Then going on, he writes, I don't want, or I'm sorry, I don't play for super high stakes anymore. I get plenty of buzz and enjoyment playing for lower stakes. That yeah, couldn't have anything to do with the fact that people won't loan him money anymore. Could that be it? Could that be it? When a poker player decides to lend another poker player money, they do so with the inherent risk that it might not be paid back. 
At no time when I borrowed money did I ever make a promise to pay loans back the next day. During the full tilt days, money flowed like water, and when it came to paying people back, it was never an issue. Stop again. Another very off-putting statement. At no time when I borrowed money did I ever make a promise to pay back the next day. Uh, Come on. We're talking about the difference between the next day and eight and a half years. Nobody's giving Ellie a hard time that he didn't run back the next day with $100,000 to Cole South. We're giving him a hard time that eight and a half years later, that forty k of the debt has been sitting unpaid for seven and a half of those years, that the first sixty k was sent in small pieces at a time with Cole constantly hassling him to get it, and that he just stopped answering Cole when he just didn't want to continue paying. That's not someone expecting repayment the next day unreasonably. Again, do you think he went to Cole and said, hey, I'd like to borrow $100,000. Maybe in eight and a half years, 40% will still be unpaid. Is that okay? Is that cool? You want to take that chance? No, there was no upside to Cole loaning him this money. Now, maybe Cole did it because Ellie was a fish in the game and he was hoping that he'd lose it back and that he'd get paid back. But still, that, that doesn't matter. That's not material at all. All that matters here is that when the money was borrowed, it was borrowed definitely under a pretense that it will be paid back soon. How soon? I don't know. A few weeks would have been fine. Maybe even a few months, though that's kind of crappy. But I I guess if it was a few months, it wouldn't have been that bad. But eight and a half years and 40% is still unpaid? And there's been no payments in seven and a half years? You can't talk about the next day there. You can't say, I never agreed to pay back the next day. There, There hasn't been a single complaint about Ellie that says... He didn't pay me in one day. So why are you answering that? Look, because it's an excuse. When a poker player decides to lend another player money, he writes, they do so with the inherent risk that it may not be paid back. At no time when I borrowed money, I already said that, I already read that part. That's right. I, I skipped over the other part as far as my commentary. When a poker player decides to lend another poker player money, they do so with the inherent risk it may not be paid back. That really bothers me, too. On the surface, that's true. It is true when you loan someone money, you don't have a 100% guarantee that you will get paid back. Yes, you're always taking a risk. Does that mean that gives the borrower a right to stiff the one they borrowed from? No. It's like saying, when I choose to walk down the street at night, there's always the inherent risk that somebody's going to mug me and perhaps kill me. There is. But if somebody mugs me and kills me, that will not be a defense in court that I took the risk by walking down the street at night. So just because someone took some kind of risk doesn't mean that you have the right to commit a crime against them, whether violent or financial. That's BS. Going on, he writes... He writes, almost $2 million is owed to me by poker players to whom I have lent money over the years, but I have never gone public with their names. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice and sensitive of Elia Lezra? It's kind of a backdoor, passive-aggressive slam against Cole South and Sean Deeb. That they've gone public with their debts to him. They're not keeping it private. They're not keeping the code of silence. He's owed $2 million from various people in poker, but he's 
too good of a guy to out them. He's never gone public with their names. Why not? Do it. They screwed you too. I have a feeling I know why he has not gone public. Trader Risky, you you have any guesses at that one? Yeah, because of all this stuff. And since he didn't go public, what other people got damaged because he didn't go public that then lent them money that they haven't got back now? Well, there's that too, but I also think they may not exist. I also think that might be an excuse that he's just – Well, I don't know. I mean I can see it. I can see it that went full tilt money with money going back and forth. Who knows? It's possible, but you think I'm that sure this... Lindgren owed him money. Here, here's my problem. At this point, you'd think that if he had even a semi-plausible explanation, like, well, I expected to get money back from such and such, and you know, this other person and that other person that you know totaled $2 million, and they never paid me, and that totally threw me for a loop, expecting I was going to get that money, and that screwed me with paying other people, that would at least let some people think, okay, you know, this... It doesn't totally let him off for this, but I can understand how that could happen. You'd think that he would name them at this point. So I think there's more to the story. I think that uh, who knows what it is. He could be making it up. He could be exaggerating. Uh, It's possible that he's afraid that if he brings this up, then they have friends who will bring up that he owes even more to them. This isn't a credible statement until he names names. That could be any figure. He could say almost $10 is owed to me. He could say any number. That's not a credible statement unless you want to name who owes you the money and when they owed you the money. That's the only way you can partially use that as an excuse. If, if there's someone I really, really trust that, let's say, owes me $500,000 and I'm convinced they're going to pay me tomorrow and then I borrow 100000 from someone today, Telling them, well, I'm going to be paid 500k back tomorrow, so no problem, I'll get you tomorrow. And then that person who owes me stiffs me. Well, I've still done something stupid because I kind of brought a third person into this, especially if I don't tell the third person why uh, why I'm borrowing. If I just say, oh, I'm going to have 500k tomorrow, and I don't tell them, it's, I have to count on someone else to give it to me. So I, that per- I still wouldn't be perfect in this situation, but at least it's a reasonable explanation of how this could have happened without any kind of malice or shadiness or sneakiness or BS. But unless, but once this becomes the excuse, you have to name the person. Otherwise, you could just be making it up. There's no credibility to it. He goes on to write, I never hide from my debts. Not true. To the best of my knowledge, every person to whom I've had an outstanding debt, I can count them on one hand, has been okay with the arrangements I've made with them to pay back. For the record, this includes Sean Deeb, to whom I still owe some money, and with whom I am on great friendly terms. Well, I'm not sure about what terms he's on with Sean Deeb. I know Sean Deeb told some people about how he was owed money by Ellie. That's why it was posted on 2 Plus 2. I know that Sean Deeb confirmed recently that Ellie owes him money. I do know that Sean Deeb is usually very outspoken, hasn't been chirping about this on Twitter. So for whatever reason, he does want to maintain a good relationship with Ellie. But it's possible Ellie plays in his games and loses money to him. And whatever's owed to him, he doesn't want to alienate Ellie. He'd rather, let's say, uh, let me just make up some numbers. Let's say Ellie owes him uh, $30,000. But let's say every so often Ellie shows up in his game and that he borrows from other people and dumps money into the game. 
Sean D may say, well, okay, he still owes me 30K, but, uh, but I think it's worth more than that to have him keep coming back to the game. So I'm just going to keep quiet about it. That, it. It could be something like that. There's some reason why Sean Deeb's not saying anything, and it's not because he's happy with the payment arrangements. But he said, I never hide from my debts. Yes, you do. You, you didn't answer Cold South's texts for like seven years. Of course that's hiding from your debts. So now he addresses Cold South. He writes, for whatever reason, Cold South felt the need to, to make a public post about a private arrangement. He keeps going back to that private arrangement thing. And I already made it clear in my original response that he had a misunderstanding of the facts. Just a misunderstanding, folks. That's it. He could have contacted me privately or even by private messages here on 2 Plus 2 if he wanted to. Yeah, this is from a guy who doesn't know how to use forums and, and just came onto the forum like two weeks ago. I don't ignore text messages and haven't seen him or gotten a message from him in years. I haven't been hiding anywhere, and it's not hard for anyone who wants to get in touch to find me. And then Cole South, again, posted uh, screenshots of text messages that he had sent that went unanswered to Ellie. So that's just a lie right there. It seems like a lot of the forum posters have tried to make connections between things that are not connected at all. What do public records of court cases, which don't tell the whole story, by the way, have to do at all with my IDF Army days? Well, 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 well. Guess, uh, guess you posted that stuff about the court cases. That was me. I posted about the court cases. This was a court case I, I talked about on the last show with this John Barry who sued a friend of Ellie's, a friend and former business partner, over a very bad car accident in 2006. And that former business partner dumped all of his assets to Ellie and the third partner. So this, this, this way the guy who had the judgment against him could claim to be broke and then wouldn't have to pay the $2.8 million judgment. So then Ellie was sued in what was called a fraudulent transfer, and John Barry won against him. So I don't know how that doesn't tell the whole story, but uh, he's saying, what does that have to do with my IDF Army days? Some people were saying was that if he's lied about all this, who knows if all his stories about uh, being in the Israeli Army are true. He goes on to write, using this platform to try to tear down my reputation affects many people beyond just me. A lot of people worked very hard to make this book happen. If you don't want to buy my book, that's fine. But leaving one-star nasty reviews on Amazon based on forum hearsay without actually reading the book is just plain wrong. Well, okay. That's... I, I have mixed feelings on that one. First of all, if you're caught ripping people off and it ruins your reputation... And then, by extension, it ruins projects that you're doing with others. You can't blame the people who are calling you out for what appears to be very factual accusations. It's your fault for doing these things and then getting caught. That's whose fault it is. It's not the fault of those calling you out. You can't say, oh, you ruined all the hard work others put into the book and they had nothing to do with this. Well, that's your fault. Just because others are involved in the project doesn't mean that uh, your sins are going to be covered up. Now, as far as the one-star reviews, I have mixed feelings about those. People are leaving one-star reviews on Amazon, not about the quality of the book at all. These are people who haven't even read the book, but just about Ellie and the debts. And they're doing that to bring the overall rating of the book down and try to encourage people not to buy the book. I partially think that book reviews should not involve personal opinions of the author 
people who haven't read the book really shouldn't be reviewing it. But on the other hand, uh, they do shed some light that you're going to be reading a biography by someone and about someone who isn't very honest. So maybe you don't want to read it. So that is useful information. If you want to read a book about a, a very interesting sounding guy and all his fascinating life stories, and then you find out the guy is a big liar, maybe you don't want to buy the book. That that actually is relevant. The fact that he owes money by itself is not that relevant to the book, but since it's a biography and since it has to do with stories he tells about his life, if it turns out the guy's a big liar, then yeah – I think it is good that potential buyers of the book know that. I have not left any of these reviews, but I understand why they're being left there. Uh, he writes, I didn't invest years of my life in this project, first in Hebrew, then in English, with a primary goal of making money from the book. Mason chose to share that 2 plus 2 put 20000 into publishing my book. I didn't know that amount until I read his post. He warned me before we signed our contract that the book likely wouldn't make a lot of money because poker books just didn't sell like they used to back in the day. I just wanted my life story to be told, and I'm glad I have a business partner in Mason who feels the same way. Bashing him is misguided, to say the least. Well, not really. Mason knew about your your scamming and your bad debts and chose not to look into it enough and then got himself involved in something he really did not want to be involved in. People make mistakes. I go into great detail in my book about many of the mistakes I've made in my life. I didn't have to, but I chose to. As a matter of fact, many people who know me and who have bought and read the book have come up to me to express their shock at how open and honest I was, and that I didn't need to say as much as I did about a lot of the episodes in my life. For all of the poker glory I have achieved, (laughs) I'm human too. Yeah, He's achieved so much glory, he's borrowing from everybody, not paying back. Uh, That's what telling a life story is all about, Sharing both the ups and the downs. Okay, so that's an interesting point. From what I've read of the actual reviews of the book, he does tell a lot of stories from his life that aren't necessarily positive, including ones about having some financial trouble. So he's saying here, if I'm open in the book that my life wasn't all roses and some mistakes that I've made, then clearly I'm an imperfect person. I admitted that in the book. So why are you all making such a big deal like I've betrayed everybody here? The thing is, with these books, you get to tell your story on your terms. You're choosing what to tell. You're picking the the negative things from your life. You are picking which stories to tell and which ones to hold back. You're picking the way you want to tell them. You're framing them in a way that you know will not make you look terrible. A lot of times when people write stories or write autobiographies and write about bad things they've done, these stories will often be in the distant past. And often what you'll be doing is comparing the person who's writing it today to what he once was 20, 30 years ago and say, okay, he's learned. You know, These were youthful indiscretions or these were mistakes he made before he realized uh, not to be this way anymore. Uh Or sometimes, even if you don't think the person changed that much, the stories are still a while ago. When you're actually hearing from the victim, then it's not so... I'd say it's still interesting, but it's not something you can just 
look at and the person's still charming anymore. When here's an example, you know, you'll have someone telling you about uh, bar fights they got into ten years ago, and you can listen to this and go, "Oh, kind of an interesting guy. Oh, wow, that's that's a that's a crazy story. Wow, you really had some rough times back then, ten years ago." But if some person he beat up really badly, and maybe maybe he's like disabled for life from this bar fight, from some really bad bar fight comes forth and says, hey, you ruined my life with this unnecessary bar fight where you were a drunken jerk and uh, you know, I tried to mediate the situation and you attacked me and now I'm disabled for life. At that point, it's not very uh, interesting anymore. At that point, it's just sad. At that point, you look at the guy who was in the bar fight with some disdain, even though it's been 10 years. So a lot of times it matters who's telling the story, how it's told, how it's framed, And in these books, rarely does someone tell a story to intentionally make themselves look bad or bring themselves down a peg. Uh, They tell the stories more to seem interesting, to seem kind of like a badass, but without making you hate them. But when the victims come forward and tell their story and how they were jerked around and how they were cheated and how they were harmed, then you come away thinking much worse of the villain in the story. Even if it's interesting, even if you enjoy reading it or hearing it, just because you enjoy reading about drama, you still come away thinking bad things about the villain in the story. And that's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. It would be different if he held and asked me anything and said, okay, ask me anything, including about any bad things you know I've done, and I'll be honest about it. And then the person confronts all the accusations. That's at least some refreshing honesty. But here, he wants to control the message. He wants to control who finds out what. It's moving on here. I apologize to anyone who feels personally offended by the mistakes I have made. I'm not perfect, but that's no reason to hold my mistakes over my head for the rest of my life. I'm sorry, Mason, that you had to deal with a lot of the fallout for my silence over this past week and a half. Throughout my life, I have done my best to learn from the mistakes I've made and become a better man. All right. That doesn't matter if you're sorry or if you say you're not perfect. Don't hold it over my head, blah, blah, blah. Those are meaningless statements unless you're doing something to mitigate the damages. If you're doing something to fix the problem, to compensate those affected, that is indicative of someone who wants to make something right. Otherwise, it's empty words. People make mistakes. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. You can't hold this over me my whole life. Okay, well, this is this is monetary, okay? This is monetary. It's also a breach of trust, a big breach of trust. But what do you do when it's monetary? You work as hard as you can to repay everyone, even if it's a bit at a time, even if you're sending each person a little bit of money each week. It adds up quickly. It adds up quickly. To show you how quickly it adds up, if you sent $300 every week, $300, not very much money, every week, then you will have paid... 15600 after a year. After five years, you have paid 
So you could owe someone $78,000 and not have the ability to send more than 300 a week and pay them back within five years. You could, but people don't want to. People who owe money like this, who owe it only because they misled the person that they borrowed from, they don't owe money because uh, something happened that was unfortunate they couldn't control. No, this is owing money where you borrow from someone under false pretenses. And then you chose not to pay them back. You chose to dodge them. You chose to not pay them. You chose to live a lifestyle above what you should be living when you owe all this money. I've always said when you owe this much money, the right thing to do is live a very Spartan lifestyle and use the rest of the money to pay people back. But most of these people with poker debts, they just live the same lifestyle, as, as high of a lifestyle as they can, and whatever money's left over, a little bit left over, or if they hit some big score, then they'll pay a little bit back to those that they owe. They don't make it top priority to pay back that those, those that they ripped off. So if you're not making those efforts, then you're not sorry. It's just empty words. He goes on to write, if anyone out there still wants to believe in baseless accusations against me, <laughs> baseless, there hasn't been one that I've seen yet, uh, or in general be skeptical regarding my life story is true and what my reputation ought to be, that's up to you. All I can tell you is that anyone who's ever played with me, whether they pro or recreational player, whether it's been in a cash game or tournament, knows how passionately I love the game. Well, no one's accusing you of not loving poker. <laughs> that's, a, that's not the issue here. Nobody cares if you love or hate poker. Bottom line is you owe money, and you borrowed money under false pretenses. So pay it back. I will continue to participate for another 48 hours here on 2 Plus 2, and thereafter it's time for me to move on. <laughs> I love that line. It's time for me to move on. It's kind of like a bad relationship, you know? Yeah, you know, we're... we're we're not doing too well here. I think I'm going to give our relationship two more days, and then uh, if things aren't better, I'm just going to move on. I think it's time we split up. You, you can't just move on from ripping people off. Aside from that, I'm at the Aria and Bellagio five days a week, and I'm happy to see any of you and speak to you in person, and of course sign a copy of the book if you've purchased one. Okay, so what about that? Is, is, is that really true? Well, first of all, you have to ask, Where's he getting the money to play at the Arian Bellagio? Hmm. And second, he knows that most of the people on 2 Plus 2 are who, you know, he doesn't owe any money to most of these people, are not going to approach him at the Aria or Bellagio and hassle him about this. It's a, it's a big step to go do that versus just commenting on a forum. And the few that will, okay, you know, he'll give a lot of lies. Okay, I'm making payment arrangements. People don't really understand. Blah, blah, blah. He'll, he'll say that. What can you really say at that point? I mean, yeah, you can argue with him, but it's not really your fight. So he knows it's not going to be – he knows this probably won't happen at all. And if it does, it'll be something – he'll just explain away and that'll be that. It's, it's just kind of an empty I'm facing this claim when he's really not. To address the obvious, yes, I had help writing this statement. I'm not a computer whiz and, of course, not a native English speaker. Finally, and most importantly, my favorite color is purple. Oh, isn't that sweet? He puts in a little uh, joke at the end like he's – telling you about himself kind of yeah, not a big deal but just kind of punctuates the whole thing that he's not taking this that seriously though I, I should say he's taking seriously the hit to his reputation he just isn't taking seriously the 
what he's done and how this is finally coming home to roost. As you can imagine, this was not a statement which went over very well. Most people said that this made him look worse, that he would have been better off with no statement. People took issue with a lot of the lines about how poker players borrow from each other all the time. They never know if they're going to be paid back. That's just a fact of life. Uh, The things I've already brought up here, a lot of people also noticed and really gave him a hard time. Now, here's this is kind of weird. Cole South showed up in the thread on 2 Plus 2 after this. Remember, he mentioned Cole South. And Cole showed up. And, of course, Cole had a lot to say and disputed, again, what Ellie wrote. That there was no misunderstanding, that he clearly was avoiding him. That he was sending him text messages and he wasn't answering them. All of which I believe, by the way. So Cole tore down the part that was about him. Then Ellie responded back that he wanted to talk to Cole privately on the phone and that he'll like what he has to say. So... I thought to myself, I already know what this phone call is going to be about. I, I already knew. Because I've seen this before. Not not from Elia Lezra. But I've seen it before. What I've seen before, when someone is under a microscope for owing money, for ripping people off, for not paying their debts, and when they're taking a lot of heat they feel they have to do something in order to make it look like they're trying to make it right. So what they do, sometimes after an initial fight, they will come to the person or people that they owe money to, act very nice and apologetic, promise to start paying them, and then often actually sent a first payment. Often they will send a first payment. Not very much, you know, some small percentage of what's owed, but they'll send a first payment, sometimes a second, and then they'll vanish. They do that to buy time, they do that to give the appearance that they are trying to take care of it, and often they will ask the person they are paying to then post a statement that they're getting paid. Well, it looks like it worked, even without Cole receiving a dime. This is what Cole South posted yesterday at 4.27 p.m. I do appreciate Ellie reaching out to me today and taking ownership of the situation. We cleared the air over a phone call, and while I haven't received any payments yet, I'm hopeful we're headed in the right direction. I will gladly post an update if and when this is resolved, and I look forward to putting this behind both of us. What caused the issue with me was his answers in the Ask Me Anything. I haven't read Ellie's book. If you've left a negative Amazon review of the book due to reading these threads, please do me a favor and remove it so we can keep the discussion here. Thanks, all. Mm. 
I see how this guy, Cole South, was conned into loaning $100,000 in the first place. Because he was just conned again. So basically, Ellie got on the phone, made up a bunch of BS of why he wasn't answering the text messages, blah, blah, blah. Cole South is not stupid. He knows that he was being dodged. And he still knows that. But Ellie said, look, I'm taking a big hit over this. I didn't expect it to blow up like this. I really was going to pay you someday. I've just got a lot of debts to people. I just just got overwhelmed. I'm just guessing at this, by the way. I wasn't privy to any information about this, but uh, probably something like that. And then he said to Cole, look, I still want to pay you. I will pay you. In fact, I'm going to make you priority one to pay. I'm going to start paying you very, very shortly. But please, 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 my reputation is so, so damaged over this. Can you please go out there and, number one, tell people that I'm going to start paying you. Number two, tell them that we've mostly settled our differences. And number three, please ask them to stop doing this to my book because it's hurting Mason, it's hurting others, it's not fair. So Cole probably said, okay, okay, I see your point. Okay, I'll, I'll ask people to stop screwing with the book. I'll, I'll tell them we're, you know, we, we've worked this out and hopefully I'll be getting the money soon. Okay. So Cole hangs up thinking, okay, well, I better play ball. I better cooperate. Otherwise, I'm not going to get paid. This, this, is, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do to get paid. Even though I know I'm going to be posting things I don't really personally believe, I, I've got to post this and, and hope he pays me. Because if I don't pay, play ball, he won't pay me at all. So he posted this. Problem is he got conned again. Uh, either he's never going to be paid or he'll get one or two small payments and that'll be it. Some have said, no, maybe Cole will get paid now that he's one of the most high-profile victims. And it's only 40000 I disagree. If it was, quote, only 40000 and Ellie could come up with it, then he would have paid him when this first came up a week and a half ago. Then he would have just forked over the money then and said, sorry about that. I don't know. We had some communication issues. For some reason, I didn't get your texts. But here it is. Here's the 40000 that wouldn't have convinced everybody, but a lot of people would have said, okay, well, Cole's paid now. <laughs> Took a long time, but yeah, Ellie did the right thing. The fact that he didn't send them a dime shows you what position Ellie was in. So what if I were in Cole's position? What would I have done on that phone call? I would have said this. I would have said, look... Um, I'm very unhappy with the way this all went down. And I've already explained why. And if, if you're really serious about making this right, then then do so. And, and I'll, re- I'll honestly report this out on the forum that, that, like, you know, let's come up with a payment plan. Because if he wants all 40K at once, he's never going to get it. But let's come up with a payment plan. And when you start sending me the money, uh, then I'll tell people. And I'll tell people when you're keeping sending them the money. If, if you stop sending me, then I'll have to tell them that too. But I'll, I'm going to be transparent and honest. And if you really are making this right, I'll make sure everybody knows. And if he says, well, what about the book? And I'll say, look, you know, that, that doesn't really involve me. I, I don't want to, you know, people are doing this because they, they don't like what you've done here. But I think if you start paying me, then uh, I could see the uh, this is going to stop. But it sounds like he just got conned again. (laughs) 
this time conned into making a post saying everything's all right now. But, I mean, at least he didn't say he's gotten the money back, but uh, we haven't heard anything further. And Cole has posted again. It's not in this thread. He posted about something else, about a poker player who died named Max Bloom. He posted in that thread, but he he's not posted again about this. So, now I know it's only been a day and a half, but still... I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have gone this as far as Cole did. But Ellie's very good with these things. I've, I've heard he's very, very convincing. He's very good at manipulating people like this. But as interesting as all of this is, as scandalous as all of this is, the big part of the story has not even been told yet on this show. We have another big development that has occurred since in the last day and a half. It's all moving very quickly. Now, Trader Risky, are you still here? Did you uh, fall asleep there? And uh, your I'm still time going. Time? You're still going. So, have you been reading this whole thing as it's been going on? I haven't been reading. I mean, I would just more listen to what you've talked about. But you know, it's like shouldn't he? Shouldn't the apology have been to uh, to Mason for not letting him know beforehand? All this drama that was, you know, all this, all the liabilities out there. Number one, yeah, and you know, and also too, maybe, maybe, maybe Mason said, "Look, I'm going to give you forty grand, pay this off." That's what Cole should have said to him. If it's hurting Mason so much, have him give you the money. He can take it off the profits of the book, and then we'll be square. Well, that can't happen because Mason has said he now expects the book to lose money. He feels the book has been ruined by this whole thing. Well. And, and I guess it's not well. That might be true. I mean, in fact, I, I don't know how much interest there was going to be in the book in the first place. Uh, that, that that was the whole point of this thread. Is Mason felt that it was going to be a tough thing to even break even with this book, but he just wanted to publish it anyway. And he thought that this would be a good promotional tool, and then it just all fell apart. So now, had this all not happened, maybe the book would have done better. But I, I agree that this is going to kill sales. If it did have a chance, but but the rest of what you said, I agree with, and, and it is interesting. He apologizes to Mason, but without taking responsibility for himself for not warning Mason. Hey, you know, ask me anything. There's going to be stuff that comes out about me that you didn't know about before, and I, maybe I should tell you first. <laughs> so I think Ellie is just delusional. The problem is Ellie is so used to manipulating people in the high stakes poker rooms that. He is not used to forums that people don't take BS over there. People on forums are very brave and very observant and, and will break things down and will really be persistent. You're not going to get much beyond, beyond – you're not going to get much past a group of people on a forum. You'll get things past a few idiots, but there's enough smart people out there and observant people out there on forums who are never afraid to come forth and post what they believe that you're not going to get it by them. And I see this time and time again when scammers are caught that they come out to forums and lie and just tell these ridiculous lies that no one's ever going to buy. And they don't realize that this is never going to fly. This may work in person, but this is never going to work on a forum with a mass number of people reading it. And it always backfires. But I, I wouldn't expect him to know that because he has no experience on forums. Anyway, remember he said that he would be around for 48 hours to respond. Well, he hasn't. But in that 48-hour period, I posted these questions to him, which I would have loved to see answered. Number one, when you borrowed money in the past, did you already have debts to other poker players which hadn't been paid back for over a year? If so, did you disclose this to the people you borrowed from? I think we know the answer to that. Number two. 
When people like Cole loaned you money, do you think they believed they'd be paid back or were they, quote, fully aware that they may never be paid back? Number three, did you admit to people you borrowed from that you were struggling financially and needed the loan for that reason? If not, do you think those people had the mistaken impression that you were still a successful businessman? I think we know the answers to all three of those questions, but I would love to see him address those. Well, remember I told you about the fake Abe Mosseri who showed up that was then banned after it was confirmed by the admins of 2 plus 2, I think maybe Matt Skolansky, uh or it was Mason who posted it, I think. forgot who actually confirmed it, but it was confirmed not Abe Mosseri. Well, an account named Abe and Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, was created yesterday and posted the following. We will be posting a statement about Elie Lezra as soon as I hear back from my lawyers. The statement he made is a sham as I know it. The content will not only be my story, but will include threatening and a lot of texts and etc., he has made in the past few years about the sensational, substantial amount of money he owes me and possibly many others. He has given me no choice to do this and has taken it too far. The problem is that this kind of weird, broken writing style looked very similar to the previous Abe Mosseri and similar to Private Time and Private World and all those accounts that showed up there. So I was convinced, as were others, that Abe and Lisa was fake. It was that same person, we thought. Fake Abe Masseri was back. Except it was not fake Abe Masseri. It was real Abe Masseri. Yes. That was confirmed by Matt Skolansky. Don't know how he confirmed it, but... I, I doubt Matt would have been lying, and I think Matt confirmed it in some way that I believe it's really him. Matt Skolansky's David's son, by the way. So, yeah, real Abe Masseri was now in the thread. Also not a forum guy. Also someone who'd never used forums before, to my knowledge. So, I thought, well, isn't that going to get interesting? Everyone was sitting there with their popcorn waiting to see what the statement would be. And here's the statement. No person has ever staked me in my lifetime. That's Abe Masseri talking. And I did not out Ellie in nine years. Notice the same time frame, nine years. It's like 2010 seems when a lot of this was occurring. I have no social media and, no, and had no idea Ellie had a book or AMA until days ago when I was called by a high-ranking casino side of the business. I was shocked and surprised my name was used. He asked me to speak with David Skolansky, and I have many times in the past few days. I got to tell you I was on the fence about it and not slept well. I decided today to speak out after Ellie sent me texts of threats about my family, most likely scared I was going to out him. Hmm, threats, huh? If he had not made such a stupid and actually illegal decision to do that, you would have never heard from me. I'm not sure yet what I can say at this point. I can say this disappointed that Ellie pushed me to this point when it could have been really simple. I really do not think Ellie is so insane yet to come on here and call me a liar, but so be it. Figure is $853,000. A loan, not a gambling debt. I mean, that's almost enough to play this. Why 
That's uh, $853,000. Oh, my goodness. Alone, he said. Now, it wasn't where he beat him uh, gambling or they, they, uh, they were betting things on the side. And it, No, this was just straight up $853,000 was loaned to Elie Lezra by Abe Masseri and not paid back. Woo. So people were very curious about the threat part, too. Was, was Ellie threatening to harm Abe Masseri for coming out? Abe Masseri's name was being talked about, obviously, out there before he actually came out. So then Ellie contacted him and basically told him not to. And there were, quote, threats against his family. So at first you read this and think, oh, my God, maybe he's threatening to kill Abe's family if he came out. Well, that's not quite it. The threats actually were of the legal variety. This is what he wrote about the threats. You'll, you'll understand more. Please remember, I did not out Ellie and never looked at this website, referring to 2 plus 2. I'm not wanting anyone to feel sorry for me, and I'm not playing broke. That's Abe Masseri again saying that, don't feel sorry for me, I'm not broke, I just lost a lot of money here. Ellie said, too many, too many times I have enough money, I have to maintain a lifestyle, also I just don't do it with other people's money, it was over a million at the time. I don't, I don't quite understand what he's saying. Oh, I think he's saying that he owes uh, – He at one point he owed over a million. He paid a little the first three months nine years ago with a discount. Wow, a discount. I do need the money and had to pay taxes on the loan on top for his lifestyle has, has not changed. I am not asking for pity. I was in denial for years and realize I'm out the money. It's the messages lying and saying my family is making threats on his children. He's going to the FBI to have me arrested is scary. It's an out-and-out out lie, and for those of you that know me that, it's a scare tactic, and he has called me all night saying he's going, to do, he's going to the FBI. I have not slept, and we are scared that he's nuts now. Okay, he, he posted more, but let me stop here. So apparently he's saying that Ellie was saying that Abe's family was threatening him, and that he's about to go to the FBI and have them all arrested, and that he didn't do this. He doesn't know what Ellie's talking about. Nobody threatened Ellie. And that he didn't sleep because of this, and they think Ellie's gone nuts. Well, if he's worried about the FBI arresting him, don't be. I mean, it's, there's no way the FBI would arrest him for these false accusations. The FBI gets tons of frivolous and bullshit reports all the time. In fact, the FBI gets so many stupid reports over minor or even incorrect or made-up matters that they actually make themselves pretty difficult to reach. It's not like it's not like calling your local police department where you can go down anytime and file a report. The FBI, you can't even call them. They, they don't have an easily accessible phone number. And you can fill out a form online but most of that gets ignored because they, they get a ton of messages about scams from Nigeria and and, and internet posts where, where, where someone bashes someone else and someone thinks it's libel or slander, somehow thinks that's a criminal offense. I've seen this all the time where, where someone is bashing someone else. Oh, this is cyber stalking. Okay, I'm going to the FBI. And they post this FBI link that they're going to go to and, and report some person. And I go, don't bother with this. Come on. The, the FBI is totally going to ignore that. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is if Ellie didn't do it, he didn't do it. I'm oh, not Ellie. If, if, if Abe's family didn't do this, if Abe's family did not threaten Ellie, then the FBI is not going to beat down his door and arrest him. 
the FBI, at worst, if they did take an interest in this, which they wouldn't, would investigate, and after a long period of time, after exhaustive investigation, only if they found proof that this occurred would take any action. Now, I would understand that if they're just worried that Ellie's just off his rocker now, and right now it's FBI threats, but next it's going to be some form of violence, I would understand that. So he said, my lawyer advised me not to post the text, so I'm not. Do not think this will get anyone to come anyone to come out, just the opposite. I'm glad he boasts about being in the poker room five days a week. Good for you, Ellie. For me, it hurt my, my game in Bobby's room. That's the high limit room in uh, Bellagio. And not in there for a year. I can't be around him and look him in the eye, but he has no trouble. Looking me in the eye or baiting my girlfriend to go after him. So I guess that story the private world posted was true. I guess I guess his girlfriend did go after him. Again, I know I'm out the money. Ellie, you can stop now. I will never ask for a payment. You got your wish. Well played, Ellie. You got me. Pretty sad. Abisari saying that uh, he's given up. He can't even stand to be in the same room as Ellie anymore. And uh, he hasn't been going to Bobby's room for that reason. Hmm. Now he's saying that Ellie's making threats to report him to the FBI over something he didn't do. Now, again, as you can hear from these messages, which I've even cleaned up somewhat for when I'm reading them, like I'll read things that don't make any sense, but then I can figure out in my brain very quickly what he's trying to say, and I kind of correct it so you guys can hear but even me, with me doing that, you can tell the guy doesn't write very well. He's also not a forum guy. I don't know if English is his first language, but it doesn't seem like it. So, Abe has actually been on the 2 plus 2 thread and has been willing to answer questions. He has uh, 40 posts already. This is actually going on right now. So I have to scan the thread here to see if there's anything interesting been said. Uh, Among all the noise here. Let's see. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's always a lot of junk on 2 plus 2. I think there's a lot of junk on this site. Even more on... uh, Okay. He says... uh, I have about 30 minutes to answer questions. He says he lives in New York City. Um, So far, nothing that interesting. He says, no, I do not lend. I'm playing in a game in New York City these days. Gin and backgammon more than poker. Yeah, he he was a good uh, backgammon player before he got into poker. Um, As for court, I would welcome it. This is referring to Ellie suing him for any reason. Uh, trying to. Someone asked him, "What's the purpose of withholding the texts Ellie sent you?" I'm genuinely curious. More than anything, is it just for the sake of utilization with the FBI and police? He said, "No, my lawyer just said no. I think the F- FBI has better things to do than listen to Ellie." Well, that, that part's right. Uh, Abe said he he doesn't think that Mason knew about the debts to him. Uh, 
someone asked him, when was the last time you saw him in person and did you ask him about it or do you just consider it gone a long time ago? He said, when we played in the same tournament last WSOP, he gave me 2K to be there. I think he meant, he gave, I think he meant to say we gave me $2,000 there. I wonder if the tournament he's talking about is the 10K limit hold'em. Ellie sat right next to me on that one. He wasn't very good, by the way. But he sat right next to me. Maybe Abe was there too and saw him and got 2K out of him. Golfbum asked, what was the main reason to lend the money? To keep him in the game? Was he a friend you trusted? Has he paid back before? You knew he had money? And so Abe just said, no, not to keep him in the game. So he's claiming this wasn't just opportunistic to keep him playing. Uh, someone asked, if someone asked to describe what Ellie is like, what would you say? Meaning, do you think he's just a degenerate who got in over his head? Or he's a dishonest person who lies, or neither, or both? Abe said both. Another person asked, Abe, it's pretty clear Ellie is near broke and can't pay the money even if he wanted to. What do you hope to accomplish out of all this? If, if going to court and getting him in jail is your main focus, that's cool and worth the time and aggravation, but I don't see any other reason. Abe said, I never said anything about going to court or jail other way around, meaning that Ellie's threatening this to him. Now, I believe that Abe just wants the info out there. He wants everyone to know that Ellie's a deadbeat. And a liar. I think that's what he wants people to know. Someone asked, Abe, will you play the World Series of Poker this year? If you do go and see him, will you say anything or just ignore him? He wrote, that's a question I'll have to think about this year more. (laughs) Let's see if there's anything else. Uh, Someone said, he wasn't going to out him, but after he received threats, obviously upset him to where he would do such a thing after lending someone over a million nine years ago not being paid back and now that everyone knows if anything happened to Abe or anyone associated Ellie would be prime suspect so that sounds like payment stopped a long time ago Abe said yep I don't really need 2k every nine years (laughs) so he's gotten paid two thousand dollars in the last nine years Uh, again I don't I did not out him Others wrote on it on websites that I knew nothing about his dumbass wrote a book owing over a hundred people big and small that I was called about it by a few people. And I have found out from the younger players, once you out him, the threats stop. He is never paying. Ah, oh, interesting. So, Abe is saying he that Ellie owes 100 people. Some a lot, some a little. He's saying that he's only here because his name was mentioned. And that some, quote, younger players. By the way, Abe is 44. He's not a really old guy, but you know he's not young. But he said that he found out from the younger players that if you out Ellie, then he stops threatening you. But if you just keep it all quiet, then he feels more confident to threaten you. That's what Abe is claiming. This is funny. Someone asked him for gin tips because he's uh, he's good at gin. So someone said, any tips for gin? My girlfriend keeps crushing me. And Abe asked back, would Kobe Bryant teach you how to play basketball? <laughs> This is an interesting one. Same guy asked, was it you who warned Cole South not to loan Ellie money after Cole loaned him 100K in Bobby's room? 
And Abe said, I honestly can't remember, warned so many over the years, especially Jewish guys, they seem to be his biggest targets. Mm. Ellie would target fellow Jews who might uh, be more willing to loan him money being a fellow Jew. Uh, you just think, oh, an Israeli Jew? Yeah, maybe we should uh, trust him more. He's one of us. It's pretty bad that he targeted other Jews, thinking that they'd be more cooperative. Mm. Let's see if there's anything else. No, that's it. Last answered question was... Uh, Looks like uh, about uh, an hour ago. That's where it stands. And that's pretty bad. For those of you that don't know, by the way, Abe Masseri is a high-stakes cash player. He's also had some success in tournaments. He's one of these guys who's a very good player. A lot of success in poker, but you don't hear that much about. He's kind of uh, behind the scenes. He's one of these uh, under-the-radar guys. Uh, He did have a little bit of controversy involving a sports betting ring in that uh, the Trencher sports betting bus based out of New York. That was the one that also nailed uh, Bill Edler and Peter Nordberg Feldman. Both those two, the last two, uh, Bill Edler and Peter Feldman, were guys who were very successful in the 2000s in the tournament scene and then just disappeared. Presumably they went on a dry spell and that was that. But I guess they went into sports betting. That is not a, they weren't sports betting themselves. They were part of a organized crime ring of sports bettors and the a lot of times poker players get involved in this because a lot of poker players like to sports bet and they need a bookie. So if they have a connection to the poker community, then these bookies can make a lot of money by getting poker players to bet. So they usually have poker players working for them who get a piece of the action. So Peter Feldman and Bill Edler were among those, as was Abe Masseri, which is interesting. This bust occurred in 2013 among the 34 indicted back then, by the way. Molly Bloom. Yes, that Molly Bloom. The subject of Molly's game. She was part of it, too. So, yes, uh, Abe Masseri was part of that. Uh, I believe he had some plea bargain. He was not a major figure in it, nor were uh, Feldman or Edler. The poker pros who were nailed in this, by the way, and again, this is about six years ago, but the poker pros who were named in this bust were Justin Smith, not the one who ripped off Mycon, but uh, Justin boosted J. Smith, Bill Edler, Peter Feldman, Abe Mosseri, Joe Mancuso, Vadim Trencher, John Hansen, and Eddie Ting. Vadim Trencher was actually more involved. This was, uh, the Trenchers were really the ringleaders in this. This is known as the Trencher case. Other than that, 
there hasn't really been much negative out there about Aguaceri. Uh the only one who really got prison time was Vadim Trincher. The other guys who were involved in this got uh I think some kind of probation, some kind of fine. Other than that, uh, Masseri has a pretty good reputation. And what he was doing wasn't hurting poker players. He was just breaking the law. Saw24 posted in chat, one of the players on Twitter posted he saw some chick attack Ellie about owing money. Yeah, that was the girlfriend of Abe Masseri. And Abe made reference to it in one of his posts saying that Ellie stares at them and tries to bait them into a confrontation and that I guess Abe was controlling himself and not doing it, but that when he would stare at Abe's girlfriend to try to get her pissed that she took the bait and attacked him. And that was actually posted about a while ago on 2 Plus 2 by this private world account that this had happened. And I mean like before, way before all this book stuff. So I guess that turned out to be true. A lot of these guys you see playing high-stakes poker, you don't know the whole story. Some of them are broke and owe a ton of money. Some of them have money from other sources, whether it's an inheritance, family money, business money, and they masquerade as winning players. Why are they not outed? That easily Well The ones who are good for the game People don't want to out Unfortunately a lot of poker players are kind of selfish And if a guy shows up every so often With a lot of cash And is much worse than the other players in the game They don't care that much that he borrowed it From other players under false pretenses They just want to win So they don't say anything I think if Ellie was crushing the game and then still borrowing money and not paying people back, I think we would have heard of this a long time ago. It would be a big scandal, and this would have stopped. But I think Ellie probably is not that good, likes to pretend he is, and they kind of keep it as a secret there in Bobby's room that Ellie's a big donator. This is just my guess, but that's what I believe. That's why I think we don't hear about it. A lot of people like having the image of being a top poker pro. When Ellie sat in my 10K Limit Hold'em event, I didn't know what I would get. I knew he wasn't a frequent Limit Hold'em player, so I didn't assume he would be good. But I thought, you know, maybe he at least knows what he's doing. But he really didn't. He really was a, a pretty much a fish at that game. But I didn't think much of it at the time because I've seen this of other tournament pros who sit in a limit hold'em game and have no clue what they're doing. Even guys like Scott Scott Seaver, I think he's improved since then, but uh, some years ago, Scott Seaver sat in a limit hold'em event at the World Series, and uh, he thought he was hot shit, but he he was uh, was kind of a spew He just made a lot of nonsensical 
raises and bluffs which were never going to work. He was that guy who thought he could bully people off hands and limit hold them when they've clearly got a strong hand. So what you do is you have people calling you down, uh, not loving their hand, but they're not going to fold, and then you know you turn over junk, they turn over top pair, and you, you've just spewed away chips to them. But a lot of limit hold them is about knowing when to put chips in the pot and when to save them. If you just spew like that, unless you run really well, you're going to get crushed. So that's what happened. He got crushed. I, I think Scott has since improved. They know he plays mixed games now and stuff, so he probably got better at Limit Hold'em. But back then, uh, even he was kind of a fish in the game. So that's why when I saw Ellie not playing well at the Limit Hold'em, I thought, okay, well, that doesn't mean in No Limit that he's no good. But maybe at No Limit he's no good either. A lot of what you see in poker, it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Some of the players known to be really good are not that good. Some of the players that you hadn't really heard much of are excellent. Sometimes it's these under-the-radar guys that will really kill you. Sometimes the guy who sits down at the table that you think you should fear, you play against him and you go, wait a minute, he isn't very good. Why is this guy known as a fearsome player? I've had that experience many times. I'm not going to name names. I, I don't like calling out people for being fish. And you know, if, if they've done something bad to me, or if they've they're out of the scammers, then I'll say it. But I don't just like saying, "Oh, this person I've played with and he sucks." I, I don't see a purpose of doing that. I don't like people who do that in public settings. It's one thing to mention it to other poker players or your friends, but I'm not going to say it on the show. But but I've seen it a number of times where people I sit down at the table, I've know who they are, I expect them to be good, or at least decent, and they're not. And there's been others who've surprised me. There's been others I expected would not be good, and really are. Trader EC is still here. I think we've lost him. I, I, I'm oh. here, Jeff, but uh, oh, you're I, gotta, I, I, I gotta go. I'm gonna download the rest of the show for the plane ride home this morning. Okay, well, I, I, I hope you enjoy the, the flight, and... Uh, it's, it always makes me feel good when there's people in, this, in the air hearing my voice. I don't know why. It just it just seems cool to me that people are listening to me when they're thirty five thousand feet up. So okay, yeah, I'll be listening over several states. That's true. Okay, well, uh, you can't use the call to listen line up there. That won't work. But sure. yeah, I will talk to you later and have a good trip home. And uh, thank you for coming on for the time you're here. Okay, Jeff, I appreciate it, and everybody have a great night. All right, talk to you later. All right, down to just me. Down to just me, 11.35 p.m. here. I think we've said all we can about this topic. You know what I also haven't been doing is... Uh-oh. I have a call. Call, you're on the air, and turn down the damn radio. Yes, hi, hi there. Uh, yeah, I just... My name is Brian, and um, I'm... I listen to your show sometimes, but I, I just want to discuss with you the whole Eli thing. Uh, you know, I frequent two plus two a little bit uh, as well. I read some of there. I don't really post, but it, it seems to me that Mason should have known about all of this. I mean, there was a whole thread about him uh, a couple years back with the whole Sean Deeb thing. He's obviously in the know and is connected with a bunch of high limit players. 
So the fact that he decided to publish this book with a with Eli and do this AMA, it's still I can't get around, get my head around it, and I, it just obviously blew up in his face. I want to get your thoughts on that because I think there's some there's more that meets the eye there. I mean, Mason seems too carefully uh, wound and too he like he's very detailed for him to to do something like this just to do it. What do you think? Uh, what's your what's your thought? Well, I agree with you somewhat. I I agree that it's weird that there was a thread right on Mason's own site from 2016 talking about the Sean Deeb debt. It was a long thread. You'd think that Mason, and he did know about it. He, he did try to research it. Uh, the research he did was poor. I actually don't think that there's any conspiracy or more than meets the eye. I think Mason was just an idiot here. I, you'd be surprised that the dumb and uh, poorly thought out decisions that Mason Malmuth has made over the years. I've always said 2 plus 2 has succeeded in spite of Mason, not because of him. He was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you know, they published some books in the '90s that were successful, and then they had big success when the poker boom happened. They were already in place; they're already well established before the poker boom, and they happened to be right there. And they did well both forum-wise and poker book-wise. And even though a lot of that has diminished in, on both ends, uh, right. he, this, he, Mason didn't come in during the poker boom and establish something due to his shrewd business tactics. A lot of this he just kind of lucked into. And that's why a lot of times when he does things that leave you scratching your head, you realize how out of touch he is sometimes. And I, so I really think that, one, he would not have gotten involved had he known what the real case was with Ellie. Two, he tried to find out, but tried in a stupid way. And for some reason, he thought just asking one or two people in the high-stakes community uh, was going to give him the right answer instead of just going to the person himself that was said to be owed money in Sean Deeb. I think he just handled it wrong, and I think part of him wanted to publish the book and didn't really want to hear the wrong answer. I think he he wanted to look into it, but he didn't want to dig too much. He wanted to just say, okay, I've checked into it. I think because he wanted to get that answer once he got it, he's like, okay, good. That's what I wanted to hear. Okay, we're done. So I, I think that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, but I don't like, first of all, you're right. I don't like the way he treats you when you respond there. Uh, I feel like he's constantly putting you down for no reason, bringing up things that happened, is, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago. But the thing is, what struck me is when he wrote, I think, Eli, Ellie asked for me to take this down, so I did, like, pretty much locked and deleted the thread until there was an outcry. Yeah. Uh, and then he restored that, that, that to me seems that's why I consider this whole thing shady. He didn't do that with the Chino thread. He didn't do it with any scam threads, but all Eli asked him to take this down and delete it. And he just deletes it. And if it wasn't for the two plus two members, uh, that would have ha- stayed deleted. Then he tries to backtrack and make some garbage reason. Come on, Todd. I mean, there, there's some shady stuff there. I oh mean, yeah, oh, they, that part. Oh, that really part there friends? is. Yes, I mean, yeah, that part there is. When there's something to protect his reputation or the reputation of of authors of two plus two, then he does look for any reason to delete and hide threads. And I've seen this before. I saw this with uh, Nick Ritson, stock trader. When he got in his scandal, right. they they kept deleting those threads over and over until Viffer finally had to come out and shame them into leaving it up. So and and again, when it's just people who aren't associated with two plus two, then they have a very low standard for what needs to be proven to stay up. 
So it, it, there is a lot of hypocrisy there. There is a lot of favoritism towards authors and towards himself, and and uh, and he won't admit it. He wants to pretend like we're the place that exposes the scams, but if if the scams involve someone that's close to them or that they have a business relationship with or that'll hurt their book sales, then they're very quick to delete the thread unless they have 100% proof or unless there's such a backlash over the deletion that they feel forced to leave it up. So believe me, I'm not trying to defend Mason here. I, I try to be fair regarding Mason, even though I don't like him, he doesn't like me. And you're right, he gives me a hard time. It's so stupid. If anyone's been watching, I'll participate in these threads. I'm not trolling. I don't really bring up Mason. I mean, I, yes, it's, it's sometimes after he's already been attacking me, I'll attack him. But a lot of times I'll be participating, minding my own business, sticking to the topic, making thoughtful, good posts, and he'll just interrupt in the middle and start trolling me about something, you know, some small issue between me and him from years ago. Well, remember when you said this about me? And uh, Like, nobody cares. Nobody cares about the stuff he brings <laughs> up. He, he brings up such minor, stupid things. It's not even like he's bringing up some major thing that happened, but it's a long time ago. He brings up these minor, stupid arguments we had from years ago that zero people care about. And and indeed, nobody even responds. Nobody even like says, oh, Mason, you got him there. Like, like nobody even answers. He hijacks his own site's threads to hassle me. It's the weirdest thing. And I even it's, said. I, no, I, I agree. And I was reading with a friend the other day. And I remember when that fake Abe account came up. And you right away, I think, you know, debunked it. And all of a sudden, then uh, Mason comes on and starts attacking you for something from years ago. I mean, it's 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 comical. And then he usually has a couple pit bulls. You know, people that just don't, you know, that the same people that they'll make a comment about you stick to your own side. You know, it's, it's just a joke. I mean, what, is he? You know, it's just he has full reign, obviously, on the uh, on the side. So he just, you know, he go right hijacks his own thread, yeah, just to like bring up stuff about you that's irrelevant to anything. Yeah, you know? he, he, if he were a regular user, he'd probably be banned by now for all the hijacking he does of threads with, with garbage. But uh, yeah, and, and there are a few idiots, especially some mods over there. So there's a few idiots over there that just parrot what he says or, or also attack me. But he's he's the main one. And uh, yeah, so there, there's there's a big grudge and a lot of bitterness, and as much as I've tried to diffuse it over time, it just it just doesn't seem to work. Mason just can't get over any of this. I don't even know why he wants me on the site. I guess because it's a ghost town now, and then he 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 knows deep down that it's changed so much. Sir. You know, let me tell you real quick. Yeah, I, as you know, I mean, I I, I was re- reading it during the poker kind of boom and. And, and a little, I mean, it's so different now. It's just not anywhere near what it used to be. And and I think that's, as you said, I mean, I, I think he's a little bit of jealous of you because you call him out and call the side out on things that he just, you know, doesn't like to hear that. And then he tries to, you know, bring up stuff about you that's irrelevant to anything. But I agree with you. I mean, it's it seems like it's strange that he allows you to come on there and post when he you could see the hatred from every post he does. And he thinks he makes some snarky, it's always snarky comments and he thinks he's being cute, but it's just, it's not, it's just pure hate yeah. for whatever reason with you. It's, you could see it. So, you know what I mean? I'm just telling you. Yeah, it really is. I know. I mean, and I, and I see the people see that there and he just needs to just ignore me unless, unless I'm saying something to him or about him or, or criticizing his business. And unless it's that, he should just ignore me and not just find – he finds every excuse to hijack every thread I'm in to attack me. It's 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 funny. Then, then I'll respond at that point, and, and then I'll even sometimes mock his, his writing style and, and write back in his own writing style, uh, things like that. But he he just uh, – it's, it's amazing. And I, 
I have to imagine someday he's just going to ban me and come up with some really flimsy reason to ban me. You you could see that. I mean, I I hate to say it. I mean, or maybe it doesn't matter anymore. But the site's not what it used to be anyway. Yeah, right. But the fact is, he he could he could I could see that down the road. He's probably taking a lot of heat from this whole whole thing with Eli and now Abe out and the guy even more makes him look like an idiot. And so, you know, he's probably going to be on a short fuse. So I, I could see, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me, especially he doesn't like you anyway. So, but it, you know what? You don't even need that because I, I, I like reading what you have to put on your side and I like listening to your radio on occasion as well. I think you do a great job. So I'll hang up. I just want to say thank you for, you know, at least, uh, you know, not backing down to him because I, a couple of my friends, you know, we read, we don't post very often but we read uh we read two plus two and we're all commenting how obvious it is that mason he gets sometimes his mods uh, to just attack you for no reason and think they're cute with dumb little sayings from stuff it just it, it just it, it brings down the quality of the thread in my opinion yeah you know? well a lot of times the threads there are poor quality it's like there's there's little bits of them that are interesting and then a lot of junk for a while and then and then mason and the mods they, they also contribute to the junk especially when they're just attacking me for no reason just because of a, a silly grudge mason has that goes back over a decade so oh yeah well thanks for your call there brian and i uh, appreciate hearing from you definitely yeah take care sir bye-bye all right, bye all right got a listener phone call here at first, it was an unknown n- number. At first, I was skeptical that it might be a prank call, but it wasn't. It was a good phone call. All right. Well, we're going to move on. We are going to move on. Someone in the chat just said they have the dumbest mods. <laughs> it's true for some of them. And some of them are just assholes. Some of them just – they're lackeys for Mason. Let's move on to the next topic, though. Kind of done talking about 2 plus 2 and Mason. Let's talk about Daniel Negreanu, who's been a persistent subject on this show for many weeks in a row here. Seems like there's always something new to say about him now. And I know he's a major figure in poker, and I know he puts himself out there and sometimes gets controversial and has battled back and forth with Doug Polk. And There's been a lot of reasons to talk about him, but especially recently. First, all the Amanda Leatherman stuff. And now some other stuff that has nothing to do with Amanda. So this week's Negranu tale has nothing to do with his love life at all. This has to do with a controversial tweet that he sent out. Negranu likes to just fire off controversial tweets of whatever's on his mind at the moment without really thinking about what he's saying and his status in poker, and that as kind of an ambassador for the game and, and as an actual ambassador for poker stars, that maybe he shouldn't do some of this. Sometimes if you're in that position, you need to kind of hold back. That's one downside of being a very visible and influential player who represents the biggest online poker site there is. You sometimes have to hold your tongue. Or if you're going to give an opinion, you got to do it in a more tactful way. But this isn't really, at least the way I'm going to cover it, it's not going to be about the tone he used or the language he used, because I, I don't like to focus too much on that. I like to focus on what the person is really trying to say, the way they really feel, what they're really expressing. That's what's of more interest to me. So last week, he wrote 
a controversial tweet, which you won't find anymore because he deleted it, but this is exactly what it says. I have a copy of it right here. Worst kind of poker player has the following traits. Winner? What? The worst kind of poker player has the following traits. Winner is the first one. (laughs) Bad to win, apparently. Slow, meaning slow to act. Quiet, parentheses, also miserable. Knit, parentheses, cheap slash selfish. Hater, slash, parentheses, complainer slash negative. If you match all of these categories, then you're probably a real treat to have at parties. Two out of five is still bad. So if you're a winner and one of these four other things, then it's still pretty bad. As you can imagine, this brought on a lot of negative responses. Remember, he called you the worst kind of poker player. Two out of five of these traits is still bad. Winner, slow, quiet, knit, and hater. So this brought on a lot of negative responses. Can't read them because the tweet's gone now. But most notably, people were unhappy that he was criticizing winners and quiet people. So first of all, isn't the point of poker to win? Hasn't he been a longtime winner? Is he criticizing himself? And what about a quiet player? How is that bad? Isn't a quiet player much better to have at the table than a loud, annoying one? Well, two European players separately wrote blogs bashing Negranu in response. The first blog was written by D.K. Lapin, and it was called Yesterday's Faith. I'm not going to read all of it. But he wrote, last week, modern day uh, Severo Nella, he was referring to something else, uh, Daniel Negreanu tweeted, and then he posted that same tweet I won't read again. The next day he doubled down, tweeting that, quote, this type of player is a cancer to poker. The nits are like a disease. Some just don't know any better. They aren't bad people, but they do way more damage than good by playing poker. Daniel's words are divisive and another layer of his assault on the poker pro pitting recreational players against them, creating the false narrative that in a game where everyone competes, where winners and losers are inevitable, that the winners are the problem unless they conform to his strict set of guidelines of how to behave. There is nothing wrong with winning, either in the short or long term. It's the objective of poker, whether it's in one pot, one session, one tournament, or over an entire career. There's nothing wrong with being a slow player. While I agree that there's times that taking time seems unnecessary, it's important not to judge other players by the standards you have for yourself. You may have your pre-flop ranges down and an excellent awareness of the stacks around you. Another player may not. You may you might like to fight your first instincts, look at your hand and the action fire out, and then fire out of response. Others may be wary of, of their first instinct and like to like more time to process the situation. I would like to clarify that I'm not def- defining a slow player as someone who intentionally tanks in spots for TV time or takes their time just to get under their table mate skins or stalls when there's no tactical reason why they should. Why they should. There's nothing wrong with being a quiet person. There are lots of different personality types, and people are across all spectrum of chattiness. It's obviously nice if players are polite with one another, but nobody should be under any compunction to speak more than they wish. Personally, I would much prefer sitting at a table with a player who says nothing than a player who won't shut the fuck up. There's nothing wrong with feeling miserable. A person's emotional state is largely out of their control. I know a lot of people, friends and family, who suffer from depression. 
Some days are better than others. Some days they get up and go to work and they feel okay, like they can cope, like it's not all too much. Other days they feel they get up and go to work and they feel miserable, like dread is consuming them, like everything is a battle. No amount of money or success can change that about them. They just take it one day at a time. Imagine having the temerity to tell that person to cheer up, that they should act a particular way, or that they owe it to you to put on a happy face. There's nothing wrong with being a nit. Many of my favorite people in poker are nits. Being careful with money is not a bad quality. In fact, it's a trait that has kept many poker players afloat, myself included, during the early lean years that I was finding my feet in the game. Generosity is certainly a nice quality. Generosity of spirit at the poker table definitely adds some value for others and will probably make you more popular. I would prefer to be around generous people, but how can we come to the, how can we came to be the person we are we are on the generous miserly scale is down to a lot of life factors and I don't like to judge those who fall short of any standards just as I hope other more generous don't judge me. There is nothing wrong with being a hater, a complainer or even a negative person. Hating is a natural human response to things that you find upsetting or people who have hurt you. Is the most country is it the most constructive emotion? No. Can it lead to bad behavior? Yes. Has it been harnessed to create great art and visceral opinion pieces? Has it been driven? Has it driven social activism and powerful historical movements? Most certainly. Again, many of my favorite people, poker players or otherwise, are haters. Now, for the most part, they combine it with a good sense of humor, some wit, and some self-awareness. Hate without provocation speaks to moral flaccidity. Hating for hate's sake, while understandable, is bilious and redundant, but hate with a purpose is majestic. It can be the antidote to inertia and an engine for change. I suppose my biggest objections to Daniel's tweets are that they come from a position of privilege, are so dogmatic, possess such a holier-than-thou and patronizing, and ultimately come from a man who lives in a bubble. He doesn't play $20 games in his local casino. He doesn't play 1-2 cash games. He doesn't play the $500 or $1,000 circuit. Yet he claims to know what's best for everyone and thinks he has a right to tell other people how to act or worse, be. The internal inconsistency in what Daniel said was not lost on him either, as his tweet itself was, engage- was engaging in hating. He took it down and put out a positive version of the same bully pulpit. I'm not sure it matters. It's a less, less loathsome tweet, but it still bangs of narcissism and contempt. We'll get to that later. Anyway, I'll stop here. There's more to this, but well, it's almost over. Whatever. I, I, I've read you the main part, and I'm not going to read the second blog. You get the point. The other blog, written by another European guy, was pretty similar. So th- there were two blogs that called Daniel out for this. And a lot of people agreed. A lot of people were... uh, A lot of people thought these blogs were spot on and said so on Twitter. So Daniel knew he had a PR problem on his hands. So he wrote his own response. He wrote his own blog on his Full Contact Poker site the blog was called The State of Poker 2019. Also, I heard that Daniel spent some time on his podcast that he does with Adam Schwartz and Terrence Chan explaining what he meant. I haven't gotten around to listening to that. I, I meant to. I just have been busy with other things. But uh, I actually mean to listen. I've actually, uh, I'm going to be in the car a while uh, in a few days, so I'll uh, probably take a listen then. But uh, regardless of what he says, I, I know what he meant. Like, I don't even need to hear what he has to say. I'm going to listen anyway, but I, I don't even need to because I, I know what he was trying to say. But let's get to his response. So in this blog, he wrote, Recently I posted a tweet that was way too harsh in tone and the responses were predictable. 
I was referring to negative traits of certain poker players that aren't a good addition to the game. Nick Jones pointed out that my tweet was actually contributing to one of those traits, being a hater or complainer. I realized he was right, so I chose to delete the tweet and phrase it in a more positive tone, instead focusing on what attributes make a player attractive to a game. So then he showed the difference between the two tweets. Both saying roughly the same thing, but the first tweet was too antagonistic towards certain player types, so after giving it some thought, I deleted it. And by the way, I hate when people delete tweets that got a lot of response or controversy. It's, it's one thing to delete a tweet that you wrote two minutes ago and you now regret. I've done that before, too. I've written something that I think sounds stupid or is too negative or is attacking someone who doesn't really deserve it, and I removed the tweet and hope no one saw it. But you don't delete a tweet that's been up for a while that's gotten a lot of response and controversy. Otherwise, it smacks of a cover-up. I don't know if that's why he did it, but it, it's not a good look. Going on here, he wrote, Many people misunderstood my meaning in that initial tweet. My choice, blame them for not understanding or take responsibility for not communicating my position clearly enough. In this regard, choosing to stand responsible for my decisions or be a victim of circumstance, blaming others. I try my best to practice what I preach. Part of that entails admitting when you were wrong and apologizing. I've done that, and upon further reflection, there were things about that first tweet I did not communicate well. Specifically, being a winner and being quiet. The other three are pretty clear, although people have done a more narrow view of the term nit than I've always learned. A nit isn't simply someone who plays tight, and nit can have any number of the following traits. And then he goes on to list what he believes to be a nit. Cheap, angle shoots, in a nine-handed game with eight other players straddling, wants to play but not straddle, won't start games, quits the second the live one quits, referring to the fish, won't agree to a neutral EV gamble if the live one asks for it, even for a small amount. For example, playing 510 No Limit Hold'em, and the live one asks if anyone will do an all-in flip for $25. The nit says no. He's referring to, like, if anybody watches go all-in for $25. I don't see how you can really do that if everybody has more than $25 in. But let's say he says, let's just all go in blind for 25 bucks and not bet the whole time. And the nit says no. And Daniel's saying this is neutral EV. You're not losing anything out of this. The the odds are zero, which is not true because there's the rake, but the rake's pretty small, so we can ignore that. But he says he doesn't like people who won't do that, even if it's small. He says, under no definition can I come up with is that nit is a desired guest at a poker game. Not in the 20-plus years I've played the game, I stand firm that nits are the most definitely bad for a poker game. Okay, before we get on to his next explanation. Let's stop there. First of all, his nit, his definition of nit is too broad and too over-encompassing of negative traits one can have in poker. For example, angle shooting is totally separate. An angle shooter and a nit are two different things. Now, one can be a nit and an angle shooter. One can shoot angles partially because they are a nit, but it's not the same thing. It's like saying part of the definition of a scammer is uh, someone who's violent. No, it's not. Can scammers be violent sometimes? Yes, but that's not a trait of a scammer. That's a scammer who also has the trait of a violent person. So a nit is not an angle shooter at all. That's totally incorrect. Now, the rest of the stuff 
yes, can apply to nits. Cheap, won't straddle, even when everybody wants to. Won't start games. Uh, quits the second the fish quits. And won't do these little uh, side bets, even where there's no, no person with an edge on the side bet. Even which is totally random gamble with zero expectation on either side. Yes, there are people like that. Does that describe anyone I know? Well, to some degree, it describes me. Now, I will start games. I actually like playing shorthanded. As far as when the fish quits, uh, depending on who remains in the game and how likely the fish is to come back or other fish to join, I may keep playing. But at the same time, if if it's clear the night is over and it's me and three good players, no, I'm not going to continue. I'm just going to be done. And in fact... You'll find if you're not done, often the others will quit on you before they pay their blinds, so you just get screwed if you try to continue playing on. Uh, you know, cheap? Hmm. Am I cheap? I don't know. Let me think about that one. I, I, I don't know. Some people might say I'm cheap, but I do run this site at a loss, right? Wait, stop that. Now, come on now, that's not fair. No reason for that music to come on here. How can I be cheap if I'm running this server at a loss? How can I be cheap if, I, if I'm not running ads on here other than that little Amazon ad at the bottom that makes me pennies? How can I be cheap when I'm turning down advertisements that can bring money into the site? How can I be cheap when I tell people to donate to the free roll and not to me? Okay, that's not completely true. You can donate to me too. But I I do tell you first and foremost to donate to the free roll. So let's talk about whether a nit is... Oh, and then he also says it constantly changes seats to get a free hand. And then he talks about some extreme version where someone just kept changing the seats over and over and over so they were never taking the blind. And uh, they, they, he said they had to make a rule change at the Bellagio because you used to be able to just move seats without posting. So if someone just kept moving and moving and moving and moving around the table over and over and over again uh, to the open seats to where they're always ahead of the blinds. So finally they had to change the rule to where that can't be done. That's also an angle shooter. That's not a nit. That's clearly someone who is taking advantage of the rules to gain something unfair. That's also an angle shooting thing to do. That's not a nit. But I'll agree the other things are nits. But that is not necessarily a negative trait. As that blog said by DK Lappin, as the blog said, that just means that you value money. That you're not there to bet on negative propositions or to put your money in bad or even to bet in zero expectation spots where you have to count on luck to get you the money. Now, I admit, when you take it to an extreme, it can start to irritate people at the table. If everybody wants to go all in blind for $25 and you're pretty sure everyone's going to honor it, I guess it still wouldn't be all in. Everyone should just go in blind for 25 and then check it down. 
which isn't common. You usually don't see things like that. But if one guy says, no, I don't want to do that. I No, I'm, I think I'm going to lose it. I'm going to waste $25. No. Like, if the whole table's in good spirits and everybody wants to do that except you, then yeah, it, it, it doesn't look that good. But I'll also tell you this. One stick in the mud out of nine players at the table is not going to dis- dissuade any fish from continuing to play. So it's really not doing any harm. It doesn't look the best, but it's not really doing any harm. As far as straddling, though, that is a different story, because straddling induces bigger pots, more action, and also requires stronger post-flop play, especially at no limit, because the straddler will often come in with hands he would fold. So then you have an additional person in there that could have anything, and you have to worry about that beyond just the blinds. So if you're not good at playing in spots where someone could have any two cards, then this could actually really harm you. Or if the game you're playing, if you're comfortable at those stakes, but you don't want any higher, then again, straddling, it makes the gameplay bigger, and maybe you're not comfortable with it. Same with quitting when the fish leaves. Maybe you don't have the bankroll or the desire to play in a spot where you may actually be the worst player in the game. Now, you have to balance that with what's good for the game. I've had it before where the fish gets up and goes to the bathroom and you have to decide what you're going to do. Now, sometimes everyone will just go to the bathroom at the same time. And the fish doesn't think much of it. But let's say the fish just goes out for a smoke break or just goes to walk around for a little bit, leaves all his chips there. Well, if he comes back and the whole game is broken, then the second he sits in, everyone sits back in, yeah, it looks bad. The fish is not stupid. He'll usually realize that they're all there for him. He'll even sometimes get the wrong idea in his head that they're colluding against him. I've, I've actually had this discussion before in an online game where a fish sat out because every time he sat out, Everyone else would sit out. The second he would sit back in, they'd all sit back in. Then he started doing it just to screw with people. Like he'd sit out, they'd all sit back in, then he'd sit back out before they'd take a hand. And they'd all sit back out. And he'd be going, what the hell? Like This was once happening at an online game I played in, a high-stakes online game. And nobody would answer him. He's like, you guys are all a bunch of cheaters here, all a bunch of colluders. It's so clear you won't play unless I'm in. Five other people here, no one will play unless I sit in. No one said a word. So finally, I spoke up. I said, you want to know the truth? Nobody's colluding against you. I said, I'll tell you exactly why people are doing this. He said, okay, why? I said, they're doing it because you're new here, and nobody knows you, and they assume that since they don't know you, you're probably a bad player. So they want to play against the bad player. They all know each other. They think everybody else is good, and they assume you must be bad because they don't know who you are. So that's why everyone's sitting out. And he said, oh, okay, well, thanks for being honest with me. And he sat back in. I softened it. I didn't say, hey, I can tell you're a big fish. I didn't want to insult the guy or humiliate him. So I I framed it in a way where it made it seem like we're just making an assumption about him, which may or may not be true. And that satisfied him. So, yeah, if you do things like that, then it can look bad and it can drive the fish away. But at the same time, if the fish is left, he's busted and he walks away and you can tell he's going home and it's just you and 
two other good players. In fact, maybe two players who are better than you are. You're not obligated to sit there and play three-handed and get beat down when you're hoping that maybe someone else will come by and sit down. No, you can say, okay, I'm done. And you know what? I've had players do that to me. I've had it where the game breaks, the uh, the obvious fish is gone, but I think I'm better than the two remaining players and I'd like to continue playing with them. I don't think they're big fish, but I think I have enough of an edge on them that I'd continue playing three-handed with them. And sometimes they'll quit me. I've also had it where I've been against two really good players and I, I don't want to continue against them anymore. I, I don't want to be in a game with these two guys. So this happens. I don't get insulted when that happens. I don't say, oh, bunch of nits. You know, I just, uh, nor do I see myself as this terrible nit if I don't want to play against uh, two great players sitting at the table and it's all just the three of us remaining. As far as not starting games, there's some people who are not comfortable shorthanded. I am, but some people are good full, ta- full table players, but they are not good shorthanded. So that's fine. It's not fair to force them to play short. So these are all just personal choices about the risk one wants to take at the poker table and the conditions one wants to play under. Maybe someone doesn't like straddling, as I said, because they... Uh, it changes the game. It changes how big it plays. They're not good at straddle games. They're not good at shorthanded games. They don't want to play shorthanded. So you can't criticize these people as if they're bad. Now he says, a nit is not a desired guest. Well, so what? You don't have to be desired. Sometimes not being desired at the poker table is a compliment. If it's not over your behavior of, you know, like disrupting people or threatening people or whatever, if, if you're not desired there because you're taking money out of the game, if you only want to get your money in good, well, that's a compliment in a way that you are someone that is a winner. At the Bellagio ones, I think I've told this story, but it's relevant here. The Bellagio once, they made a 10th seat at a 100-200 game to accommodate a fish because the game was nine-handed. It wasn't particularly a good game. There was a big fish, number one on the waiting list. Nobody was going to leave anytime soon. So they asked the floor man, can we add a 10th seat to the game and let this guy in? And they did. And I don't know how long that was before I showed up, but when I showed up, I put my name on the list. I was like, First or second up. Then I got, whatever it was, I was first up for a very long time. Hours, probably four hours or something. It was the longest I've ever waited being first up. And finally someone left. So I went to go take my seat. And someone said, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, can't take that seat, we're going back to nine-handed. And I said, what? No, the game's ten-handed, you can't do that. No, 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 we decided we're going back to nine-handed, so you can't take the seat. I knew what was happening. They didn't want me in the game. If I was a fish, then they would have happily let me sit there. If I was a, kind of a semi-fish, they would have let me sit there. Since they knew that I was a winning player, they didn't want me there because nobody wanted 10-handed. The fish was still there, by the way. But uh, they didn't want another 10th person there replacing one of the people who left unless that person was going to bring value to the game. They didn't think I'd bring value to the game, so they told me that I can't sit. And I said, no way. I called the floor man over, who fortunately took my side and 
allowed me to sit. And some people were grumbling and arguing with me about it and saying the floor may made the wrong decision. And then finally, one of the players there spoke up and said, no, I agree with him. We can't decide who we want in the game. We can't make this decision based upon who that is. So if we make it ten-handed, we shouldn't say it's not ten-handed anymore. It just means we don't want a certain person in the game. That's not fair to him. I said, thank you. Thank you for saying that. The decision had already been made, but I was glad that guy spoke up. And then everyone kind of shut up when that guy said it. So I knew I was not desired at that game, but and I was kind of irritated with the way people treated me there and with the angle they tried to pull on me, but I was also a little bit flattered. I said, okay, well, at least the pros of Bellagio don't want me in the game. <laughs> they, they, they would rather I'm not there. He goes on to write, as for quiet, it was a mistake for me to phrase it the way I did. It was my bad. I should have replaced quiet with rude. I agree with many replies saying it's much better to be seated with a quiet player versus one who never shuts up. I agree totally. I was more referring to engaging in small talk when someone asks you a question. For example, a tourist sits down in your 510 game and asks you where you're from. Rather than giving him a death stare and not respond, be human and talk to the guy. I don't expect players to change who they are and put on an inauthentic show. Not what I meant at all. It's on me for not communicating that well. I apologize to the quiet players out there who are personally offended by that. If you're shot by nature, that's okay. If you can smile and laugh at a joke occasionally, awesome. If you aren't comfortable starting table banter, that's totally fine, too. If someone does engage you in conversation, just be friendly and try not to be rude. Well, look, that's not what you meant, Daniel. You really did mean you don't like quiet guys at the table. You meant that you're tired of these winning grinders who put on their headphones, pull on the hoodie, maybe watch some video on their phone between hands, tune at the world except when they're in a hand. That it's, it's like a, a robot playing. One that brings no social value to the game. And there, there are ones out there like that. I'm sure all of us have played with them. Maybe some of you are that guy. I'm not really that guy usually, but some of you might be. And Daniel resents them. Daniel does not like that. He thinks that they are ruining the game because they're making it boring for the fish there. That the fish aren't going to want to play if there's too many people like that. They're there to have fun. So now he's backtracking and say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I just meant that uh, don't be rude if someone talks to you. You know, Make sure to answer them and, and try to be friendly that, that, and don't be rude. That, that's not what he meant. If he meant rude, he would have said rude. He really didn't like the quiet players. He didn't like the players who were not social. One of the reasons people like Daniel is because he's always very social at the table. He's always very nice to his fans. He signs autographs. He takes pictures. He puts on a little show at the table. He, he constantly talks during every hand. People love being on the rail watching him play because he, he, he puts on a show for the audience there. That's part of the reason he's so popular. And it, it's great that he does this. I'm not taking that away from him. But he's basically saying, if you don't act like me at the table, you're a problem. You, you, you've got to be social at the table like I am. Be like me. Well, Daniel, not everybody is you. Yes, you have that strength. You have that strength in that you are good at being social at the table. You're good at creating a fun environment. You're good at uh, interacting with your fans. You're good at being personable. And that's why you are where you are now. Some of it's from your results and some of it's from your personality. So great, you're an outgoing person. 
and you've used that to your advantage. Great. But not everybody's like that. There are some great players who just don't have much of a personality. In fact, your friend Phil Ivey is exactly that way. Phil Ivey's very quiet. Phil Ivey is antisocial for the most part. Phil Ivey doesn't talk much at the table. Phil Ivey does not seem approachable in any way, shape, or form. I know you're friendly with him, but guess what? That's him. So by bashing the, quote, quiet guy, you're, you're basically bashing Ivy and others like him. There's nothing wrong with being the quiet guy. Nobody is expected to entertain the table. You're expected not to disrupt the table. You're expected not to be abusive towards other players. You're expected not to cheat. You're expected not to angle shoot. But you are not expected to put on a show. You're not expected to keep the table social. Now, I admit it's rude if somebody asks you where you're from and you just ignore them. What if you just quickly answer, I am from Los Angeles. And that's it. If that's just your personality, so be it. Is it better for the game if you interact with a fish? Yes, it is. The time I'm most likely to be quiet at the table is when I know everybody there and I can tell they don't give a crap whether I talk to them or not. And if it's no one I really feel like talking to, then I will be quiet. However, if I notice there's a fish there that seems to be there wanting conversation, wanting table talk during the hands, I'll do it. I'll I'll engage in the whole thing. I'll even put on a phony, uh, like, I want to gamble. I don't really care if I lose attitude, even if I'm burning up inside when he bad beats me in a big pot. I'll go, oh, man, I can't believe that. Oh, wow, that's, oh, I didn't expect that. Like, I say things like, like, like but I'll, I'll say it like in a fun way. Like, uh, like he'll raise me in the road and go, whoa, what's this? So, okay, call him. oh, boy, didn't expect that one. Okay, <laughs> good one. Like, and, and they believe it. Like, they don't even think I'm being phony to them. And, yeah, I, I so I try to, Make the fish happy there. Online, I do it too. Online, I've I've always uh, if I see a fish that likes to chat, can't do it on ignition anymore. But it won't let you chat. But if I see a fish who likes to chat, I would chat with them. Even if some of them actually like the trash talk. Some fish I've noticed actually want trash talk back and forth online, and I've done that. Um, in person, I don't really see that, but in person, I, I have seen it where there's kind of like a rivalry back and forth, and I've engaged in that. So I understand what Daniel's saying. And sometimes I'll see, like, if there's a big fish there and I can tell he really wants, like, a social aspect of the whole thing and no one's giving it to him, I'll, I'll really make sure to be the one to give it so he doesn't leave, so he has a good time. So I understand that. But some people just don't like doing that. Some people are not that person. Some people are not in the mood to do that. There have been times when I've been at the table and I'm not in the mood. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm just in a bad mood from losing. Sometimes I'm in a bad mood from other things that have gone on in my life outside of poker. And I I just don't feel like being a social guy. It's fine. You're not expected to. It's nice if you do, but you're not expected to. You shouldn't look down on those who won't. Then he goes on to explain about the winners thing. And this is the most flawed of his arguments. The other two arguments about the knit and the 
not being quiet, at least I can understand where he's saying that if you're this way, then it can be off-putting to the fish, and it's better if, if you're the other way, the fish will like you better. Okay. I'll give him that, even though, again, neither of these are should be expectations, but they're more under the heading of nice if you do it, but you're not expected to. But listen to this about winners. He wrote for, as for being a winning player being a bad trait, many of you took offense to that since the goal of poker is to be a winning player. Of course it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, having said that, if you are a winning player, that means you're taking money out of the game. The other players in the game would do better financially if you weren't there. Let's look at an example. If you host a six-handed game at your house and have five players confirmed, one seat left and it's between Larry, the biggest loser of the game, or Bill, who's the biggest winner, what would be better for that game? To invite Larry or Bill? Obviously, Larry gets that call every time. The point of this is to realize that if you're a winning player, you're a taker. That's the name of the game, as many of you pointed out. Knowing this, though, I, think, I would think it would be worthwhile to find other ways to contribute to the health of the game you play in. Ah, see, that's, that's the catch. I'll tell you in a second why. One person tweeted at me that he's the biggest winner in his home game, but he gets invited back every time because he brings the beer. Oh, and he doesn't drink. This is a perfect example of giving up some EV, not being a nit, and contributing to the game in some fashion. In the long run, you will more than make up for the cost of the beer. Okay, let's stop here. He's talking about finding other ways to contribute to the health of the game. Aha! See, that's how he gets himself out of this. Because remember, Daniel's a big winner. So, how does he explain hating winners if he's a winner? Does he hate himself? No, because he feels he contributes in other ways to the health of the game. Through being an ambassador for poker and uh, promoting poker and being very friendly at the table and and being someone that everyone wants to play with and everyone wants to watch. So he feels it's okay if he wins because he's still contributing to poker as a whole. However, if you just win and do nothing else helpful, then he feels you're a, quote, taker and therefore bad for the game. And this is part of Daniel's brainwashing that he received since he went to go promote the site as an employee of Amaya. He's the face of poker stars. And for a few years now, for whatever reason, well, I kind of know the reason is because he got brainwashed by Amaya into believing that winning grinders are bad for poker. And Amaya has been saying this for years. They've been saying that they don't like winning grinders. That's why they screwed the supernova elites because they are winning grinders. They really want the winning grinders to go away. They don't think they provide value. It's like a war on winning grinders. And and Daniel's made statements before, like, fuck the pros. He's made other statements that uh, the more rake is better thing. You know, he, he says a lot of things which all point back to the same point that he's trying to make, that winning grinders who don't do much other than just sit down and win are bad for poker and uh, they're bad for the poker economy. And that we need to find ways to either get rid of them or, or, or make them contribute in other ways because they're bringing down poker. Let me tell you the problem with that thinking. There's a big, big, big hole in that thinking that Daniel did not consider. All right, let's go back to a hypothetical game. He, he brought up a hypothetical game with six people and whether you invite a big fish or a big winner to fill that last seat. And he said that you obviously you're going to call the big fish every time. True. But let's look at the reverse. Okay. Let's look at a six-handed game, which has three fish, or let's say two fish, one mediocre player, 
two good pros and one great pro. So there's one great guy, two good people, one okay people, and two bad people to make the six. Okay? Let's say the great guy says, oh, I'm tired and I've won enough money today. I'm going home and leaves. Now it's five-handed. Two good, one okay, two bad. What will happen to that game if it keeps running? Who is going to benefit from the absence of this great player? Is it going to be the fish? No, they're going to lose anyway. If they stay long enough, they're going to lose all their money. Why? Because there's still two good players in the game who are going to crush them. What about the mediocre player? No, he's probably not going to gain too much either because he's also going to get beat by the two good players. Maybe he'll take some back from the fish, but uh, you know he's probably going to spin his wheels, probably stay around even, maybe even lose. He's not going to benefit much. Maybe he'll lose a little bit less than he would have with a, with a great player there, but he's uh, overall, he's not benefiting that much. The two big beneficiaries of the great player leaving are the two good players who all of a sudden became the best two in the game. I have said many times on this show that the most important aspect you should look for when looking for a poker game, when performing game selection, is the absence of good players. Much more important than the presence of bad players. I would much rather sit in a six-handed game where it's me versus five mediocre players than a six-handed game where it's me, two excellent players, and three fish. No question. No question. I'd rather have the five mediocre players and no good ones. The absence of good players is the most important. And many, many people miss that. Many people think a great game is one with fish. A great game is one where you are far and away the best player at the table. That's your best spot where no one's even close to your skill level. Barring bad cards, you're going to crush in that game. So, who gains? It's always the other pros. Poker is a zero-sum game, except for the rake. Someone is going to win. Someone's going to lose. Ignoring luck, that is based upon skill differences. So if you remove a big winner from the game, the small winners will become big winners. The fish will lose all the time. The worst two people in the game are still going to go bust. If that great player then gets in a car accident on the way home and dies, what will happen? All the pros that he would have played with in the future... Had he not gotten into that car accident, we'll do better. Not the fish. The fish are going to lose either way. So the only people who suffer when a good pro is in the game are other good pros. In 2005, I found, and my friend actually independently found, a good friend of mine actually independently found, the Boss Media Network, which was full of fish. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many fish. There, there were just tons of fish. It was, these were the greatest Limit Hold'em games I ever played in on a regular basis. They didn't go all the time. They went like four times a week. Had like 5,100 Limit Hold'em. These were excellent, excellent, excellent games. 
And the best thing about them, yes, there were a lot of fish, but the best thing about them is that there were no good players that had found that network except for me and my friend. And we promised each other that we would not tell anyone about it. And we both kept the promise. We knew we found a gold mine there. We were not going to tell any other pros because they would have taken from us. There wasn't that much money to go around. The games only went like four times a week, a few hours a day. We wanted that money. We didn't want other pros coming in. We would have been the losers from that. So Daniel's claiming this is causing a problem for the health of poker. No, it's causing a problem for those who are trying to play for a living. It's not causing a problem for the fish who are going to lose either way. But he doesn't get that. He says, my concern for the future of poker is if it continues down the trend of players not thinking about the long term, but just focusing on their immediate EV, you're going to see a further expansion of private games. Private games at the higher stakes are becoming more and more widespread. I don't think that's good for poker, but there's not that much that can be done to stop that trend. Well, yeah, but those private games are happening for a different reason. It's not because the guys in hoodies aren't making it fun for the fish. It's that there are these opportunistic pros outgoing opportunistic pros who find a fish and convince them that they will be better off in a private game. It'll be people who say things like, oh, you don't want to play with these guys. They're only playing because they uh, they like playing against recreational players and they just sit there with their headphones on the whole time. They, they don't make the game fun. They, they're sometimes rude. Uh, let's, just, let's just get away from them. Let, let's play in a game with all fun players. Let's, let's play with people who just enjoy gambling. I'm one of them. You're one of them. Let's get some other people there who just like gambling together and get all these, these nits out of here. And then they either have actual private games or those pseudo-private games like in the Aria where they find excuses to shut people out. So who's to blame for that? The, the, the ones to blame for that are the ones manipulating the situation to screw other pros, to steal fish from the public games. That's not the fault of those who are not creating a fun atmosphere. The fish aren't begging for private games. They're, they're being talked into it by opportunistic pros who want to steal them. He writes, in the old days, you come to a casino, if a seat's open, you have the buy-in, you sit down, and you play. That simply isn't true anymore at the higher stakes. Private games occur in casinos now, too, and that shuts out the young upstart who wants a shot at those games. If the young upstart is a winning player, they'll never let him play unless he offers something of value to the game. Whether it's bringing a weaker player to the game or maybe just maybe being likable enough that people put up with the fact that he's a great player and is going to take money out of the game. Well, Daniel, you have this platform. Why not speak out against these games instead of trying to tell people to adapt to it? How about you call out places like the Aria that are doing this crap and say it's got to stop? Now, if people want to go take private games to their home, fine. You can't really stop that. But... The private games in casinos where they are not legal, you should be calling that out instead of saying, well, that's the way things are. you got to be likable if you want to get into one of those. No. How about they just don't go on anymore because they're against the law? How about that? So then he writes about tournament players. I don't know. I don't feel like reading this part out loud. Towards the end, he writes... Since my tweets on the subject, both the first which I admit wasn't well written and my follow-up that I felt was a lot more fair, I've been personally attacked in a couple of b- blogs of my position. 
for my position. I've never taken issue with people disagreeing with my takes. I'm an opinionated person, and that's to be expected. Eh, not really. See, he's blocked a lot of people. Now, some admittedly have been abusive to him. If he wants to block them, that's fine. There are a lot of Daniel trolls. There's a lot of haters, especially since Doug Polk has incited a lot of them to hassle him. So I, I actually believe Daniel gets hassled more than he deserves. I do. Do I think he's made some mistakes? Yes. Do I think he's been kind of a shill for Poker Stars, even when Poker Stars has behaved badly? Yes. Do I think he's brought on some of his own problems? Yes. But do I think he deserves all the shit he gets? Not completely. There's, there's, he gets a lot more shit than he deserves. I mean, think, compare him to the other prominent poker pros who have scammed and done other bad things, and he, he hasn't done any of that. And, and a lot of people treat him like he's the devil. He's done a lot of good for poker. He's also made some mistakes and done and said some stupid things. But I, I don't hate Daniel. And I don't think he deserves the harassment he gets from strangers. I do think he deserves some criticism. But I have seen where he blocks people without really good reason to block them. And I have seen where he'll make very provocative posts which are pretty much begging people to come back with a nasty response and then he blocks them for it. If you're going to write something really controversial that insults a certain group of people and then people in that group respond negatively and insulting, then you cannot complain when that happens. You can't complain about their negative responses and the way they're talking to you and accuse them of being rude and block them. You've got to look at what you said first. And he doesn't always do that. He said, it doesn't matter if it's... Fi- sorry, sorry, I skipped a part. Uh, even, if it's, if, even if I think it's unfair, I stand responsible for any hate that I get and always try to look at the feedback for opportunity to grow as a person. Sometimes people are genuinely looking to have a civil discussion about poker topics, while other times it just feels more like a smear campaign with ulterior motives. Either way, I'm 100% responsible for anything I say or do. If people choose to take my words out of context or rephrase my views to fit a narrative, again, even if it isn't fair, it comes with the territory when you choose to be public with your opinions. We are not owed what we deem to be a fair press. We cannot control how people choose to present us. Sometimes they will flat-out lie, while other times they'll take liberties and twist your words to fit a narrative. Well, partially true. I've had that happen to me before, where people have taken my words and twisted them and made it look like I've said things I didn't really say. I'm sure that's happened to Daniel Plenty, too. But I've also seen it from him where he really does say and mean something, and then when he gets a backlash from it, he's like, oh, no, 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 what I really mean is... And that's not what he meant. So his first tweet was very clear, and I believe that's what he really meant. I believe everything he wrote there is really how he feels. I think his clarification is what's not completely honest. I think that's what's being twisted. I think he's finding another way to say it that sounds more polite, but it doesn't change what he meant. It's different when you type something and just somehow the way you word it comes out the wrong way. I'll give you an example of something that came out the wrong way that I typed that some people totally misunderstood. When I was writing about Adnan Mohammed, the first post about him that I did on Poker Fraud Alert, I wrote something like, Adnan Mohammed, a.k.a. New York Poker King, a trustworthy name if I've ever heard one, 
So some people thought that what I meant by that is that the name Adnan Mohammed is what's not trustworthy. And they thought I was being racist. That's, that's totally not what I meant. I meant New York Poker King is a name that's not trustworthy. You know, I was being sarcastic, but I was saying a trustworthy name if I've ever heard one. I was referring to New York Poker King, which sounds like a very gimmicky name. It sounds like the name of someone who's going to scam you. New York Poker King. It sounds like a self-promotional name of a douchebag that's uh, trying to present himself as something he's not. Someone who really is a New York Poker King would not call themselves that. So that's what I meant by a trustworthy name if I've ever heard one. But I, I didn't realize the way it came off. Adnan Mohammed, a.k.a. New York Poker King, a trustworthy name if I've ever heard one. I didn't clarify which name I meant. So some people were kind of put off by that and said, you know, what's this? What's with this racism in your post? Like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. And then like half the people said, oh, no, I knew that's what he meant. I knew he meant the New York Poker King part. And others said, oh, okay, that's... I really thought you meant the Adnan part. So like, clarifying something like that is fine. There, there's times you say something or write something and it's taken the wrong way. But I think everything Daniel wrote is really what he meant. This, this wasn't a case of mistyping something or typing the wrong phrase when you meant something else. That's not what happened here. He's just trying to tone it down because of the backlash. He just doesn't like winning grinders who don't really want to do much for the social aspect of the game. That's what he hates. And he doesn't want to admit that he really despises that and thinks these people are bad for poker and should be out of poker. Doug Polk said something that was accurate. Doug Polk said that Daniel is trying to tell people that in order to be a winning player who's good for the game, you have to model yourself to a person that's exactly like him. That's pretty much what he was saying. So some people said he was out of touch. Here's his response to that. It's true. I'm no longer a grinder as I was for the first 15 years, first 15 years or so of my career. I've had success in poker that few will ever achieve. So it would be fair for some to criticize me as being out of touch with a game. You know, yes, he's been very successful in poker. Yes, very few will achieve his success in poker. But why say that? That's that's kind of just an arrogant, obnoxious thing to say. And it doesn't apply here. Like, there's no reason to even throw that in. I've had success in poker that few will ever achieve. So it's fair to criticize me for being out of touch because I'm so successful. Come on, just, just say I'm not a grinder anymore. I've, I do a lot of other things, and I only play in, in high-stakes games now, and high-stakes tournaments, so I can understand why some people would think I'm out of touch. That's fine to say. You know, say, I've been successful like no one else will, you know, very few will ever reach. Uh, that's just throwing in a brag pointlessly. That doesn't help diffuse the criticism that you're acting smug. It's fair, but I don't believe it to be accurate. I'm constantly in conversation with both pros and recs of all levels, from low stakes to medium to high. I think about these issues often, as poker has been my passion for half my life now. I believe Daniel really does feel that he loves poker, and he wants to see the poker community thrive. I think he believes what he's saying. But I think he's somewhat brainwashed by Amaya, who's hammered into his head that winning grinders are bad for the game. That's what I think has happened. He is somewhat out of touch. Because if you are a grinder, as I am, by the way, then 
if you sit there playing day after day after day, grinding out a profit over time, you get to experience the issues that grinders experience. And once you're away from that for a long time, and you're seeing grinders from a different perspective, from a perspective of disdain, as Amaya has for them, then it's easy to get convinced and to kind of forget what it felt like to be there as a grinder. I wouldn't let that happen to me, but I can see how it happens. And that's what's happened to him. I don't think this is malicious. I don't think this is evil. I I just think he's kind of lost perspective and lost touch. It's not too different than the rapper who grew up on the streets and had very little and rose up from nothing to become wildly successful. And then sometimes he's accused of people from his neighborhood that they that he's out of touch and doesn't understand them anymore. And that's true, that happens. People can really forget where they're from and what they once did, what life was like when they did that. They can remember they can remember it, but they can't really feel it anymore sometimes. And it's easy to get out of touch when you can't remember that. I try not to let that happen to me. I even try to draw upon old experiences I had from when I was much younger. Sometimes to try to understand other people in different positions in life than I am. I I will sometimes think about uh, minimum wage jobs I've held as a teenager. And the issues I faced as a minimum wage employee. And I, I will think about like, okay, like if there's some low wage employee not treating me well, or there's some issue with them. And I think to myself, okay, what if I was the teenager in this spot? What if we go back 30 years and I put myself in this spot, in this job, how would I have handled this? And I try to be honest with myself. And if I say, well, I probably would have handled it the same way as this kid is now, then I'll, you know, I'll cut them some slack. Often it's not a kid. Often it's a adult who's just working at a low wage job. But still, I, I still think of that. I still think, okay, well, how would I have handled this in such a job? But if my conclusion was, yeah, even as a 17 year old, I wouldn't have acted this way. Then I say, okay, well, I, I don't. Now th- there goes my sympathies out the window because uh, I wouldn't have done this even as a teenager. And I'm honest with myself. So I, I try to draw upon my own past experiences to, to, to then uh, think about, okay, if I was here, what would I have done? But some people don't do that. Some people will just think more about where they are today. And when I find myself starting to do that also, it's, it's human nature to do that at first, uh, then all of a sudden I stop myself. and go, whoa, 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 let, let me think about this if I were them. And then I kind of try to figure out if they're being reasonable or not. And if I think they are, then I'll back down. So he writes, I don't presume to know what my win win rate would be if I were at the Aria 2-5 game, but I I do know some grinders who do play in those games regularly. Lastly, you don't have to accept or even like my opinions. You can disagree with my stances on issues related to the game. If you do, I would hope that you are open to civil discussion about it. 
rather than attack my character or who I am as a person, I would think it would be more worthwhile to discuss why you think my thoughts and ideas are wrong. I'd love to see a return to I hate your ideas rather than I hate you would do us all some good. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Daniel. I responded. I responded to these various threads. In fact, enough to where Poker News quoted me. I was actually mentioned in the Poker News article about this. If you want to see it, go to the muck. It's called the muck section of Poker News. You could just Google Poker News the muck. You could find their latest article quotes me in this whole situation. By the way, thanks to Scott from the East Coast for bringing my attention to that. I didn't, didn't know about it until he texted me about it. But I did so very respectfully. I even made sure to note that I'm not a Daniel hater, like some others are, and that I recognize the good he has done for poker. I even wrote that. And I was going back and forth in, in a respectful way, but we were going back and forth, me and Daniel Anderson. Daniel Anderson, I have respect for her, and she seems like a good person, but I don't think we agree on very much. <laughs> it seems like, seems like we always disagree. Uh, I've even seen her like on Twitter some unfavorable statements about me. But we went back and forth, and she was very much on Daniel's side and was saying that he basically addressed it in his blog and that he's right and that... And she's a grinder, by the way. So she was saying, yeah, as a grinder, she's seen fish leave when people won't straddle or she, she, you know, she's saying everything he says is, is right on. And I was explaining why that's not true. So we were going back and forth there. Well, I noticed that Daniel liked like two of her posts to me. But he didn't respond. I would have much rather heard from him than a third party speaking for him. So he's liking Danielle Anderson's posts to me, taking his side, but he's not even giving me one response. And I'm not insulted. I'm not crying that Daniel isn't acknowledging my existence. I, I just, it seems like he only does respond to the haters. Seems like if you if you approach him like I did in a respectful manner, you're not getting an answer. But I think mainly I didn't get an answer because I think my the points I raised are pretty good. And he didn't know what to say. And he couldn't just go, oh, you're being a hater. You know, you, you, you said, it was clear I wasn't attacking him personally. And it's clear I didn't have a history of giving him a hard time like someone like Doug Polk. So the discussion kind of died at that point. You know, without, without Daniel being part of it, I wasn't going to keep going back and forth with another person. So I went back and forth a few times, and that was that. But I, I don't like I don't like when people come out and say, "Oh, you have to be this way at the table." And I feel that. What someone's responsibility at the table is, is just not to be a problem. 
it even says in the Poker News article, Wittellis instead offers what duties he felt a player owes when they sit at the table, including to be courteous and honest, don't impede gameplay, and, quote, take extra care not to anger the fish. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. And by courteous and honest, I mean don't be a jerk, don't threaten people, don't yell at people, don't be a jerk to the dealer, don't throw cards, don't act slow, don't uh, piss off the fish and fight with them, give them extra leeway because they're the reason the game is going and profitable. And don't angle shoot. And don't cheat. That's pretty much it. That's your only real duty. I also wrote, poker is an individual game. The pro grinder has no duty to make the game fun for people. In fact, many grinders lack the personality type to make the game fun and would just come off as awkward or annoying if they tried. Others just find it to be a burden to constantly provide entertainment. So that's really should all that's all that should be expected. I'd be thrilled if poker could be rid of the angle shooters, the cheaters, the super slow players. I don't mean slow playing hands, I mean actually playing slowly unnecessarily. And the loud annoying people, the threatening people, the ones that berate fish. Take all those people out. Poker's great. The rest, is there further good you can do on top of that? Of course there is. I do some of it too, but it's optional. I'll tell you what's optional for me, and that is doing a long radio show. And since I've had this LPR problem, it's gotten difficult for me to do these long shows, but I've done them anyway, and now I'm doing them weekly. So, I'm going to take a short break, as I've been doing recently, I'm going to play the Eric Benzamokan ad. Eric was actually doing a mediation tonight, I was telling him about the show, we're going to have William Hung on, he said, oh, I'm stuck in a mediation right now, busy at work. But uh, I'm going to play his ad, and then I'm going to rinse out my mouth as I always do, and continue the rest of the show. These were all the major topics, by the way. The, the, the three big topics were the William Hung interview, the Elia Lesra story, and the Negranu tweet and subsequent blog. Those were our big three stories this week. The rest is kind of uh, shorter topics. But we have a few casino topics. If you like the casino topics, I know some of you like them, some of you don't. It's interesting because Brandon, I know he hasn't been on the show in a while, but Brandon has told me that he really likes the casino topics and doesn't like the poker topics too much. So some people listen to the show, really enjoy the casino stuff, and some are more into the poker stuff, and some like both. We've got a few casino topics this week. Nothing really big or controversial, but just... Kind of interesting casino news that I found, and I like to put that on here too because there's a lot of crossover between poker players and, and casino players. 
we have some casino players who listen to this show who are not even poker players. Some, some of whom are advantage players and some of whom are just uh, people who recreationally play in the casino. So I like to bring casino news on the show. So we'll get to that. And uh, a topic about a poker player pleading guilty for drug dealing. And we will get to all that after these messages. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. I must have seen the future when I created this ad a while back because this ad is the exact right length for me to leave the room, go to the bathroom, gargle with the biotine dry mouth rinse, spit it out, and run back into the room. Wash my hands, too. I do that also. Run back into the room, close the door, get myself seated, get the headset back on. Right when I'm done with that, it has like five seconds left. It's a perfect time. If it was like 20 seconds shorter, it'd be a problem. If it was 20 seconds longer, I'd be waiting. I think I think in a way I saw the future. Just like, of all things, the episode the day before I developed all these problems was called Poker Choker. And then one of my biggest problems that came on was that I would be choking whenever I'd lie down. 
And that, that title had nothing to do with it. I didn't know I had these problems yet. It was a day away. And I see that title and I'm like, wait, was that when it started? No, no, it was actually the next day. It was so weird. You know, what else was weird was uh, in uh, 1991, I think I've mentioned this before, when I first met Benjamin's mom in college, uh, it was going to be many years until we were actually together romantically. But when I first met her, the, the very first time I met her, and she was kind of quiet, and she wasn't responding much to what I was saying to her, and I, I just kind of got the impression she didn't like me, and for some reason it really bothered me. And that doesn't usually happen to me. I, I'm aware that there's some people who are not going to like me, and it doesn't bother me much, even back then. But for some reason, her not liking me really frustrated me, like there was some reason why it was important for her to like me. And I couldn't figure it out. And I remember walking away thinking, why does this really matter? And that was just my impression. I, it was actually somewhat of an incorrect impression. But that that was my impression, that she didn't like me. And I was, I was like, for some reason, it really bothered me. It was like, it was almost like I knew that this is going to be the mother of my only child. And that's why it was bothering me. It was almost like I was seeing Benjamin in a way. Seeing potential Benjamin and then almost feeling like it wasn't going to happen. But I didn't think that way. I didn't think, oh, this could be the mother of my child one day. Nothing like that. But there was just some reason why it bothered me that I thought she didn't like me. Then when we got together 18 years later, and then when it became everything it did, I said, oh, okay, well, that makes more sense. Strangely enough. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic here. By the way, I want to talk about, just very briefly, I want to give a little view into a future week's show, maybe even next week. We're going to have another guest. Michael Josem, I don't know if you guys know him. He was the Australian guy who was on 60 Minutes with me. He was talking about the mathematical analysis of the cheating, the UB cheating. That was when I first met him. And we've actually maintained a, a good relationship all these years. So I've known him ten and a half years now. We've we haven't been close friends, but we've we've maintained a, a good relationship over time through uh, social media. And he he was a poker stars employee. He's not anymore. He he stopped working there in 2017. But he was a poker stars employee there on the Isle of Man. He worked in security. In fact, for some time, he was the guy who was kicking people out for being American players when they shouldn't be there after Black Friday. So like in 2013, if you got thrown off Poker Stars for playing on a VPN, it was probably him doing it or someone who worked for him. He was the head of that department there. And then he was the head of PR for the final four years there from 13 to 17 before he left the company to go do other things. But he offered to come on and talk about online poker issues from the perspective of someone who's worked at a high level at one of these companies. In fact, the biggest company that there is in online poker. And he just offered that on his own. He messaged me the other day and said, if you'd like to have me on, I'd be glad to come on. So I said, oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. 
I, I like hearing from these industry insiders because we, we learn things we didn't know. We, we basically pull the curtain away and see some things that we wouldn't have seen otherwise, or I guess in this case, hear about them. Now, he's not going to be able to divulge PokerStar's secrets, but he'll probably get to tell us some things we don't know and don't realize. Only problem is he's an Isle of Man, which has the same time zone as London, and that's a bad time zone for this show because they're eight hours later than L.A. So if you think about it, until it gets late here, we can't really have him on because it's the middle of the night, and he keeps regular hours. He has a day job. That's why we don't have many live European listeners. We have... European listeners in the archives, but we don't have many live European listeners because we're on in the middle of the night there. We start at the equivalent of like 4 a.m. for them. So only towards the end of the show can they come on, and then a lot of times they're going to work and they don't have time to listen. So uh, we get a lot of the archive downloads from people in Europe. So we will... Get him on towards the later end of the show. This is one of the rare cases where later is better for a guest. But I think we're going to have him on next week. And if not, sometime soon. And I'll try to find other interesting guests. We won't have guests every week necessarily, and I'm not going to strain to get them. And, And also there's only so much stuff you can hear from guests that's interesting, and then it starts to get boring for people. There's shows that I enjoy on YouTube that I hate when they have guests on because I, I find that to be the least interesting part of the show. So some people love when there's a guest and some people just prefer the show without one. So we'll, we'll do both. If there's a guest you'd like to have on the show that you think might come on, like don't just say, oh, Phil Ivey or something like that. He's never going to come on. But, but if you find someone you think that might come on, you think of someone that I've either said I have a good relationship with or that has listened to this show or someone who just seems accessible that they might want to come on, even if they don't know me very well, then let me know. You can text it to me, 775-372-8355. In fact, let me see what text we've received. I've, I didn't do that tonight. There's been no reading of the text messages. and That's not fair to the, the texters. Texters deserve to have their voice heard. Some of them do. Many of them don't. From the 507, that was a a very uh, flattering text I got. And no, I didn't make this up. I didn't text this to myself. He wrote, Druff, you are on a different level intellectually with these people. I'm not surprised at all they act this way towards you on Twitter. I don't know about that, but thank you for saying that. From the 505, so Daniel Negreanu prefers a Wilka Suf at the table. That, that's a good question. How would Daniel feel about Wilka Suf? The old Wilka Suf, the, before he cheated his friends. Let's just go back to the Wilka Suf that we first knew, who's been on the show before. Does Daniel think that type of player is good for the game? That's a great question. I don't even know the answer. The 248, hey, Todd, can I get entered into the free roll? I can't find the rules, and it's saying I don't have permission. If it says you don't have permission, it means that your account has not been approved. So just uh, text me your account name on there, 
and I will approve you. Normally, you should send a PM to Belly Buster. That's Belly Space Buster on the forum, and he'll do it. If I know you, if I've been talking to you, or if I know you or something, then I'll do it. But don't just send me like a random text, hey, Druff, approve me, because I won't know who you are. But if you're someone that I've interacted with enough to where I, I'm happy enough with you being in the free roll, then I'll, I'll validate you. But we do that to prevent multi-accounting. From the 562, someone uh, said they sent uh, $20 for the free roll. This is a guy who is a trucker. Not Bumbles Badly, by the way, but a different trucker. I guess we have more than one trucker listening. But he said that... uh, he said uh, back on January 15th, I listened to the show Monday night while trucking from Montreal to Erie, Pennsylvania. It keeps me awake and safe. Hmm, good. So then he said that he'd like to send $20 to the free roll. I sent him the way to do that, and he claims he just sent it. So thank you. About Abe Mosseri from the 314... This person writes, he's Orthodox from Brooklyn. English is 100% not his native language. Hebrew and Yiddish. That makes sense. That makes sense. He also said, uh, looks like Elia Lezra is less than honorable ghosting Abe Masseri for 850K. Not good. That was just when that came out. He texted that a few days ago. Or I guess about a day ago. Those are the texts we've received. You can always send me texts on 775-372-8355. And I'll respond to you. Maybe. But I'll never be bothered to receive the text. You can always text me. Any time of the day or night is a good time to text me. Let's move on to what I think is the final poker topic. Yeah, it is. Sad to look at this agenda and see them. We're only through three topics that we've been on for a long time. Oh my goodness. This is going to be a long show. We had three long topics at the beginning. That's the problem. i got to speed this up. I'm, I'm looking at this. I, I, I may have to skip the editorial. I don't know if I can handle it. Okay, let's, let's move along here. Micah Raskin, who says he's a poker pro. I don't know if he really wins. Michael Raskin has pled guilty in a marijuana-dealing criminal case. Yeah. Here is the story with that, which I had up and lost, as, as happens at least once a show. i got to bring it back up. Um, where's that Michael Raskin story? How do I lose things like this? Here we are. Micah Raskin has pled guilty to a federal felony charge of conspiracy to distribute marijuana. Apparently, he supplied a lot of marijuana to the Baltimore area. This was for a case brought against him in the U.S. District Court of Maryland in October 2018. The federal authorities claim that Michael Raskin was rec- recorded on a wiretap 
talking about details of drugs that he had uh, selling them to a ring in and around Baltimore. So basically he was supplying drug dealers in, around the Baltimore area. They also recorded hundreds of text messages and phone calls giving a lot of detail about the whole operation he had. So they really had him dead to rights there. Now, since this was a plea deal, he pled guilty to conspiracy to distribute marijuana as a felony. There is a mandatory minimum for that, a mandatory minimum five-year prison sentence that he's going to get. Now, there's another case against him. That was the Maryland case. However, there is a New York State case which is still ongoing. The Nassau County, New York District Attorney's Office put out this statement in February 2018 about the five felony counts that he was charged with. On February 6th, this is 18, members of the NCPD, that's Nassau County Police Department, and the Long Island Homeland Security Investigations Task Task Force executed search warrants in the defendant's Old Westbury home and Garden City storage locker. As a result of the search warrants, more than 358 pounds of marijuana, hash oils containing concentrated doses of THC, drug paraphernalia, and packaging materials were seized. The marijuana has an estimated street value of more than $500,000, while the hash oils are estimated to be worth... One hundred billion dollars. Oh, boy. Now, 170000 to 340000 dollars. Additionally, authorities seized a loaded shotgun, a taser, and paperwork documenting payments and prices for the drug products. Other items seized include a 2016 Land Rover, a 2016 Chevrolet Corvette, $140,000 in monetary funds, and high-end artwork believed to be worth more than $100,000. So on the counts he's facing in New York, it includes criminal possession of marijuana, criminal possession of marijuana in the second degree, the first one was the first degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the fifth degree, criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree, and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. I don't understand these degrees, but he's got five felony charges, and he is uh, has to face those two separately. So he could get even more prison time so he's going to get the five years for what he did in Maryland but then uh, he may get a lot more from the New York thing so he could be away for a long time now he has been traveling the tournament circuit for quite some time and has amassed uh, about Two million dollars of winnings, quote winnings. I should put in quotes there because, of course, just cashes. I don't want to say winnings because it's not really winnings. So one point nine four seven million. But you know how it goes. Uh, that could still be a losing player, especially over a period of, of uh, you know, dating back to two thousand six. The major scores he's had. He had a two thousand nine second place at Borgata in a fifteen hundred event. For 140k, he won a Borgata event for 320k in, uh, later in 2009. 
then uh, in 2010, the end of 2010, he won a World Series of Circuit event. Actually, no, he finished fourth in that event, a 10K buy-in for 117K. And let's see, any other six-figure scores? Yeah, in 2012, at the EPT San Remo, in the main event there, 5,300 euros, he won $170,000. In 2013, at the 5,000 Australian dollar No Limit Hold'em, six max turbo, he won 79,000 U.S. dollars. Also in 2013, at the Berlin Cup High Roller, he won 138,000 dollars, 3,000 euro buy-in. At the 7,500 euro buy-in uh, main event in Paris, in 2013, he Got uh, that was only twenty two k. That wasn't like that, but anything that big. And that's it. So these sound good, but this is over a long period of time. As you can see, he's entering a lot of events and traveling a lot. So I, I bet he spent more than than two million over the years. What about the World Series of Poker? Well, the last caches he had there were in two thousand sixteen. Uh, he's probably in jail for the two thousand eighteen one, but. Uh, the last cash he had was in January 2018, right before the New York arrest. But he didn't cash anything in the main event. Or not, in, in the World Series of Poker. Forget the main event. The World Series of Poker at all in 2017. I don't think he did in 2015 either. So either he didn't play the World Series of Poker that much, or he just hasn't done that well. And looking at his caches, he cashed in 13 in the World Series, but nothing that big. He could just be a guy who doesn't do well at the World Series of Poker. But whatever, that's not that important here. He's entered a lot of high buy-in events. I've even seen some that he's entered that are 25K. So it's very possible he spent more than $2 million between the traveling and the buy-ins over all these years. If you think about it... If you enter even for 10 years and spend 200000 each of those 10 years, that's $2 million in buy-ins. And if you have not cashed $2 million in that time, you are down money. And in fact, even if you do cash $2 million, you're down money because you spent money traveling, which can get expensive. So don't expect to see him at a poker table anytime soon. And it makes us wonder here, perhaps he was a losing poker player who was funding his poker play through drug dealing. Often that is the type of stuff someone will turn to if they enjoy playing poker but can't win at it. And some people, like Elie Lezra, just like having the image of a winning high-stakes poker player. They, They like the glamour of it. Harris is going to open a casino elsewhere in California. They only have one right now, near San Diego. It's been there a while, but that's the only one that they've had. If you want to play anywhere else in California, it cannot be at a Caesars property. I've always felt that Caesars kind of has a hole in their property portfolio in the West. All they've got in the entire West... I'm talking about the Pacific Coast, not just the western U.S., but the Pacific Coast, the only thing they have is the Rincon. That's it. Nothing else in California. 
Nothing in Oregon, nothing in Washington. They do have two properties in Lake Tahoe, which are right on the California border. They're in Nevada, but they're walking distance from the California border. But they're not very convenient for most Californians. You have to drive through the mountains to get there. Sometimes the road can be closed due to snow. Even if it's not, it's a while to get there from most cities in California. I guess for Sacramento, it's kind of okay, but for San Francisco, it's just too far. In fact, I'm going to look this up right now. I'm going to look up distance San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. Yeah, it's 204 miles, and not all of them are fast. So it's not super far, but it's 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 far enough to where uh, it's going to be slow. You can take a shorter route of 194 miles, but it's actually going to take about the same time because it's even slower. So you're, you're probably driving a good three and a half, four hours. And that's fine for a trip that you want to take occasionally, but it's not something you can get to easily. It's, it's, it's a production to get there. You know, it's a... You're not going to want to go back and forth on the same day. Let me put it that way. Right? You're not going to want to go three and a half, four hours each way to a casino on the same day. So what they're really missing in the Bay Area, where there's a lot of money, is a total total rewards property where you can drive there and back on the same day without it being too burdensome. So they're finally getting one. This is through an Indian property. They, they have to do it through Indian casinos because there's, there's no other way to get a casino like that in California due to state law. But they are getting, finally this year, a casino in that area. Now, not right in the Bay Area, but... A lot closer than anything else than any, anything else they have right now. So it's going to be called Harris Buena Vista. It is located in Ione. It's I O N E, California. But you haven't heard of Ione, California. Ione, California is southeast of Sacramento. And it is only one hundred fourteen miles from San Francisco. And does not require mountain driving. So that should bring in a lot of Bay Area players. It still takes some time to get there, but look at Harris Rincon. That's not that close to Los Angeles, and people drive about that same distance to get to Harris Rincon. They get a lot of L.A. area players. So there's a lot of value in having a casino that's around 100 miles away. That's a big difference than 200 or 300 because people feel they can drive 100 in one day uh, both ways. Uh, 200, 300 seems oppressive to do. So that's going to be opening this year. I'm not sure when this year. They have very little information about it on Caesars.com. If you go to Caesars.com slash Harrah's-Buena-Vista-Overview... Is all lowercase. Caesars.com slash Harris-Buena-Vista-Overview. There's a picture of the front of it, which doesn't really show us much. Except it looks kind of low-rise. It doesn't look that big. I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't look that impressive here. 
It says, Welcome to the Empire. It's funny they call themselves that because a former worker at Caesars behind the scenes, uh, Gamble Botch Chafe Penis, he used to work there. He calls them the Evil Empire. So they say, Welcome to the Empire. Located on the Buena Vista Rancheria in Amador County, approximately 32 miles southeast of Sacramento, Caesars Entertainment is proud to work with the Buena Vista Band of Miwok Indians to bring the classic Harris brand to Northern California. The 71,000-square-foot property includes 950 state-of-the-art slots, 20 table games, one full-service restaurant, and three fast, casual dining concepts. That's not very big. 950 machines is not that much. A lot of Indian casinos in California have 2,000 or more. 20 table games? That's that's not much at all. One restaurant? Yeah, this is not a big place. The Rincon's bigger than this. The Rincon's a lot bigger than this. You can even apply to go work there from that page. Says opening 2019. That's all the information I have right now regarding the opening date. There is an article I found on casino.org from April 16th, 2018, that describes it a little bit more. And it says that the project is going to cost $168 million. And I, I guess the 2,000 slot machines is actually a maximum, but that's what a lot of them have. So the fact that they only have 950 is kind of falling short of that. I'm surprised that's all they have. The Buena Vista Rancheria Indians here, or Buena Vista Rancheria of Miwok Indians, I guess they are, they've promised to pay $8 million a year in gaming revenue to the government, presumably the California government, in exchange for the rights to operate that casino. This is a new casino. It's a new facility. They're not buying an existing Indian casino. This is actually a brand new Indian casino that's being built. So we will see if this does any business. I guess what they're doing is starting small and seeing if it works out or if it's going to be a fail. I would think it would do better than this, but maybe they just want to wait and see. I would think it would satisfy a need for a Bay Area casino that's in the total rewards program. There are other area there are other casinos near the Bay Area. This is not the only one. It's not going to be without competition. And this isn't really the Bay Area, it's a hundred miles away. But a lot of people really like the association with Total Rewards. They love being able to earn tier credits that they can use in Vegas. They love being able to bring their Vegas status over to one of these properties. It's a big advantage. That's why the Rincon's so popular. So they're finally getting something in Northern California. We will see how it goes. I will give you information as... We find out more. Let's talk about another expansion of a large casino company. The MGM is coming to New York City. 
That can be very big. This is a bit different, though. They are actually buying an existing casino. MGM has acquired Empire City Casino. And that is in Yonkers, which is near New York City. It's north of New York City, but not very far. The Rooney family, not Mickey Rooney's family, but a different Rooney. The Rooney family has owned the Empire City Casino and Raceway since 1972, since the year I was born. The Rooney family sold this to MGM for $850 million. MGM plans to update the entire facility, and they plan to have a full-scale gaming license within the next few years. Because right now, all they can do at Empire is have races and slot machine gambling. They do not have any poker. They do not have any blackjack. Nothing like that. So why have they bought this? Why did they spend $850 million for some crappy racetrack with with some slot machines? Why, Why would they do that? Well, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York is not allowing new casinos to get licenses in the state. There are four casinos in New York State, and Governor Cuomo is trying to protect them. He's afraid it's going to dilute the pool too much of casinos there if he gives any more licenses. So he is there, there's no more licenses at the moment in New York State, so if MGM wanted to be there, they had to buy an existing one. And... Uh, They do have to wait for that to be over anyway to get the ability to offer table games. But they want to have it in place. They they want to have the casino in place. They want to have upgraded it because it's it's kind of run down, it's kind of beaten up. It's you know it's, it's been run by one family. They they want to make it better and they want to have it all ready to go. So once new licenses are granted, that they'll immediately be able to offer table games and then make a lot of money. This is what Andrew Cuomo said. I know it's a topic of conversation, but I have no opinion or intention of making any changes at this time. It's an evolving field. There's no doubt about that. He also said he's probably not going to lift this moratorium on new casinos until 2023 or perhaps later. It's going to be a while. I will be over 50 in 2023. I'll be able to play uh, the seniors event. In fact, uh, I will have been playing the seniors event for uh, more than one year already. Mm. MGM... We'll also pay another $50 million to the Rooney family if they do get that full-scale gambling license before 2024. CEO Jim Murin of MGM said this, Over the past three years, we've established a meaningful presence in the Northeast with the Borgata in the Atlantic City area. The MGM 
MG, MGM National Harbor in Maryland and MGM Springfield in Western Massachusetts. Those are the three other casinos they have in the east, the northeast. So now they're going to have uh, New York City, not actual New York City, but by New York City, and that is the country's biggest city and biggest market. There's no market bigger in the U.S. than New York. That's what they're waiting for. That's why they paid all that money. That's why they paid close to a billion dollars for a crappy raceway with some slot machines because they're just waiting to get that license and then serve all those people from New York where there's a lot of money. So we will see if it is successful for them or if they're just stuck waiting forever. Wouldn't it be funny if they paid all this money and like we're sitting in 2035 and I'll be doing this show and I'll say, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I, I am Todd Dandruff Wattellis. Uh Yes, I'm, I'm 63 years old, but still doing this show. And um, well, one day I'm going to hand this over to my son, Benjamin. He's, he's, uh, he's 24 years old now. And um, I, I hope he has an interest in taking this over because my, my throat really hurts these days. It's much worse than it was back in 2019. So uh, we're still waiting on MGM. They got that license 16 years ago, and they, they still don't have anything more than a few slot machines and a racetrack that nobody cares about. But they're hoping may, maybe by by 2050 that they will have a license there. Maybe they will. Well, at least they have bought Caesars, because Caesars has gone bankrupt again, and this time they didn't get out of it with their trickery, so now MTM owns Caesars, so at least they have those properties. And even though I'm older now, I, at least I have four bracelets now. All in limit hold them, but still four bracelets nonetheless. Actually, I think I'm going to sound the same in 2035. I sound the same as like 30 years ago, so I, I probably will sound the same in 2035, provided like nothing happens further to my throat. Okay, let's go to our next topic. The win. They've been fined. The win is paying a fine to the state of Nevada. Why? It's a fine that they have agreed to over the sexual harassment issue that occurred with Steve Wynn. Remember that big scandal? Steve Wynn was uh, accused of sexual harassment against multiple women over a number of years. And they eventually got rid of him. It's a big scandal. They put their license in jeopardy. Well, the win has agreed to pay a fine to the state of Nevada. The amount of the fine was not disclosed, but the Nevada Gaming Control Board released a stipulation for settlement and order to end their investigation into the company. The investigation came to the conclusion that the company did make a lot of changes to its corporate structure 
to improve the workplace environment. Wynn will pay a certain fine, which is not going to be disclosed to the public, and the investigation will be closed. What changes do they make? Well, 60% of the directors at the Wynn that were present at the beginning of 2018, just one year ago, are gone. There are three new female directors, and now there is a board there that is 50% women. This is all being done because Steve Wynn was said to have sexually harassed a lot of women over the years, and the Wynn basically covered it up. And this took a long time to come out. Some of it dates back to like 2005. So the belief is if women are on the board there, that this won't be tolerated, which, which by the way, isn't really true. There's this belief that women care about other women, but that's not really the case. I think it's helpful in cases of sexual, like direct sexual abuse or even harassment to have a woman present so these things don't happen. For example, like when a, a doctor's in the room with an incapacitated female patient, that they have a female nurse in the room at the t- same time, thinking that the female nurse will not just sit there and watch the doctor abuse the patient who's incapacitated without uh, reporting it to someone. So that that has some value to make sure there's a female there to make sure that other females are not uh, abused. But uh, a lot of times a, a career-oriented female whose career is more important than anything else is not going to really care so much if they get reports of sexual harassment from another female. They're not going to say, okay, I'm with you, sister. Screw my career. i got to defend other women. They're not going to be like that. They're going to be – they'll cover it up as much as the, the other males will. But I guess it just looks better. And I guess they feel it's going to change the culture somewhat to have females on the board. I, I think this is just one of these things for appearance's sake. And Wynn had to do it in order to get the Nevada Gaming Control Board off their back. The document from the Nevada Gaming Control Board also said that they're not seeking to revoke or limit the licenses that the Wynn currently owns. And that the Wynn agreed to pay a fine that will be determined by the commission when the stipulation for settlement is considered for approval by the commission, which I think has already happened. Philip G. Satter, who is the who is the chairman of the board of Wynn Resorts, said, In my extensive experience working in the highly regulated gaming industry, I've never seen a company take actions that was as swift and comprehensive as the executive team at Wynn Resorts. Much of that occurred before I joined the board in August 2018. However, I believe that our board's follow-up and reaction to the regulatory investigations has been just as thorough and decisive. So take that for what you will. I think this, I think this is all a lot for show. I do think they'll be more careful in the future if they hear about sexual harassment going on from their executives, seeing how lightning struck once they're already, but... Uh, I don't think having women on the board is going to really make a difference for that. They still have a license they're trying to get in the Boston area, which may or may not have been ruined by this. That is still up in the air. 
it has been harmed somewhat. They haven't made a decision yet whether they're going to revoke that license. This is the Encore Boston Harbor Casino that they're trying to get built. This is the license that Wynn won. It was a very, very uh, desired license to be the only casino in the Boston area. And Wynn managed to get it. Caesars tried to get one and dropped out when it was found out that they were working with a mobster to develop the Cromwell Hotel in Vegas. (laughs) This was an accident, by the way. Caesars didn't realize they were working with a mobster. That's so typical Caesars. (laughs) They were accidentally working with a mobster. So that was the end of that for them getting a casino in Boston. They actually voluntarily withdrew because they knew they were not going to win. They're like, okay, we're not, we're not going to waste time with this anymore because we are no longer suitable in Boston's eyes and we're not going to invest anything further in trying to convince them we are. Final casino topic. For me, it is the end of an era. And it feels weird. It's something I got used to. What am I talking about? I'm talking about being a Seven Stars member. Seven Stars is the highest ranked card you can have at Caesars Properties. It was once a very good program, especially for people like me. The Seven Stars program at Caesars Properties guaranteed the cardholder various perks regardless of how much they played after they earned seven stars. So you didn't have to keep playing actively. You could earn it and then just sit dormant for as long as you want until it expires. And you know what? You could have as long as two years and one month. And at one point, two years and three months with the card if you earned it at the right time of year. Because whenever you would, any rank you would earn at Caesars, not just seven star, and it's still this way. Anything you would earn at Caesars, whether it's Platinum, Diamond, or Seven Stars, you would have the entire calendar year that you earned it, and the entire next calendar year, and the first month of the following calendar year. For example, right now it's January 30th, 2019, technically the 31st because we're past midnight. If you were to earn Seven Stars today, you would have it all the way through January 31st, 2021. So you'd get all of 19, all of 20, and the first month of 21. Now, if you earned it in December of this year, you'd have the same thing. So if you earn early in the year, you actually have two years of whatever you've earned. This doesn't apply to status matches, by the way. Those are only one year. So if you earn seven stars for two years, you would get the following. You would get $500 in food vouchers, $100 each. You would get a trip of your choice to any Caesars property. And you could spend up to $1,200 in airfare, including uh, first class. Uh, And if you spent over $1,200 in airfare for up to two people, that is $1,200 total then you just would pay the difference. So if you if, if what you want to fly is going to be $1,700, you just pay 500 
then you would get a $500 food credit on that same trip. You could also make the return flight from any airport. The flight there has to be to the airport close to the property you're going, but return flight could be from anywhere. So you could actually make a one-way road trip out of it, which I did several times. You would get a highly discounted cruise with Norwegian cruises, usually with a balcony stateroom, except if you're going to Alaska, it was only an inside, or sorry, an ocean view stateroom. It wasn't free. They said it was free. It was actually highly discounted, but it was a very, very good deal. I I did that several times. In fact, I did it uh, in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. I didn't do it in 12 or 18. 18 was because of my health problems. 12 just because I just didn't do it. But the most important perk of Seven Stars was that you would get four free nights at any property with no blackout date, provided you gave them 48 hours notice You wouldn't necessarily get a suite But you would have the right to an upgrade To the best non-suite Available So any room with a good view Any room that uh, On a high floor Whatever's the most desirable of the Non-suites You would have a right to At every property Four nights guaranteed Totally free It could be over New Year's It could be over Thanksgiving Anytime No blackout dates And you could keep doing this over and over and over again. The only thing you had to do is wait two days in between. So you could do four there, two somewhere else. Four four there, two somewhere else. Now, somewhere else couldn't be one of their properties, but you could just – all you had to do is is not stay on the property. You could visit the property. You just couldn't be staying in a a room there for two days, and you could start the four over again. At one point, it was five at some properties. I used to do that during the World Series, five on, two off. For a while, they didn't even enforce that. You could even do uh, a few of those fives in a row, which I did. But then they cr- they clamped down on that. There there were some rules that they just didn't enforce for whatever reason. And then over time, they started to enforce more. But the big change came in 2018 when they took away the four nights free. This was never directly announced. It was only announced in the way that they listed your new benefits for 2018. They sent out an email in late 2017. And the way they worded it was real weird about you get a guaranteed reservation, but not a guaranteed comp room. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, I know what that means. And some were in denial about it. But I said, no, no, this was a change for a reason. They basically just keep copying and pasting the benefits from the previous year, if they actually went and consciously changed this, there's a change. And I was right. And then there were some idiots saying, no, 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 you know, except for the people who abuse it the most, they're going to get free rooms still. No, uh, a lot of seven stars were affected by this. But they didn't reverse it. At first, they, they were doing this kind of as a test to see how much it would affect them if the only whiners about it are going to be the people who they don't really want anyway, kind of like the seven stars grinders like myself. And uh, th- that's kind of what they decided, that the people who are most vocal against this are ones they really don't care about as customers, so they kept it in place. So 2019, same thing. You're not guaranteed any rooms as a seven stars. You really have no more standing to get comp rooms as a seven star than you do as a gold member. The, the comp rooms are now based upon your play, your semi-recent play. 
and recent play. That's it. It's not about your tier status. So with that removed, even though everything else is still there, that really, really, really took down the value of being seven stars. And even just earning it once every two years, unless you... uh, Unless uh, you're getting those comp rooms anyway, it's just not worth it. Or unless you can earn the seven stars really cheaply. Like, had I been able to earn it through that uh, thing at auction and known it was going to work, which it probably would have, I would have done it. But that would have only been for one year because it was at the very end of 2018. So I gave up on it. And I'm going to be Diamond, which is a, a much lower version of seven star. Now, there are some things Diamond gets that, that uh, seven stars also gets. The ability to skip lines. Usually it's just a diamond and seven star line together. Uh, I won't be able to go in the lounges anymore. Yet to have more tier credits than I'm going to have. But that's not, I don't really use those anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big lounge person. I just never was that impressed by their lounges. You don't pay resort fees being diamond or seven star. So that's a big thing to retain. So I'm still going to have that. And there's certain times you can get room upgrades. Not as much as seven stars, but you can get those sort of the same room upgrades. And also you there's uh, the free shows of select shows in Vegas for two people every month that they give out. That's also for diamond and seven stars. So there's a lot of these things that are for both diamond and seven stars, but then there's... I'm not going to get the free meals anymore. I'm not going to get the free trip. That stuff's going to go away. But that's okay. In some ways, those were kind of a burden because I, I felt like I had to use them. If, if my time was expiring to use them and I hadn't used them yet, I felt like I had to do a special trip to use them because I just didn't want to lose them. Uh, one good thing about those trips was that they uh, that they kind of made me get off my ass and, and book vacations, like road trips for the family. But I, 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 the downside of that and the kind of burden with that is I'd have to build them around that. And for a while that was fine because there were a lot of different properties I hadn't been to and areas I hadn't been to in the country. So I would schedule trips to those areas, you know, North Carolina, New Orleans, even Detroit. So I'd base it around there and then we'd drive from those properties to other places. But I kind of ran out, you know, I kind of saw everything I need to see in those areas. So there's only so many properties. And the cruise, that was a nice thing to have, and I'm going to miss that. But I can get good deals on cruises anyway. I know as much about Norwegian as I do about Caesars. I know a lot about both companies, like a ton about both companies. So I, I know how to get good deals on Norwegian. Yeah, it was nice just having the balcony stateroom just guaranteed for that super cheap price instead of having to screw around to get the cheapest prices I can and gamble at the last minute and other things, but... Bottom line is I can do it, and also I'm not as restricted. But like I'll tell you one where I, a place I want to go on Norwegian that is not offered as part of this free cruise is Cuba. They they do an overnight in Cuba, which is perfect because Cuba's issue right now for tourists is they're really not ready for tourists to a full scale. Which is good and bad. It's good in that it's not a tourist trap right now, and you get to see the real Cuba with the old cars, and you you get to see the way people really live there. And that's what I that's what I want to see. I I like going to third world countries and seeing the way the 
residents there really live, the way the citizens live, the way their everyday life is. I like even eating in their restaurants and uh, walking among their neighborhoods. I, I don't just go to the tourist sites. If, there, if there's something, if there's something interesting to see, I want to see that too. But I also like just seeing the place. I like seeing the people. And Cuba, I've never been there, and it, it was until recently it was you weren't allowed to go there. But I thought it was very interesting. I thought that was somewhere I wanted to see. But I, I want to see it before it gets overrun by tourists. And when you don't have much set up there to accommodate tourists, the problem can be hotels and the problem can be uh, restaurants. And the good thing about an overnight with a cruise ship is that whenever you want, you can get back on the ship and eat there and sleep there, of course. So you've always got a home base that is easy. And you actually can rent cars. There's actually residents there who rent you their 1950s cars, which would be kind of fun. I mean, they're not very safe cars. They're, they probably don't run all that great, but it would be kind of an adventure. You know, it'd be kind of fun to drive one of those. I don't even mind that. It's not a car I'd want to drive every day, but just for, for a day, it'd be kind of cool. But I, I couldn't take that cruise because that's not offered with a certificate. So now I can't. Now I can just buy it. So I'm going to miss some things about Seven Stars. But I think a lot of what I was doing, and they, they also make exceptions for you. You know, you show your Seven Stars card and they make exceptions to small policies. They they don't uh, roll out the red carpet for you and treat you like you're a god, but they, they do make exceptions. And I've told you guys before on the show, I'm not going to repeat them now, but I, I've always liked the exceptions where they say, no, no, we don't allow that. I go, no, but I'm a Seven Star. Can you do that for me? Oh, okay, we'll do it. And it's not me abusing the card. That's that's really one of the perks of it is that they it's one of the hidden perks is that they are told to accommodate seven stars when they want something that's non standard but reasonable. Diamond, not as much. Now I'll I'll get more with the diamond than if I had no card or if I was gold or platinum, but it's kinda of like a lesser version. Some of the I'm seven stars, do this for me is not gonna fly anymore as a diamond. But it's a lot easier to be a diamond. A lot easier, a lot cheaper. So that's what I'm going to be. A diamond. Seven Stars also got to the front of the line in the cash games at the World Series. But I think Diamond does too. I think they're just behind Seven Stars. So that'll be fine too. Oh, I can't forget the diamond line to register for the World Series. That's very big to use the diamond room. So there's no Seven Star room. So Diamond will do just fine there. So I was like, you know what? I like Seven Star, but... It's not worth it anymore. Not if I can have diamond for way, 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 way cheaper. So that's what I'm going to do. Starting February 1st. In fact, right now, January 31st, it's my final day as a seven-star and perhaps my final day ever as a seven-star. Unless something comes up again like what Akchin did, then I might uh, give it another go. But I'm not, I'm not earning seven-star again the old-fashioned way. Unless they changed the program. It was by far the best rewards program with guaranteed benefits. I did really like the New Year's room I would get. I could just book a great room at Caesars. It wasn't a suite, but I'd get a very nice room in the Augustus Tower looking over the, the Bellagio fountain and watch the fireworks from several different locations shooting off. And... My parents would come, and they would—they'd uh, they, have 
they wouldn't stay in my room, but they, you know, we'd all get together for the fireworks. And well, everyone's freezing their asses off, off outside. We're sitting here with a great view of the fireworks, and we can still hear the popping of them. We're just not freezing our asses off in a claustrophobic crowd outside. It was very nice. I like that. I'm not going to have that. We went to the Golden Nugget this past New Year's, and it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything like that. It was. It was not as good. I'm still happy I went, but it wasn't the same. So I'm going to miss that. I'm not going to get that anymore. But times change, and we did that for a lot of years, and it just wasn't worth it anymore. So it's time to move on. Brandon actually gave up on it a long time ago. He's kind of the one who brought my attention to the getting seven stars thing. And uh, he actually gave a while ago. So that's it. I'm done. I'm thinking about... The reason there's a pause here. I'm, I'm thinking about whether I want to do both of the last two topics or just one of them. And if so, which one? Hmm. So one fifty nine AM. Been doing this show for over five hours already. It's getting long. The question is, should I maybe I should take a break and then come back with the last two topics. Maybe that's what I should do. I kinda want to do them both. And I think I can do them both where they're not super long. I know those of you who love the long shows are probably hoping I do this topic. In fact, I, th- those of you who've downloaded it already know whether I did these topics or not, probably, because you'll see if the show ends in a few minutes, I probably didn't do both topics. If it's got a long way to go, then I probably did. Hmm. Those listening live, you don't know. Even I don't know right now. Hmm. Should I or should I table it to next week? I don't know. I'm really on the fence in several ways. What do I do? The chat room have anything to say about this? No, but Saw24 pointed out that the Pittsburgh Steelers are actually owned by the Rooney family. I didn't know that. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think, are these topics ones that will be kind of stale by next week, or will they be still relevant? One of them will be relevant for sure. Ah, You know what? I'm going to do one of the two. I'll do a compromise. I, I was really going through like several thoughts in my head as... I was trying to decide. Part of me saying, "Ah, just screw it. Do them both. They're not going to be that long. Just finish it off." Part of me said, "No, your throat's starting to hurt already. Just end it now." And part of me said, "You know what? I should just do uh, should do half of it." I think someone just texted me. Who's texting me? Oh, I got a text saying Rooney owns the Palm Beach Kennel Club too. That's in Florida. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to do one more topic. That's it. I'm going to skip the Facebook topic because honestly, the Facebook topic, the scandal that has to do with in-app purchases and some other games that were aimed at minors, it's an interesting topic, but it's something that was taking place from 2012 to 2016, which just came out. 
So it's not a story that can really get old because it already is old. We just didn't know about it until recently. So I will table that one till next week. <clears throat> what I am going to do is the editorial. I decided I'm going to do the editorial because I want to end this show by pissing off some of the audience. So if you're a big pro-choicer when it comes to the abortion debate, you may be mad about what I have to say. This is probably the first time I've ever really talked about abortion on this show. I have done some political topics at the end of the show. But I've stayed away from the abortion topic. In fact, those of you who follow my posts on the forum, even though I've made a lot of political posts on the forum from a conservative standpoint, uh, you'll see I rarely mention abortion. That just isn't an issue that I mention a lot, that I take a lot of interest in. And there's a reason for that. Abortion is a very complicated issue. And anyone who says it isn't has not really looked at it from both sides. They haven't really thought deeply about it if they say it's not a complex issue. You have those on the extreme pro-life side who say that if you terminate a pregnancy at any point for any reason, then you're murdering someone. There are those on the pro-choice side who say that a woman's body gives her the choice of what to do with it. Even if she wants to abort the baby a day before the baby would normally be born, that is her choice to do. And who can tell a woman what to do with her own body? Shame on you. Those are the two extremes. And they both exist. These aren't just like barely any people. You really do have a number of people on those extremes. But neither of those extremes are really considering the issue properly. They're not listening to the other side. They're just listening to themselves. Originally, I was pro-choice. That might surprise you, but I was. Originally, I was pro-choice when I was a teenager all the way through age 20. I was a pro-choice Republican. I was a conservative pretty much my whole life, as long as I was old enough to understand it, but I was pro-choice. And what changed? Well, what happened was, believe it or not, I had a dream. A dream changed my mind. It's probably the only thing in my life where a dream has ever changed my mind. I had a dream, a very vivid dream at age 20, that I got a girl pregnant and that she wanted to get an abortion. And I was very upset in the dream that I felt just like my baby is going to be killed. I wasn't thrilled about getting the girl pregnant in the dream, which I thought was real. But I, I didn't want the baby aborted. I was just ready to take my lumps and just you know, being an unwed father and having it way too early in my life. But I said, okay, that's, that's my child. I don't want the child killed, even though it was very early in the pregnancy in this dream. But the girl wanted to get an abortion. Uh, but, but she talked me into it in this dream. Remember, I was pro-choice coming into this, and she, and she talked me into it that it'd be better for everybody if, if we end the pregnancy, that neither of us are ready for this, that uh, we're both too young, you know, all the typical arguments to get an abortion. Now, it wasn't my choice, being the male, but uh, for some reason in this dream, it was. For some reason, I was supposed to perform the abortion. <laughs> and this is, you know, of course, being a dream, this is where it gets weird. 
the abortion was going to be performed by me killing a baby cow. That's right. I, I, in the dream, I was supposed to kill a baby cow, and that was like the baby cow was the baby. You know how it is in dreams. It, they, they seem normal at the time, but then you wake up and say, "What the hell was? That? What the hell was that?" So that 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 was how I performed the abortion in the dream: was kill the baby cow. And I was given something to kill the cow with. I don't remember what it was anymore. So I was given whatever this was, and I went up to the cow, and I was just about to kill it and perform the abortion and be done. And then the cow looked at me. And I looked in the cow's eyes. And I was overtaken with this incredibly emotional response. I got so sad and felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like there was part of me looking at me in those eyes of the cow. And I dropped whatever they had given me that I was going to kill the cow with and I thought to myself, I can't do this. And right then I woke up. And I had that same emotion upon waking, uh, upon awakening. I was so rattled from it. And I sat there thinking about it. And I thought, this dream is about abortion. Obviously it was, but this dream was about my feelings on abortion. And what I would really be doing if I were to be, I mean, I wouldn't be the one performing it in real life, but if I were to agree to such a thing, which again, with the way the law is, wouldn't be my choice, but let's say it was, or let's say the girl left it up to me, then the, the, like those eyes, I, I, I never forget what that looked like. So that changed my mind, believe it or not. And from then I was pro-life. But I was not a fanatical pro-lifer. First of all, I understood the exceptions. I understood that if a woman was raped and it was not her choice to get pregnant, that abortion was okay. I thought that uh, if the woman's life was in danger, the abortion was okay. I felt that if the baby had severe birth defects, I don't just mean something minor or something moderate, I mean something really severe that would give it very low quality of life, then it was acceptable as well. And as far as the abortions for convenience, where someone just doesn't want to have the baby, because it doesn't fit well with their life at the time, like in the situation in my dream, I was against it, but it wasn't a topic I felt really passionate about. It would be something I wouldn't want to do personally. And it would be something that if it happened, if there was an unwanted pregnancy, which I thought I had, by the way, in 01. I thought I thought I had an unwanted pregnancy in 01. It turned out it wasn't. It turned out we had all the signs of it, but it turned out it wasn't, which was very relieving. Not with anyone you guys know. But when I was going through that, I was not thinking, okay, well, if she really is pregnant, let's get an abortion. Like, I was not thinking that. I was already, and this was someone I didn't want to be with anymore. We weren't even together anymore. Like, I I was very unhappy to hear what was going on. But uh, I was going to accept it. I was not going to suggest or hope for or agree to an abortion. And if she was going to do it anyway, I was going to try to talk her out of it. 
fortunately, it didn't have to come to that because he wasn't actually pregnant. So I've actually, I've actually lived it. All but, you know, the decision actually having to be made because it was a false alarm. But I got everything else, all the other parts of it. But as far as others, I thought to myself, I don't agree with it, but I can understand it. So when people had abortions early in their pregnancy, I I didn't really judge them. And the way I thought about it was this. I, I thought, I wouldn't do this, and I don't agree with it, but... They are just aborting basically a clump of cells. It, it hasn't formed into a human being. It, it, it's on the way. It has everything it needs to get there, but it's not there. You're, you're, you're stopping a human being from developing into a human being, but it's not quite there yet. When is it a human being? I don't know. The heartbeat starts pretty early. There's been some who've said that once there's a heartbeat, they don't support the abortion anymore. You know, they, they're okay with abortion up to the heartbeat point, and then they don't like it. And, and I, I was kind of feeling that way, too. I was kind of feeling like if it's before the heartbeat starts, that's more acceptable to me than after the heartbeat starts. Also, a matter of the reason. Like, if it's just for convenience, if it's for I'm not ready yet, that's not a good enough reason. If it's because the baby's going to be born with severe defects that going to make its life miserable and make the parents' life miserable together. Now that's uh, at some point you have to say maybe this is, is the better decision. So that, that was my position. And it kind of still is my position, to be honest. And I can understand. I mean, it's easier, it's easier said than done. It's easier to say, oh, no, you know, nobody should ever get an abortion ever unless you know there's one of these few extreme reasons but if the 16 year old girl gets pregnant uh, force her to have the kid you can say that but it, it's uh, it's not that easy it's a major major disruption of their life and is this something they should be required to do it is the girl's body but there is another human being growing inside of them I can understand both sides. And that's why I never made that a passionate topic that I would talk about politically. You'll see me tweeting about political matters. You'll see me posting about political matters. You'll see me talking all the time about crime and punishment, about taxes, sometimes about foreign policy. But abortion was something I just would really not bring up. And then I saw a news article about a new law in New York State, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It really shocked me. This article said that this new law in New York State allows two things. First of all, it continues to allow the existing situation that you can get an abortion up to 24 weeks for any reason. 24 weeks for any reason. 
Doesn't have to be a health reason, a reason of the baby having severe defects. No, no, no. 24 weeks, you can say, I just don't want it anymore. I changed my mind, and you can get it. Okay, what is 24 weeks? 24 weeks is deep enough into the pregnancy to where a lot of babies born at 24 weeks can survive long-term and have a normal life. 80% of premature babies born at 26 weeks survive long-term. 90% of babies born at 27 weeks survive long-term. I don't know the percentage for 24 weeks, but I know that a good deal of them also can survive long-term. Now, is it desirable to have the baby born at that point? No, they, they have some ways to go. If they are born at that point, there needs to be a lot of medical assistance given to them, sometimes for months in the hospital. And yes, some of them die. So you do all you can to prevent that. But I'm, I'm not saying that the choice should be abortion or induction of labor at 24 weeks. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that they are so formed as a human being at 24 weeks that a lot of them born at that point if they were to be, not that they should be, but if they were to be born at that point, could actually survive long-term as a human being and have a normal life. That's who you're killing. You're not killing a clump of cells anymore. You're not killing a clump of cells that, that now has a functional heartbeat. You are killing a human being that is actually developed enough to live outside the womb and have a normal life. Yes, the first few months will require medical assistance, but after that, a certain percentage will survive. Two weeks later, 80% will survive long-term. Three weeks later, 90% survive long-term. That's what you're killing. That's what you're aborting for any reason. I don't want it anymore. Get rid of it. At 24 weeks, you can do it in New York. Now, that's not new. That has been there. And I didn't know. I had no idea. But this new law not only affirmed that, but it added a new term, which is even more outrageous. That a woman can have an abortion at any point, any point of the pregnancy, even after nine months, as long as the baby hasn't been born yet. It can be aborted as long as the baby is affecting the life or health of the mother. You may say that sounds reasonable. Well, the life part is if the baby ever threatens the mother's life, then yes, no matter when that is, the baby should be aborted. Otherwise, you could end up with two deaths. It is not fair to say to the mother, you need to die in order to have this baby. What about the health part, though? That's the problem. When I have a cold, I'm not in good health. I'm having a health problem, not a major one, but I'm having a health problem. I've missed radio because I have health problems with the cold. When I have a bad back, that's a health problem. Health can be anything. And a lot of pregnant women, most pregnant women, in fact, experience health issues at some point during the pregnancy. If every woman aborted a baby that gave them a health problem, there would be very few people alive today. Most of us would be dead before birth including me. Your mother probably had health problems while she was carrying you. They probably didn't last. They probably went away shortly after you were born. 
But pregnant women have all kinds of temporary health problems. So the problem with that law is now if a woman has any health problem related to the pregnancy, this gives her the legal right to terminate the pregnancy at any time. And if you think I'm lying about this, if you think I'm exaggerating, go look up the law yourself. And you know what? The left, they don't even deny this. They say, well, yes, that's true, but uh, that's not going to happen like that. When when they do late-term abortions, it's always for a good reason. So don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. There's even this viral... Stupid uh, editorial going around from a, a, a gynecologist that is explaining, well, I've never done a late-term abortion for a bad reason. It's always been for a good reason. And she lists all these different good reasons that uh, these abortions were done, you know, because the baby had no chance to live once it was born, because it had a lot of you know, major, major defects, one because the mother was going to die if they, if they continue with the pregnancy. Like, you go, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, th- those are the extreme cases. In those cases, fine. And in fact, New York already had a law in the books that if the mother's life was in danger, that they could abort the baby at any time. That was already there. They didn't need to add this life and health part. But can you imagine a law in the books that would legalize the killing of any baby as long as it's not born yet, no matter how far along in the pregnancy it is? And of course, it will be abused. If there's money in something to be abused, it will be abused. And there are women who will pay extra to get these late-term abortions because some circumstance in their life has changed. The most common one is that the woman and the father of the child split up. And the woman no really no, no longer wants the child. I'll tell you about someone that has been on this show before that I've met with a few times. Uh, very nice girl. She's now a poker dealer in Texas. I'm talking about Amanda Stinchcomb. And she's public about this. I'm not giving away her uh, private business. But she had some uh, tough life situations since she was on this show. Uh, She had a boyfriend. She got pregnant. And then this guy was a piece of shit and was beating her. And finally one night she couldn't stand it anymore and uh, escaped the house and went to a woman's shelter. She was pregnant. And she was never going to get back with this guy. She also did not have any money. She had nowhere to go. She was pregnant. She was young. Not a teenager, but she was like 24 or something. I don't remember how far along that pregnancy was, but it wasn't early. Many women in her position would have aborted the child if they could. Saying, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want to be a broke single mom. I thought I was going to be with this guy here forever, and he turned out to be a jerk who beats me, so screw that. I, I, I don't want to be in this situation anymore. It's not fair to me. I, it's not my fault the guy ended up being a, a violent asshole. And it, it isn't. It's not her fault. But, well, she didn't want or try to get an abortion. She had the baby, and uh, she now has a job as a poker dealer and I think she still plays poker too and uh, she looks very happy I see all these pictures on her Facebook of her and the child and uh, she always talks about he's the most wonderful thing that's happened to her and that she loves him so much and she's very very happy with that baby even though you know it's probably still financially a struggle but she is holding down a regular job and uh, she seems to be doing pretty well hell of a lot better than she was before and she seems pretty happy now but there's been women in her situation who didn't make the same decision. 
there's been women who've just said, hey, you know, look, look, my life situation's changed. I can't do this anymore. And they want the baby gone. And it's important that they are not enabled to be able to do so and they're not enabled to walk into some shady abortion clinic that specializes in late-term abortions and maybe charges a little extra for it. And all you have to do is tell them you have a bad back and it's considered a health problem and by New York State law they can abort the child. A child who's fully formed and viable outside the womb already. And they kill it. And that is now allowed by law in the state of New York. And not just New York, but also Colorado already had such a law. And in Virginia, they are considering passing that law too, from what I hear. What is going on here? What is going on here? And, and the amazing thing is I'm actually seeing people defending this on Facebook. There's women who are saying that old white men should not be able to tell them what they can do with their body. This isn't about old white men. This is about a human being growing inside of you that is developed enough to live outside of you. And you want to kill it. Because it's not convenient for you anymore. Because you think it will disrupt your life. There are women who believe that if it's one day away from birth, that they have a right to abort the baby, even if it's not of any danger to them. Even if the baby will be born healthy, most likely. For some reason, in the womb versus outside of the womb is what delineates life or not life to them. Crazy. And now we're supposed to just trust that hospitals and abortion clinics are going to just be ethical on their own and not prov- and not provide these abortions after 24 weeks that aren't justified by health real health problems. Hospitals maybe, but there's going to be so many shady clinics that will still do it. And let's forget the after 24 weeks part. It is legal up to 24 weeks. 24 weeks is crazy. And that's done plenty. So what needs to be done is if they want to allow these late-term abortions, they need to have it very specifically laid out when it is okay. Baby not viable? Fine. It's going to threaten the woman's life? Fine. It will cause a severe disability that will last a lifetime. For the woman, and I mean a severe one, not she's going to have recurring back problems. I mean severe ones that, uh, like she'll be in a wheelchair her whole life. Fine. But that's it. That should be it. Otherwise, that's straight up murder. Oh, you can argue that killing a clump of cells that is, that's on its way to becoming a human is not murder. You can have a valid argument on that one, but you cannot have a valid argument that a baby that could be born immediately and live outside the womb. And I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm not saying, well, just induce labor. I'm saying, I'm saying if the baby is developed enough to be that way, then you're, that's murder. It is. That should be treated the same way as killing a baby that's five days old. 
And it saddens me to see how much support there is to the to where there's actually laws being passed that allow this. I don't understand it. A lot of times with things the left does, I, I disagree, but I understand. I can't even understand this. And the, the arguments that are being presented on the other side just make zero sense to me. It's a woman's body. She can do what she wants. No, she can't. When is it that you, if it's something with your body, you can do what you want? Look, if I'm going to shoot someone dead, it's my body pulling the trigger, right? Does that mean I can just walk out and shoot anyone I want? It's my body pulling the gun trigger, so you know, how dare you tell me I can't kill someone with it? Right? That's an insane argument. If you have a human being growing inside of you that could live outside of you and survive, how can you say it's just your body? It's, it's two bodies at that point. Does this mean if there's conjoined twins that one can kill the other? <laughs> it's crazy. In 1996, Bill Clinton, in summarizing the Democratic Party's position on abortion, said that they support the woman's right to abortion, but that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. The safe part meaning that the woman's life should not be in danger in getting the abortion, because if you know, they're saying if you make it illegal, then women will go to Mexico or do back alley abortions and put their lives in danger. So it should be safe, legal, meaning that there's a legal way to do it and you shouldn't get in trouble for doing it, and rare, meaning that it should only be done rarely and if really necessary. That was the Democratic Party platform on abortion in 1996, only 23 years ago. And now look at it. Now there's there's... Laws permitting abortion all the way up till the day of birth. It's crazy. And I look back at some of these insane arguments from the pro-life side from decades ago that if we allow abortion but restrict it to the early term that it's going to be a slippery slope and eventually it's going to get later and later. And soon enough, women will be aborting babies right before birth just because something changes. They don't want it. Their husband leaves them. Their boyfriend leaves them. And people on the other side said, you're insane. This is never going to happen. Come on. Come on here. We're, we're advocating terminating pregnancies when the babies are just little clumps of cells. We would never, ever advocate such a thing. There's no way legislatures would pass laws allowing such a thing. It doesn't matter what side of the fence they're on. Those were the responses to those on the pro-life side were saying that we're eventually going to get to the point where abortion at any time for any reason all the way through the pregnancy will become legal. Anyone who asserted that would happen one day was laughed out of the room. If only they could see the way we are now. I realize there's a lot of different opinions on the abortion topic. You may very well be pro-choice. You may know someone who's had an abortion. Maybe for our few female listeners, maybe some of you have had an abortion. And this segment is not to judge those people or put them down. 
But I'm hoping everybody here listening to this show, even if you are pro-choice, can at least go as far as saying that aborting a baby at 24 weeks or later is crazy, unless there's a very, very good reason for it, which I've already named. I, I hope you can at least see that as being murder, even if you want to say that you support early-term abortion rights. I can meet you there. But unfortunately, this is an example of some of the political extremism that I'm seeing these days. And some on the left have gotten so crazy with their political dogma that they feel that they have to support something like this. If it's about a woman's right to choose, then that just means you can choose anything. There's also a dumb argument I keep hearing. Oh, we don't want the state telling you what you can do. We don't want the government telling people what they can do. It's their own bodies. What? Of course we need the state telling us what to do about certain things. That's why there are laws. That's why it's illegal to kill people. That's why it's illegal to steal from people. That's why it's illegal to beat people up. Of course we need the state telling people what they can do. It's, it's why you can't drive your car uh, 130 miles per hour on the freeway. It's why you can't have a blood alcohol level of, of 0.21 and drive down the freeway and whoever you kill, you kill. Of course the state can tell you what to do. If they couldn't, we would have chaos. That's a stupid argument. Well, it's our own body. No, your own. That would be an argument of why you should be allowed to commit suicide. I don't want the state telling me what to do. That should be why, if you want to commit suicide, that it should be up to you. Which is a whole different discussion for a different time. But that—that's the argument you can use there. Not when it's about another human being inside of you. Then you can't. It's not just about you anymore. So I hope that those listening here who don't agree with me on this, I hope at least you can show some degree of sense and agree on this one. Agree on this part of it. I'm not so outraged by the general idea of pro-choice. I'm just outraged by the recent laws that have passed. And while it's not ever going to affect me personally, It's something that really bothers me to see. That's all. When's the next show? Well, the next show should be a week from today. We just did the show on Wednesday. Okay. The show's normal day was Wednesday. Then I got LPR and then it got thrown out of whack. I wasn't even doing the show more than once a month. But this show is going to be weekly for as long as I can do it weekly. And I want that day to be Wednesday still, because that's the day this show is, and I think it's a good day for the show. It's the middle of the week. It allows people who want to listen at work to have two days of work to do it. It allows people who want to wait till the weekend to only have to wait two days to listen. So I I think Wednesday is a good day. 
And this way you know where to find it. I've had complaints from people. I don't know when to find the show. I can't find it anymore. It's all over the place. You can always catch it in the archives, but I, I get the point. So I, that's why we kept doing shows on Friday, kind of just announced last minute. Then I, I moved it to Thursday, then to Wednesday. So we did six days, six days, six days, and now we're back at Wednesday. So Wednesday, February 6th will be the next show. Should be around 8-something p.m. Maybe we can start a bit earlier to get Cal Watt on. Uh, we got him on this week for a little short of an hour for the segment with William Hung. I'm glad we got him for that. I know he had to walk the dog and then probably collapse after that. I'm glad I don't, I'm not doing the other topic because my throat's hurting. All right, this is this has been the longest one since I... I think it's been the longest one since I got my LPR. Hope you guys appreciate it. And I'll see what I can do to get Calwatt back on here. You know, I, I talked to Calwatt about why he hasn't come on much lately. And he actually told me that the reason was that he actually got out of the habit of staying up late enough for the show because we were off for a while. So my LPR also kind of killed Calwatt's uh, ability to stay up late. We barely got him tonight for the time we got him. What what is going on here? I can't I can't load up something I want to play. It's pissing me off. What is happening here? Tons of technical problems tonight. I don't know what the issue is. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a problem with YouTube. Just trying to load our closing music, which I just play off YouTube. I should just, I should save it for moments like this. Yeah, I can't reach YouTube for some reason. I wonder if YouTube's down. That'd be weird. See, can I load any other site? Yeah. Wow. Is YouTube down? Is YouTube down? Is that possible? It happens sometimes. I'm going to check. There's a site you can use, downforeveryoneorjustme.com. That's it. It's actually downforeveryoneorjustme.com. So it's youtube.com down. Now it says it's up. Ugh. It's on my end. But I can connect to everything else, but not YouTube. That is strange. That is strange. I even tried a different browser. Can't connect to YouTube. Maybe some routing issue. I guess we can't play our closing music. Oh, wait. You know, I think I may have it saved somewhere. Let me see. I may actually have it saved somewhere. I I think I have a shorter version of it. I think I'll have to do that. There we go. See, I did save it. It's just, this is only a 46 version of it. The 46 second version of it that was actually used on the real show All in the Family. The other one was like a long extended version. They never actually played on the show. So... I, I guess we'll have to do with this with a dead YouTube. Teaches me not to save this stuff locally. Or I should save this stuff locally. Thank you to Calwatt for being on here for the time he was. Thank you to Trader Ruski for the time he was. Both were on the East Coast. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you, William Hung, for coming on as a guest. I liked our talk. Learned a lot about you. And look at this show's damn it, the songs ending so quickly. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, good night, everybody. Shalom. See you next week.